Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the October 29th, 2021 Alameda Health System Board of Trustees retreat. Let's go into a roll call, please, Madam Clerk. Yes, Trustee Bouquet. Here. <clears throat> Trustee Jensen. She's here. I see her. Um, Trustee yeah, Esteen. I'm here. I'm here. Hi. Uh, thank you, Tracy. Trustee Esteen. Here. <clears throat> Trustee Banerjee is not here yet. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Dong is absent today. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Present. Trustee Splendorio. I think we'll be joining us shortly, but uh, we can proceed. Okay. Um, we have a quorum. I lost count. I believe we do, yes. I believe we do have a quorum. All right, excellent. Sorry. So, no, not a problem. It's still early. Um, uh, let, let public comment, Madam Clerk. And as a remark, um, as a reminder, this Board of Trustee welcomes public comment. As we'd like to try to say, all feedback and commentary is a gift. Uh, a couple of comments on, on public comment. If it's not for an agendized item, it can come in this space. If it is for an agendized item, it will come before that agendized item. Um, uh, the public should submit using the proper channel. Uh, 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 Madam, the Madam Clerk has actually had some computer issues. So scanning the room, is there any public com general public comment to be made uh, right now? Ms. Ron, if you will scan the room with me, I don't see any hands. Okay. Yeah, I, I do not see anybody. Anybody can send me a text via a chat via Zoom and I will keep an eye on it. Okay. It looks like we don't have a lot of public in the space. Uh, we have a lot of our own people, which is all good. So with that, uh, welcome everybody to the October 29th, 2021 Board of Trustees Retreat. Um, to me, retreat is kind of a funny word for these kind of meetings because retreat means pull back. And it is my hope that we will do anything but that today. Uh, in service of today's dialogues, I think it's important to reflect on where we've been uh, over this past 12 to 18, 24 months. I think it would be hard to argue uh, that 2020 was one of the most tumultuous years in this organization's history. Um, our accreditation was at risk. Finances were strained under COVID. Our relationships with both the county and our own employees were very strained as well. And we had the largest strike in this organization's history. In 2021, we have a newly constituted board of trustees. We have a newly constituted executive leadership team. And this organization over the past 10, 11 months has been very hard at work trying to put itself back together. Uh, today, uh, our job is not to put out fires. Uh, our job today is to contemplate who we are, how we do things, who we want to be, and how we get there. So uh, here's the plan for today. In session one, we're gonna do some uh, strategic contemplation, if you will. We're gonna consider our current pillar structures, if you will, the foundations of this organization and, and see do they need refreshing and evolution? In session two, um, we're gonna contemplate our strategic planning, uh, arguably the most important work that any board will ever do. And we have not done that yet because we've been uh, in put out fire mode. In session three, we're gonna talk about strategic partnerships. Um, 
Preston Walton, the, uh, the leader of the executive director of the Alameda Health uh, System Foundation, is going to be talking uh, to us, and it's a, it's a, a central relationship to us. And in session four, we'll be again contemplating strategic thinking. Our chief operating officer will talk to us about how we identify and solve problems here at Alameda Health System uh, contemplation. And in session five, we'll do board performance for the audience. You don't have to be present for the board performance. It's something that we need to do, and it gives you a shot at a potential early Friday. Uh, so you're invited, of course. There is a closed session item, which is noted. So um, uh, trustees, our job is to uh, is to think today. There's no action, no decision which is being made today. So uh, I know it's a long day, but uh, our job is to is to think in service of in service of this organization, and uh, hopefully the agenda allows us to do that. So with that, I will close and I will hand uh, to our CEO. Good morning, Mr. Jackson, sir. Good morning, Chair Dr. Bouquet. It's uh... Great to have this opportunity and uh, thank you trustees and thank you to the public who has joined us today. I'm, I'm excited for this opportunity um, to Dr. Bouquet's point. Um, we have been doing a lot of firefighting. We've been doing a lot of really at the base of the hierarchy of needs, if you will. And I see this as an opportunity for us to really start moving up the pyramid, if you will. So very excited for this opportunity to retreat and to contemplate. So. Um, I have a presentation which will be brought up in just a moment. I'm going to do an overview of the pillars and the previous strategic plan as we look to transition and, and focus forward. So if you will bring the presentation up. Excellent. Next slide, please. So this is um, an opportunity to really look at our current six pillars and how they contextually fit into our vision and our mission statement. And I'm going to do a little bit of a retrospective looking at our previous strategic plan in anticipation of the conversation coming about building our new strategic plan. Um, so where were we? Um, next slide, please. This is the, the cover sheet. And so as you can see, the previous plan was anticipated to run from 2017 through 2021. Next slide. And here were the strategic vision and the imperatives, and I won't read them to you, but just wanted to, to level set with what the previous plan anticipated as the, as the goals and what this organization should be visioning for during the period of time contemplated. Next slide. Here you have our actual vision, which is to be recognized as world-class patient and family-centered system of care that promotes wellness, eliminates disparities, and optimizes the health of our diverse communities. And our strategic direction was to transition to a population health management organization, which I think is very important because obviously um, part of our job now will be to look and see, did we actually achieve that? Um, and is that still the objective? And if you look below, you'll see the six pillars that were identified, access, sustainability, integration, experience, network, workforce. And I will make a couple of remarks about the pillars. Integration um, became quality over time. And so you have not heard integration identified as one of our pillars um, because at some point in time that was changed to quality. Um, I will acknowledge um, a little bit of editorial license. I believe that the titles given to these pillars was somewhat opaque. Um, there, were, there was a lack of clarity in the way these pillars were described. I would 
urge that as we move forward that we look to really achieve clarity granularity so that an an outsider looking at our pillars would quickly be able to understand what they could expect to see in each pillar finally our mission um, which hasn't changed um, and side note these were from 2011 so the last plan kept these but these were actually contemplated in 2011 um, and so they were continued under this one and our mission which remains caring, healing, teaching, and serving all. Next slide, please. This was a, a, a contemplation of what were the kind of measurables that would be under each of the identified pillars um, to track progress. And so again, not going to read them to you, but you get a sense of what was anticipated as the deliverables for access, for sustainability, integration experience, network, and finally our workforce. So again, creating context. Next slide, please. And then finally, just to recap, um, what was anticipated as the fruit of the previous strategic plan, um, in three to five years, AHS will transition to a population health manager. We will establish foundational competencies in key areas of care delivery, develop viable financing contracts that support population health, strengthen our partnerships, and coordinate as a system integrating services across the continuum of care. So my challenge to this body today is I believe our goal is that in the development of our new strategic plan um, will be to evaluate the success of the previous plan. Did we do as an organization what we contemplated doing? And then to establish the path forward for the mission, the vision and the strategic direction statement, as well as pillars for the next three to five years plus of the Alameda Health System. So I would turn it back to you, Chair Bouquet, and um, I'm happy to answer any questions myself or the executive team as appropriate. Yes, sir. Trustees, any questions on that history of on that six pillar construct? Again, bullet points were, this was originally developed under the Lassiter administration in 2011. It sounds like there was a, ref, uh, a, a, a refresh Un, under uh, the, the Finley administration, probably in late 16 with approval by the 2017 boards. And, and kind of those are the pillars that we have currently have. So let's review those pillars. Um, access, experience, integration became quality. We had network, workforce, and sustainability. And uh, uh, it was always a joke that I had. I challenged anyone to name all six of them which questions how good our pillars were when we didn't have people who could name all six of them. Um, the, the, the trustees, any questions on that history? Okay. So we, we've done item B1, which was uh, Mr. Jackson introducing that past history. Item B2 is uh, quality care as a pillar. Uh, and um, for those of you in the room know that I, I, I've chaired the quality committee of the board since uh, uh, early 2018. So this is a super big deal for me. Apologies. Trustee Splendorio, your hand is up, sir. Just wanted to thank you for having me join and I apologize for being a little late. I had another meeting and um, also had to had a late flight last night. So <laughs> hopefully Taft, you're gonna keep us engaged because uh, I, I flew back from Orlando last night and it, Yes, sir. A couple my, hour late flight. My job to keep the room engaged. Yes, sir. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks for glad to be here. Uh, uh, glad to have you, Trustee Splendorium. Um, I've chaired the quality committee since 2018, and um, 
So uh, that has been an, uh, uh, a, a joyful experience for me and a painful experience for me at the same time. Uh, and I, I, I want to do some of those contemplations here. Uh, you know, I, I, I once heard a speaker at a keynote on quality said, if we're not providing quality care, what the heck are we doing? And uh, I, I would agree with him um, uh, in that talk. So what, what is quality? I, I think without a construct, defining quality in healthcare can be very, very difficult to do. Um, you know, someone, do you provide quality care? Oh, of course I provide quality care. But, th but there's, there's a math and there's a metric and there are domains of quality, which, which not everyone are familiar with. If you come to the quality committee, you, you, you're probably nauseated by every time I say these words, but I'm gonna continue to say them again. So here's a construct when we define quality. Uh, a little history. In 2001, Dr. Donald Berwick, uh, I would argue uh, one of the world's foremost thinkers on quality in healthcare. He was the former director of, of CMS, and he was uh, he uh, basically was one of the founding members of the Institute for Healthcare uh, Improvement. He and his colleagues developed a a acronym for the six domains of quality. And those, that acronym, acronym is STEEP, S-T-E-E-E-P. So I always call it the steep climb to quality. And when, when, when I read about this in 2018, I brought this uh, to uh, the quality committee and we have been talking about it that way ever since. The organization has been making its evolution uh, along steep. Let's all learn together what, what, how we can chop up uh, quality into these respective domain, domains. So S, safety. It's the essential component of quality. Without safety, you cannot have quality. And what does safety mean? That means not harming people with our care. T, timeliness. You, know, you can not harm people with care, but if they can't get to the care in a long time, you know, is that high quality? This means reduction of needless delay. And uh, God knows we have a lot of needless delay in this organization, as every healthcare organization does. E, E means effectiveness. This means matching our clinical science, sorry, our clinical practice to the science-based practices. So, so are we, we might be doing things safely and we might be doing things timely, but is that the best evidence for what should be done? I don't know. E is efficiency. This means we should stop wasting stuff. And what is stuff? Stuff is time, stuff is human resources, stuff is materials. Um, it's even goodwill. The other E is equity. This means closing the gaps in healthcare justice. And uh, one of the reasons I came to this organization, it's in our mission statement, if you will. Uh, we're here to serve all. And, uh, but if we, don't, if we don't manage it, uh, measure it, it's gonna be hard to manage it. And P is patient-centered. Uh, Berwick used P to uh, represent the obvious domain of patient-centeredness. I have a personal revision on this, and I give it a little P, and I mean that to be the little P should be the providing team. Because if the, if the providing team is not, if providing care is not easy for the providing team, the patient is going to feel that, and they're going to know that. So just to review, what are the domains of quality? Steep, safety, timeliness, efficiency, effectiveness, equity, and patient-centeredness. 
As I said before, the steep construct was uh, 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 developed in 2001. It actually migrated to our system at the quality committee, not till 2018, some 17 years after its development. And uh, I'm proud to say that we've been doing it since. We've sort of been trying to evolve our dashboards to reflect steep. Um, this steep construct was introduced to the full board for consideration for the pillars back in 2018. Um, I want to remind us what our what our pillars are currently: access, sustainability, quality, experience, network, and workforce. So, if we now understand this steep construct, I, I think that three of these pillars—access, quality, and experience—are all saying the same thing. They represent domains of, uh, of of quality as represented by steep. For example, access. Access is another way to tell us how timely, efficient, and patient-centered we are. Experience is patient experience. That's part of quality. And quality is where all steep should reside. Uh, you know, there was a funny quote I put in quality committee the other day from Don Berwick. Again, I'm a little bit of a fanboy of him because I care about how much he does with quality. He said, talking about safety and quality is like talking about bananas and fruit. It's the same stuff. And, and I think that's important for us to reflect here. I think that separation of these three concepts fractures this unifying concept of quality. And that is the best practice amongst the quality uh, literature. Ms. Torres, our VP of quality is in the room. Our, our, our chief medical officer, Dr. Tornabene, we've had these discussions before on these concepts. And I, th I see this as an opportunity for us to to rally behind a concept that we can all get behind, which is quality care. Uh, you know, it's been said that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. And I wonder, as we evolve our pillar constructs here, if simplifying down some of these existing pillars down into a unifying concept of quality is the right thing for us to do. Um, I now step off the soapbox and open it up for any questions. Wow, quiet room. Anyone? McFly? Nobody? Yeah, I got a comment. Trustee um, Blue, thank you for the save. <laughs> it's because I had my cup of coffee. Uh, so I had a couple of, one question. In terms of, let me take a look at my photo again here. Safety, I understand why it would be focused on the folks that we're providing care for, but I want to understand where does the staff come in? Because if our staff isn't safe, then our patients aren't, aren't going to be safe. And does that come into the workforce pillar where that so gets addressed? Custody Blue, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, which is okay. the contemplation, right? Um, so uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you uh, because if it's not a safe environment for the staff, how in the heck could it be a safe environment for, um, for, for our patients, you know? So I, I don't think these things are but questions. I think they're and mm -hmm. questions. I think many of these things can coexist. And I think um, our, uh, uh, our chief human resources officer is gonna be doing the same contemplation on, on uh, uh, another potential pillar, our people, our culture uh, coming up in just a little bit. Uh, but I, uh, Ms. Jones, I think you heard the question. 
And and so I think that it's a great it's a great question. And I don't know what the right answer is, but maybe it's if we think about it as and maybe it exists here and in in our workforce pillar. Yeah. And then the second point um, I want to make, I'm I'm always a fan of keeping it simple because yeah. I expect leadership to be able to roll off, roll off their tongue what the vision is and what our pillars <laughs> are, including all staff. And if we can't do that, then it needs to get simplified or, you know, it's too yes, much to remember, right? Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. <laughs> People only have five-minute attention spans. You know what I mean? So I, I certainly do. Trustee Splendorio, then Mr. Jackson. Um, well, thank you, Taft. I have a couple of questions uh, uh, other than questioning your unhealthy um, stalking of um, <laughs> Dr. Berwick, but um, we can leave that for another day. Um, uh, what do you want to get done here with this? I mean, you've left 10 minutes here. I mean, I've seen the steep uh, yeah. language here for since I've been on this board. What, what, what do you what, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to, uh, to really you know cut it down, simplify it, just are you reminding us what, what what's your goal here? Uh, and the answer is all of the above. I, uh, my, uh, I, I am flying the banner of quality uh, every day. And if I get if, if I can put this language into the vernacular of this organization, I think I would have at least been partially successful. There's the, oh, there's that steep thing that Bouquet talks about all the time. Yeah. OK, okay then I won. Um, okay, so that's so number it- one. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And then number two is to simplify. Just as Trustee Blue said, we had access and experience as a pillar too, and and as Mr. Jackson made allusion to before, it's sort of it's a little bit murky. Who owns this? Who owns that? You know, qual, qual, it's if, if you just put it all under the banner of quality, it's easy to understand the governance of it. Easier, I, I would say. Okay. So is this aspirational? Um. Yes. And achievable, I believe. Okay. Um, so let me ask you a couple. Just, just. So it says quality care as a pillar, and obviously our job is to provide. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what what, what quality means to me, um, and I think or maybe I'll just. <laughs> yeah. Let, let me let me run into a couple of things here. Let me tell you why I'm not so sure from a management perspective. Uh, or an organizational perspective, um, which is the only way I'm going to look at this. Um, I don't know if none of these, all of these all say to me competent. Yeah. I don't, and I don't think that's aspirational Mm. at all. Yeah. You know, uh, you don't come to someone and say, or ask for a referral to a doctor. Yeah, they're competent. Is that what you really want to hear? You want to hear they're excellent. You want to hear they're great. And I think that's what we want to be. You bet your butt. That's what I want us to be. So, I mean, to say that, you know, that we're going to do no harm. Well, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, that, that to me, that's not, uh, or delay, you know, avoid reduce delay. Well, I hope you know, go on. That's not aspirational to me. I mean, that's, that's, that's like a minimum standard to get into the door. And I don't know if that's really what we want to push out. So in terms of, I'm, I'm getting around to being simplified here. It really, I really am. Cause I've thought yeah. about this. And uh, the same thing with effectiveness. Of course, we're trying to be effect, you know, use our, our, the best practices. But again, that's a minimum standard. In my world, that's a minimum standard. That isn't what we aspire to. 
course we are. Yeah. We want to provide excellent care, the best care. Um, so to me, I mean, the only ones that really resonate far more as being, you know, far more aspirational is equity and, 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 you know, well, you can debate whether patient centered, but of course it should be patient centered, but, but equity is really important here. Yeah. And, but I would turn this around and say, well, you know, it's not about Steve. It's about providing the greatest possible care, the most excellent care for our community and people that maybe people can resonate with that. So, Thank you for those comments, Trustee Splendorio. Uh, and uh, again, I love that you're asking the question. My, 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 my dialogue with you is if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it. We can perceive of ourselves as being good. Does the data show that? You know, uh, uh, are, are our safety measures in comparison to other like organizations and like, are they in the 95th percentile? And I'm going to tell you the answer is no. Hard stop. So if, if we don't measure it, how can we do it? Our timeliness, you know, uh, at one point, and I'll take ownership for this, access to endoscopy was like seven months at one time. When they got the care here, was it good care? I believe so, as measured by effectiveness. I think we do very highly clinically supported medicine, but the, the time to get to us was super long. Patient-centeredness, you know, uh, uh, well, you know what I hear about every day? Parking, parking, parking. And it's kind of funny. Uh, you can provide them the best patient ex, uh, uh, clinical care, uh, but the patient feels that they had a bad experience. So these are the, the so uh, the, the six domains, in my view, allow us to break out, break out the items. It's like a car, right? You, you want to say you have a high quality, do you have a high quality car? Well, yeah, it's, it's super safe. Yeah, but it looks like a box and there's no radio in it. Okay, yeah, but it's super safe, right? Their quality is multidimensional. And, and unraveling these, these elements of quality are going to be how we determine whether we are providing the highest quality care. And I say we've been trying to do this, but calling it out and the fact that one of the trustees is asking this dialogue is exactly, in my view, the reason for being here. Mr. Jackson, then uh, Mr. Fratsky, then uh, Dr. Tornabene. Thank you very much. I, I just, I will be brief. I, I'm grateful for the challenge that Trustee Splendorio has offered. Um, I hope all of the trustees have heard me say on more than one occasion that my objective is for the Alameda Health System to be the best safety net organization in the country, bar none. And we cannot be the best if we do not have each of these six elements as a part of our core core curriculum, if you will. Um, I have challenged our experience, our patient experience team. The goal had been to be at the 50th percentile and, I, and we weren't achieving that. And I've said one, I don't accept that we should think 50th percentile is acceptable. And two, the fact that we're not hitting that consistently, I find uh, somewhat galling. And so we will be pursuing that aggressively. So I just, I'm grateful for the challenge issued, Trustee Spendorio. And going back to Trustee Blue's comments regarding the safety of the staff, because they cannot deliver great care if they don't feel safe, um, you will hear in the next presentation from um, Lorna Jones what we're doing to work and to enhance the emotional security of our, of our staff. And obviously every day we're looking to make sure that we have a safe working environment 
so the staff can feel comfortable and safe in delivering excellent care. Thank you. Thanks, Mr. Jackson. Mr. Fratsky, then uh, Dr. Tona Benning. And yeah, then, I uh, think then Trustee Blue. Thanks, Trustee Bouquet. I, I really appreciate um, Trustee Splendoria pushing our thinking around this. And it makes me wonder, um, so our goal here today is discuss the pillars and have some considerations around them, but not make decisions until we go through the strategic planning process. And um, Trustee Splendoria is making me think, you know, our vision as an organization, given the aspirational comments he made should be open for discussion as we go through um, strategic planning, as well as what do we want our what do we want the definitions of the pillars to be? Are are the pillars aspirational statements or are they um, words? Whereas we categorize our tactics and our strategies under our strategic plan, I think those are the questions we need to consider as we go through the planning process. That's very insightful, Mr. Fratz. You're right. Pillars are the foundation. Vision is 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 who we who we aspire to be. You're right. I admit. Dr. Tornabene. Um I I I also I mean I'm on the same page as Mr. Jackson and Mr. Fratsky around that that being pushed to to aspire. And so if if one of our ultimate goals um, under the strategic plan is to provide excellent and excellent quality. Um, then I, I love the way you just put it, Dr. Briquette, which is how do we know? How do we know that that we're providing excellence um, in the quality of our care? And I think that the steep framework helps me know if I can provide care that is safe, timely, equitable, efficient, et cetera, then, um, then I know that I've hit the mark for that patient. And so I, I like the framework of, of the definition of quality comes from the steep framework. Thank you, Dr. Portobene. Trustee Blue and then Mr. Espinoza. And thank you for everyone talking. <laughs> so, I do like the framework, um, you know, of steep, but I think as I've walked through some of the work sites, the most recent one that I did was in San Leandro. And I was just shocked that there weren't EKGs, right? They have them now under the new administration, but the fact that we don't have EKGs in the ER, that's like, that should be on a checklist, right? What's our equipment like? And it just seems like that that really doesn't get done. Um, and there are other equipment issues too that got brought up as I walked through, but something as basic like that, I don't wanna think about that. I assume somebody else is paying attention to that and making sure that our staff have the equipment that they need in order to provide care. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that the hospital CA, CAOs that have been brought on can really drill down on that. But to me, that was shocking. Mm. And you Trustee know, Blue, one could, one could argue whether that is effective to not have EKGs on the floor. Is it timely to go to another floor to get an EKG and bring it back to the floor? So again, this is, this, this is the agility, if you will, uh, of, of, the, of the construct. And it's just a construct to put our brains around because quality is sort of, it's hard to put your brain around unless, uh, unless you can think about its domains. Mr. Espinosa, sir. 
Good morning. Good morning and, and thank you for this. Um, I think everyone on this call has quality on the forefront of their minds. Um, in post-acute, we do follow QAPI, which is the Quality Assurance Performance Improvement. And so um, in, I think um, as a foundation of Steve, I think it would be uh, wise for us to, as we define um, those, where things such as education, where things as improvement, where things as are they measurable, fit into that, right? Being proactive and not just measuring, but what are our actions that we're doing to get in front of these things before they become issues? And so uh, I think it's important that we clearly define where, where things like education fall into that so that we can say we're being proactive in our approaches. Thank you, Mr. Espinoza. Any other comments? It's not a super big room today. I'm looking for hands, anyone. Scanning missing. Um, I want to appreciate Trustee Splendorio for, because he he lit the match for the kind of this discussion, and it it, it talks to us about about our vision. And um, uh, I, I think I'm going to revise my answer to you, uh, Trustee Splendorio. You asked me if uh, quality was aspirational. I think in this version, it's foundational, and then aspirational would go as Mr. Fratsky said to to our vision statement, and. Um, uh, I, I'll ask the question that I opened up again. It, if we're not providing high quality care here, what the heck are we doing? You know, and um, so I appreciate this conversation and this contemplation as as uh, we all together develop our pillars. I think some of our uh, consultants are in the room, so maybe they might be hearing some of this uh, talk as well. So, so Taft, if you leave me a final word here. Yes, the sir. reason I think this is important because... Uh, you know, the 39 people that are on this Zoom call um, have a desire to be the best at what they do. And I would tell you that if you're not, you don't want to be the best, then perhaps you should think of another place. And that's the kind of people we want to attract yes, in the future is that they will create a culture of achievement. And that's how you turn an organization into a great, org you know, and I'm not telling you any, these are business management group, you know, books that, you know, some of us have spent a lot of time reading and or wasting our time reading <laughs> as the case may be. Um, but, um, but it's really, this message is for, you know, the, uh, the folks that are not here. Yeah. And that's why it's important. Yeah. Uh, preaching to the uh, trustee Splendorio. Thank you. So keep saying those words. Uh, if you're satisfied with mediocrity, shame on you is is my is my position. Um, so with that, um, let's 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 transition from quality and uh, let's go to uh, a, another critical element of any organization, which is culture and people. Um, uh, this is item B four on the agenda. I think we're doing decently on time so far, but. Uh, I'm going to hand it off to uh, Ms. Jones, our Chief Human Resources Officer, and um, you have the floor. Welcome, Ms. Jones. Lorna, you're on mute. It's not a Zoom meeting unless someone says you're on mute. <laughs> Sorry, I apologize. I'm having a little issue just sharing my screen. Bear with me one moment. I'm also having a little bit of... Um, issues with my throats. 
So please bear with me with that as well. Rona, I'm going to have to have somebody else share. My presentation just disappeared. Dave Pistoni has it, and there he goes. He's on it. Oh, you're on <laughs> it. No Thank gets, you. It's, it's always great when somebody else shares your screen so you don't have to multitask. Thank you. So welcome, everyone, to our people and culture pillar. Next slide, please. So I wanted to introduce something I think is going to be pivotal to in the next coming years to changing the culture at AHS, and that is the introduction of Just Culture. And um, many of you are familiar with it. It's been a pillar of many organizations throughout the last decade. It basically is shared accountability that drives continuous improvement in all of our processes and our people um, and resulting in outcomes, positive outcomes to patients. Um, some of the elements are trust, fairness, accountability, just culture, transparency, justice, and safety. It holds individuals accountable for the quality of their choices, and it places within the framework that considers human capacity, human error, fallibility, and it demands improvement, but not perfection. Next slide, please. It basically is a weighing of individual accountability against reliable, supportive work systems. Next slide, please. This is um, part of the algorithm, and this is a joint venture. Of course, quality is one of is the main driver of this, and HR, of course, is is one of uh, the co-facilitators. But when we talk about um, how this affects employees, it looks at human error, at-risk behavior reckless knowledge and purpose. And as you can see by the slide, each of these is based on an algorithm of questions that each manager, employee, um, union partner work through to come to the end result that will either trigger re-education, um, some form of progressive discipline. Next slide. The anticipated outcomes um, from the slide you can see it, it does it does anticipate that our organization will deliver better quality care. Um, AHS believes in consistent, fair, and systematic approach to managing behaviors um, that facilitate a culture that balances a non-punitive learning environment with equally important need to hold persons accountable for their actions. I believe that the implementation of just culture um, complements our current progressive discipline policies that are within our union contracts. It doesn't um, it actually does not change any of them. It actually can coordinate with them quite fairly and nicely. It takes into account all the mitigating factors that led to an issue with patient care or all the mitigating factors that led to a behavior that warrants some type of um, accountability by the employee or accountability by the organization because it also will help us see errors within our own organization or systematic ways we've set employees up to potentially fail. Next slide, please. So now that we've seen what we're trying to do as an organization to change the culture, here's some of the things that we're trying to do as an organization to retain talent. I see this as a twofold um, we're, we're not just trying to recruit talent, we're also trying to retain the good talent that we've received or that the good talent we've attracted. 
Um, some of the elements that HR and um, our learning and development department, along with our talent, um, we are looking at enhancing our tuition reimbursement. Tuition reimbursement here is not um, at par with other organizations in the Bay Area, and so therefore we are looking at enhancing that benefit. We're also working with a third-party vendor to do a pilot project for career development, career coaching. So this will be the equivalent of like executive coaching, where an employee gets five sessions with an executive coach who could help them uh, lead their career, whether it is they want to transition, they want to do a lateral, they want to promote, they want to enter management. We're going to open this up and see if we get um, return on our investment with employees. Many employees feel that they need a career trajectory or someone to lay the framework for them of where they're going to go in the next five to 10 years. And this is very important and people feel valued when people make the investment in them. Um, Along with that, we're doing several career ladder um, programs. Some of them are in partnership um, with our unions, um, CNA and SEIU. SEIU has uh, this SEIU education fund which um, you know holds a huge benefit for our employees on helping them um, get you know ex- access education, uh, retain new skill sets. Um, they even do career planning. We want to complement those benefits and enhance those for a broader audience as well. For our management staff, many of our management staff feel that um, their benefits have not been up to par in the last several years. One of the other things we're looking at is the DTO policy, and we're going to be announcing some changes to that in the month of November, which I think will um, make our management staff feel very valued. Another program that we've been looking looking for partnership with, and um, thank you to our our foundation who helped me um, dream up all my dreams for HR and for our employee population. Um, We're looking at several loan repayment programs that would benefit several different types of employees, whether they be physicians, nurses. Um, Some of them are a matching program where you get the money um, like from Oshpad and you have to, as the organization, match those funds. Um, We're hoping to roll those out in 2022. We plan on doing more than one different option for loan repayment programs. And so we're very excited about that. Next slide. Again, this is another slide that I wanted to, I wanted to, we've been talking a lot about recruitment, but I want to also talk about retention because once we get people in the door, I do not want them to leave. Um, Many of you know that we have a huge turnover rate in the first two years of employment. Um, It hovers right around 50%. We need to have an ability to retain those good um, recruitment efforts that we're putting forth. We're going to restart the Employee of the Month program. Several of you on this call remember we had Employee of the Month program, and that went to month Employee of the Quarter, all these different iterations of the same program. We would like to change it up, and we want to start um, initiating this program in the month of December. Um, and so uh, there's a subcommittee. It's Employee and Re- uh, Rewards and Recognition Committee that meets, and um, we're going to be restarting this program. We also have um, tasked our learning and development department with state interviews. Um, not only do we do exit interviews through a third-party vendor, we do live uh, live exit interviews. In fact, I've done two this month myself. Um, 
but we also want to do state interviews. We want to learn more about our employees and what they're interested in and what their career trajectory is for the next three to five years. Um, Investing in your employees and their happiness and what they want to do ultimately as a career um, has shown to be, um, to give a lot of, um, you know, not only value, it shows that you value the employee, but it also is um, something that engenders them to stay with an organization. Along with that, individual development plans. Um, Many of you have heard of performance improvement plans. Well, I would venture to say that IDPs are the opposite of a PIP. They are when you have a high achiever, somebody who is looking for a career ladder, it is actually sitting down pen to paper and putting together um, a three-page outline of a development plan. Maybe they want access to different education. Maybe long-term they want to transition to a new career. And it's putting that out in paper and showing them a way that the organization can support those efforts. Um, This is not new to public sector employment. The state of California um, does this within the judiciary. And um, I found in my prior experience working with the judiciary that many um, employees found a lot of value in this program. Along with that, we have a Leadership Development Academy, as many of you know, and probably have been through the boot camp um, prior to COVID. Um, We have reinstituted that program and it's going um, quite well. They're doing cohorts and instead of all day sessions, they are doing um, sub cohorts of different classes and frameworks every month. Well, I am going to be starting a new program and I I shouldn't say I, we are gonna be starting a new program, excuse me, um, with my team to do a new leader leader training program for individual contributors. So these are non-managers. These are people who seek to maybe go into management or maybe just want to have some different skill sets, facilitated conversations, things of that nature. And so we're going to be offering a a list of courses to um, all employees And we're going to be asking the organization, our organization management, to um, support these efforts and and giving people access to continual growth. Along with that, we are looking at expanding our current telecommuting policy, which Mark has been um, the chief proponent of this. And that will be coming out in November as well. We see this as a benefit and also a retention element because several employees learned during the pandemic that they had the ability to work very effectively from home. So these are our non-patient facing employees who have been already working from home, whether hybrid or totally remote. We're gonna be expanding this and using this as also a way to retain our talent. And last, expanding the SCIU Ed Fund training program. I wish we could take credit for this, but this actually is 100% SCIU led. Um, They have asked for our partnership in a, in a program that would look at MAs to LVNs or other type of promotional opportunities for our current employees. And so we're, we are about to begin talks about how we can make this happen and also what size of cohort it would be and all the different support that would be needed for the employee. Next slide, please. So back to the initiatives that we're doing for recruitment. I would start by saying that most of you know we have over 300 positions posted at any given time in the last year. This is not different than many other healthcare systems throughout the throughout any, I was gonna say state, but actually I think this is a commonality of probably national. Um, everybody's heard of the great resignation. Um, there's a lot of employees going to uh, work for um, contingent type 
employment opportunities, gig type employment opportunities, um, because there is a lot of bonus structures within them. And people have told me at least that they can make a whole year's salary in six to nine months. So um, these are some of our efforts to combat that. We're looking at sign-on bonuses. Uh, we always looked at sign-on bonuses for hard-to-fill positions. A lot of it was driven by department leadership if they had the budget for them. We're looking at putting together some type of plan that is more you know, systemic and not um, something done on as a one-off by the, by the individual department. Um, another topic that we've been discussing um, is not been put into place, but we're discussing whether we do stay bonuses for hard-to-fill. Um, or having a global program for stay bonuses. Um, I have broached the subject of doing um, uh, incentive PT and SAN staff to pick up shifts. So we're talking with SCIU to discuss an, you know, a pilot incentive program to incentivize employees to pick up shifts, especially in the areas identified above, um, since we have a really hard time um, filling those vacancies. I will tell you, though, that we have many employees working overtime, and they've been very dedicated. Maybe we believe that if we put in a structure that would capture the small percentage of employees that um, are not interested in extra shifts, it may incentivize them to maybe pick up some. Internal training programs, we're always at retooling our um, learning and development department, looking at training programs. Again, this goes back to some of the stuff I discussed on the prior slide with working with SCIU and partnering with the Ed Fund. Um, you know, we also have done something similar with um, CNA in prior years, and, and we'll be um, broaching, a top, broaching the same topic with them. Um, we already have an enhanced referral bonus in place. Um, and it gives a $2,000 bonus for current employees for referring RN to those critical areas. Next slide. Lastly, I want to kind of touch on what um, I will say is, uh, you know, a topic that we all know um, is affecting our caregivers, uh, mental health, access, and physical health. Um, wellness, employee wellness also falls under the HR umbrella, but it's shared with many different um, departments, including our physicians um, wellness program. Um, next slide. So if, um, this may look like a familiar slide because I captured that this was captured in our prior HR committee um, that we had last week. And it talks about our current wellness offerings and we have um, some physical wellness offerings along with access offerings, but the one that I think is crucial to today's conversation is we're looking at emotional social health. And so we've been doing wellness webinars. Many of you gotten the emails um, from our wellness department talking about Mindful Monday class. Um, our EAP program through Claremont has offered several um, different types of seminars online. This past year, we did the 1440 retreat. Um, we've engaged and um, went back to Swartz Center rounds. Um, one that is new that wasn't on my slide last week or wasn't on Sophia's slide last week was Open Sources Wellness Pilot Project. And that's because that all transpired this past week. And Open Sources Wellness is one of the um, providers from the 1440 retreat. It has probably been um, the one that we received the most feedback from, from the 1440 retreat. 
Um, and so we have engaged them to do a pilot project and we're looking um, to see if um, we can garner some of the same goodwill that came out of the 1440 project by taking time out for employees by department um, and looking at um, ways to have them connect. It also will facilitate team building since we have some departments non-patient facing that have not seen each other in you know a year, 18 months. Um, so I'm very excited about that and that we'll have more feedback about that after the first of the year. Um, our physician wellness director and patient relations manager also started uh, the care for the caregiver program, which is also another beta project, which is our insurance carrier. And so um, I, I, you probably have seen things come out this past week about this program, but it's received a lot of accolades nationally. I think that summarizes my presentation and I'm open to questions. Thank you, Ms. Jones. So as again, context, uh, we've had six pillars before. One of those pillars was just labeled workforce. And, and, and on the true North metric dashboard, I can't even remember what the item was. I think it was uh, time to uh, onboard or something like that. And um, I think, I think uh, this contemplation, again, today's about a contemplation, talks about how we can, uh, how we can evolve the organization's relationship with our people and evolve the culture, which is what I believe is happening under the current administration. Trustee Blue comments, your chair of the uh, HR committee of the board. Sorry, right mid bite. <laughs> um, well, we're just gonna keep working on that and hopefully get more feedback from the staff. And then Lorna will probably talk a little bit more about some of the uh, other initiatives that we're taking. But um, it really, it really is about building the trust that's been lost, right? And that's a long, it's a long walk to get to that point. But I think we're getting there. But but like quality uh, that mm -hmm. we had before, how do we measure this stuff? And uh, as I was kind of thinking to the discussion, what are the domains of this? And maybe this is an opportunity to apply steep as well to our people and our culture. For example, I'm making this up off the top of my head, safety number of workplace injuries, mm -hmm. timeliness, how long does it take to fill a position, effectiveness, how, what is our, how good are we at ret retaining people, um, efficiency, time to onboard, equity, obviously equity, we need to figure out how, what our patient, or what, our, what our employee equity uh, issues are. And then P is employee uh, centeredness, right? And that would be all these plans that we're talking about. Then it becomes sort of an easier dashboard to see, and it really elevates consideration of our people and our culture um, above time to hire. <laughs> Can I just uh, respond? Yes, ma'am. Uh, you and oh, then, I just... uh, uh, Ms. Jones, and then I always love what Trustee, Trustee Esteen will have comments on HR and our people, and then Mr. Fratsky, and then Ms. Jensen. Sure. I was I was just going to remind uh, or remark on your comment about the measurements. We do do usually what we use is employee satisfaction survey, which has not been run in a few years. Yeah. Um, there are elements of 
of the cultural safety survey that does measure employees' um, engagedness and also their safety um, within their existing culture and management structure. And then diversity, we started this week publishing a diversity dashboard for all employees, not just management. And then the exit interviews also goes to our retention of employees and the reasons for them exiting the organization. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Jones, can you make that, can you follow up on that comment? We haven't measured it in a few years, the employee satisfaction. Sure. Do you remember the, when the last time we did? It was, I believe, 2018. Um, yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> right. And usually and, it's run every two years. Um, yeah. We decided this year because culture safety was happening in March yeah. um, that we were going to run it in the fall because we had culture safety and then we had our just culture. And so we're going to run it in 2022, um, but it will be a good barometer for where we're at. Starting yes, point. I, 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 that that fact sort of put a light bulb on me uh, that we hadn't measured it since eighteen. And as they say, if you're not measuring it, you're not managing it. <laughs> um, Trustee Esteen, then Mr. Fratsky, then Trustee Jensen. Uh, I want to say thank you for this uh, presentation, Lorna, because hearing the emphasis on. Uh, not just recruiting talent, but also making sure people feel uh, like their retention is important and the, the ladder of, of success, the building and developing folks so that they can move through into those uh, vacant management positions that we have so that the folks can start to be within the system. And elevate. I think that's incredibly important. I'm trying to remember the exact phrase that you used. That wasn't recruitment, but it was. Uh, was it best within the system? It wasn't best. There was one word you used that I wanted to hold on to, but it escapes me right now. So just thank you for this because I know we talk a lot about how do we bring in more people, how do we educate them, how do we fight this uberization of. Uh, our nursing work especially. So I appreciate the efforts you're taking. Thanks, Trustee Esteen. Mr. Fratsky, sir, then Trustee Jensen. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, as we contemplate our pillars and which ones we keep, which ones we revise, which ones we collapse, et cetera, um, you know, our our people are our most important asset. It may sound cliche-ish, but it, it's, it's true. Um, it, and... Um, I guess, I don't know what to call a pillar like this, whether it's workplace um, or workforce and culture, but to me, it really is a standalone pillar um, that deserves all the attention that, that we can give it. Thank you, Mr. Frasky. Trustee Jensen. <clears throat> um, I, I appreciate the presentation as well. And I think um, I appreciate the way that um, the organization and Lorna is looking at how to improve employee satisfaction at work for all employees throughout the organization. And it, it doesn't just, it's people aren't just satisfied by getting a bigger paycheck. As we know, there has to be job opportunities. There has to be support at the workplace. And um, the other thing, but I want to focus on one of the things that's being discussed. And that is, um, that is telecommuting or remote work. And that's to, an option I think that this organization could really um, really invest in a little bit more. I, I say that 
obviously knowing that clinical positions couldn't be remote and um, we're going to have to have people in in our sites at our sites at times to patient facing care but there are many positions many positions in finance management IT education that could be done remotely at least two or three days a week for example um, many uh, the the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid services in 2014 began offering almost all staff in the regional office in San Francisco the opportunity to work remotely. This was after the um, after the recession. People had moved and been forced to move further out, and it it goes. It, it helped. It helped in retention at CMS, and it helped in job satisfaction, and and also it it, it addresses steep. And I want to talk about that for a, se- a second here because um, telecommuting and working remotely for a day up to two or three days a week or even permanently has a number of ish, a number of ways that it can address steep and in my opinion and in terms of safety for staff people aren't on the road they aren't rushing to get to work they aren't dropping their kids off and running to work they're 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 not having to find a house far away and, and commute in for people who can do this and and for positions and and um, work that is able to be done remotely. Timeliness, if you're if you're there and you plug in and turn on your computer, you are on time. It's a lot easier to be on time. And, and oh, let me just say safety too, because we've heard, especially at our um, Highland site, that people are coming to work and they're feeling unsafe sometimes at work. So that's another issue for some of our staff. Timeliness, um, people can be the timeliness of, of being in the meeting, being supplied, providing the product, that providing whatever services that the the staff is providing, effectiveness, um, of course, you can be. I personally work at home, and I I know in um, the city of Oakland, we've been trying to fill positions, and people say I supervise sites that are that are on site facilities, and people are not. Uh, when I tell them that it's going to be site based, they say, okay, thanks, but I'm not interested. That is what is happening now in this environment that we're in. So effectiveness and efficiency. I don't see any reduction in effectiveness and efficiency in the people that I work with and in my work, and I haven't heard from my boss that it's less efficient. Equity, certainly people who live nearby may be applying for these jobs rather than people who live further out, Who and that may be an equity issue. And finally, of course, person-centeredness. I think, in my opinion, that this will be supportive of our staff. So. I just wanted to throw that out there, and I hope that you'll continue to look at this area. And finally, of course, it could save money if we reduce the the number of cubicles for people at, at sites. We could reduce the money that we spend at all of our on all of our capital facilities. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. My heart is full. Thank you for the steep uh, uh, walkthrough on that one. Um, that was uh, just for you. <laughs> And it's all about me. Um, so thank you, Trustee Jensen. Great, great comments. Trustee Fox, sir. Uh, just to put the, the importance of the employee management and improvement issue in context, you know, I think if you buy a car, the dealership uh, may make it so that you could have that car and get it serviced there for years and maybe only interface with one or two public-facing people. You may never actually talk face-to-face with the the mechanic that services your car or the person that pulls your parts because the the dealership is able to manage who talks to you and how they do it. In a hospital, if you're a patient or a a visitor or a family member, there are literally 
hundreds of different employees that you may have a face-to-face -face encounter with during the course of a stay. And any one of those employees can make that an excellent experience for you or your family member in a stay or a very disappointing experience. And to me, that points out the importance of developing skilled and, and tactful and sensitive employees because we can't put a lid on who interfaces with our public. Um, we have to just do everything we can to make sure that everyone we hire and how, every, how we train everyone and support everyone results in a preponderance of favorable outcomes so that we can be seen as excellent years from now if that's what our goal is. Thank you for those words, Trustee Fox. Um, I want to, uh, of course, I'm looking around for if anyone and opening it up for comments again on a relatively small room we have. So uh, comments on uh, what Mr. Our COO said. Uh, he said it's a little bit of a cliche, but our people are our most valuable asset. Uh, I, I agree. I, I agree that this is deserving, whatever this is, our culture, our people. I agree that this is deserving of a standalone pillar. Um, one of the Bibles, which sits on my shelf, is this book, which said it's, it's called Patience Come Second. And um, uh, uh, it, it asserts that if you don't take care of your people in healthcare, how the heck can they take care and provide, execute high quality care for, for on behalf of the patients? If, you're, if your own people, your own caregiving team uh, feels unsafe or they feel like they're getting ripped off at work or they're unheard, how the heck are they going to be able to provide awesome, uh, an awesome experience uh, to um, to the patients. So, Trustee Jensen, is your hand up again? Got it. Thank you. Going around the room, any other comments on this section? I think everyone here is our kind of commitment to our people and our culture here. So, Ms. Jones, I appreciate you walking us through that item. Uh, we'll go to item B6 now, which is uh, a, a talk uh, by our uh, chief operating officer and our chief financial officer on considerations of sustainability. Um, Ms. Miranda, Mr. Fransky, the floor is yours. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, Kim, I'll bring, I'll bring up the presentation here. All right. Okay, um, so Kim and I spent a little time. Um, this will be brief. Um, James showed at the very beginning that the pillar of sustainability had mostly financial strategies under it, um, but it also advocated for safety net supplemental funding managing and managing the relationship with Alameda County. Um, those were the strategies that were kind of categorize or stuck under the, the sustainability. As Kim and I spoke, you know, to become a highly reliable organization over time to have that sustainability, it really does, the, the definition is much more broader and, than, than finance. And 
So, you know, it, to be sustainable and reliable, it's like every piston in the car has to work. Every area of a hospital and health system has to work. You can't fall off on quality. You can't fall off on being disciplined around operations, engagement, et cetera. If you do, then the outcome of your finances can suffer. And frankly, um, the financial results of an organization um, are very much dependent on the sustainability of all the other functions within a hospital or a healthcare system. So as Kim and I spoke, we said, you know what, this is a broad category for us. Um, We would recommend collapsing it or getting rid of it and being more specific around financial reliability and or growth. Um, Not sure how that would look, but certainly we didn't think sustainability was um, a pillar that you would only tuck finance up under. Kim, I'm going to stop. Much more than finance. Uh, Obviously, you know, we need to, we need to have a viable organization, you know, no, no revenue, no mission, so to speak. But uh, I think it needs the the pillar really does need to focus more on um, uh, appropriate due diligence or fiscal accountability or fiscal uh, responsibility, uh, something more along those lines, from my opinion. Or maybe others could weigh in. Nothing like a quiet room after you try to lo- after you try to tee people up, right, Kim? I know. <laughs> tr- tr- Trustee Bouquet, I did. Did were my comments at the beginning heard because my sc- screen froze? Were- um, I, I I myself got frozen out for about thirty seconds. I just presumed it was only me. Okay. Uh, I'm frozen, so I think we missed your baton pass to Kim. Mark, apologies. Can we can we do it again? And uh, Madam Clerk and Council, uh, I, I've been texted by Trustee Friedman that he got kicked out. So if you guys could help him, please, that I, that would be greatly appreciated. So, okay. Trustee Bouquet, do you want us to repeat? <laughs> um, if. Uh, uh, selfishly, I, I couldn't hear it, so if, if you don't mind, uh, and then we'll re- reframe. And now we're going to give people plenty of time to think about their additional comments. Yeah. So, so we won't have that 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 dead space. <laughs> okay. So I won't bring the presentation up yeah. again because I think that was part of the freeze, um, at yeah. least on my end. But, yeah. you know, and maybe Kim mentioned this, but um, we didn't see – sustainability being a, a a pillar, if you will, that we would continue. Um, we thought it was a broad term, a broad word, um, because organizations to sustain themselves long term, you know, have to hit on operations, engagement, all sorts of functions to be highly reliable and sustainable. So it's a broader category than just finance. And yeah. Um, not sure what, where to tuck finance. If finance and financial viability is considered an outcome of a high-functioning organization, then maybe it doesn't need its own pillar. Maybe, yeah. uh, or or we call it 
something else, financial reliability or something. But those were Kim and I, our thoughts as we were contemplating this pillar. I guess my comments is, uh, Trustee Friedman, welcome back. Uh, I guess my, my comments are ha- uh, operational viability, financial viability are, are, are the axle grease, which makes us work. So how, how do we not call them out? And I know, that, uh, Mr. Fresca, I know that that's not what you're asking. I, I know you're giving the contemplation. What do we call this? Do we, do, do we give it specificity? Do we call it operational and financial sustainability? Um, I, I, and I, I actually don't know the, the answer, which is why I'm, uh, we put this as an agenda item, because when it was before, sustain, you're right, sustainability is just so vague. You know, is there a steep measure for, for, for sustainability, I guess would be my questions. You know, as Kim and I were speaking, our words, we kept using the word reliable. Okay. Reliable, reliable, oh. reliable. And yeah. um, because to sustain yourself, you have to be reliable. And we kept coming back to that word. And I don't know what context to wrap around that word, if any, but that's what we kept coming back to. That's a good question. I see Trustee Esteen's hand up and then everyone's keep the wheels uh, spinning so we can help help our COO and our CFO on the subject. Trustee Esteen. Yeah, I think this is a, an important one to think about, especially as we consider, um, I would love to imagine financial independence of the the permanent agreement and uh, some kind of aspiration to get there. Also, a building of reserves, which is something that just isn't even in our model at this point. Um, you know, as we hear from trustees about uh, basics, missing from our institutions like EKGs and an ER. Um, Maybe I'm thinking a few steps ahead, Um, but we are strategic planning for the long term, right? So I I love the idea of reliability. Um, I I understand why sustainability was there. Of course, we want to be sustainable because that also lends itself to reliability. But for the sake of specificity, and even bearing in mind the last two, and I know two months uh, does not make a, a, a pattern, but even the last two months of our financial reports were so promising um, in our approach to, to revenue and profit. Um, is profitability a potential for a public institution, or is that way too far off? That's a question, yeah. but it's not necessarily a question that needs an answer. It's just, you know, as we contemplate. But I would love to imagine, um, I don't know how to cap- capture the word reserves, but, you know, it feels like security, reliability and security. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's so much intertwined here because our chief operations officer, his part of the shop has to keep things running efficiently. And that goes to sustainability, and that does go to reliability. And and concurrently, our chief financial officer has to make sure that she knows where our revenue sources are and coming in. That has to be reliable. You know, forty percent of our uh, of the till is supplementals. You know, so so uh, under Ms. Miranda's shop, she has to make sure that's being. On. These again, I I don't know what the answer is too, which is why I wanted to contemplate it in here. Trustee Splendorio, do you have some wisdom? Then Trustee Fox. 
Hold on. No, move on. Move on to 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 move on, please. And I'll I'll, I'll I'll let me swing back around. Yes, sir. Trustee Fox, sir. Well, I'm kind of torn because on the one hand, I feel it's it's a very it's a basic it's a basic thing. It's like keeping the chassis. You, know, <laughs> you mean the concept engine. of sustainability? Yes. Okay, got it. Uh, uh, and it's certainly something that needs to be on the minds of the board and senior administration all the time. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm not sure how uh, how significant it is to the market or to our employees because there's a basic assumption that if we're going to be excellent, then we're going to be sustainable. And, and maybe it's not something we should ask our employees to worry about on a day-to-day -day basis as much as we hope that they'll worry about their relationships with our patients and, and the quality of the work that they're turning out. So I don't know how, how well the rank and file uh, can really uh, plug into that and get excited by that because there's not much individually they can do uh, compared to what our responsibility is. I don't know if that sounds cohesive, but that's... No, no it does, and it's just sort of making me wonder, you know, it, ideally whatever we do at the top should kind of recapitulate itself down to every little element of the organization. So, you know, as a division chief for GI, I wonder about quality, our people, our culture, and if sustainability was there, that would be like, you know, am I hitting budget? You know, am I hitting my metrics for procedures? Um, I don't know. These are, uh, I, I think we we are going to be hearing later from our, or actually probably sooner rather than later, from our strategic consultants, and this is sort of what they do. And, and having them, having our COO and our CFO uh, uh, inform them with in the context of this discussion can be helpful because I think we can all agree we have to give consideration to these things because without Ms. Miranda and Mr. Frasky, you know, uh, no margin <laughs> and and we can't fulfill what we need to do. Mr. Frasky, you have your hands back up, sir. Yeah, thank you, uh, Trustee Bouquet. Um, I'm glad we're talking about it and um, because it is really fuzzy, at least for me. Um, but I'm really hopeful that as we go through the strategic planning process and determine our vision and where we want to go and what we want to do, that the right words or the right pillar around all this will come to light in some yeah. fashion and, and we'll figure it out. Um, yeah. Not having a perfect answer today is okay. Um, it's, it's just the kickoff, if you will, of trying to determine um, what we do around these. Yeah. I agree, and uh, today is a contemplation, right? So we're we're not here to make decisions. We're here to guide decision makers for us, which include ourselves, our our executives, and and our consultants. And I I do like what uh, Trustee Fox said: is this has to be the messaging has to be on, right? That our our rank and file staff should be able to say what our pillars are and what they mean, you know. And uh, you're right, sustainability is was sort of like. A, nebulous maybe a little ethereal like what 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 is that you know so uh i think uh i think there's sort of a lot of food for thought here ms miranda 
I just want to add, or just maybe it's repeat, but uh, I think I agree with everything everyone said here. I would like to see something that people can understand, which is more like fiscally responsible. You know, yeah. I don't know the right exact pillar or words or how it fits in, but we need to be responsible. And I think uh, I think we will do fine if we can create a reliable organization. So yeah, maybe we call it keeping the lights on. <laughs> uh, Mr. Jackson, sir, any comments, sir? Actually, I, I like keeping the lights on. Um, <laughs> I am intrigued by the, and I'm, I'm grateful that Mark said it and others reemphasized, this is a, a day of contemplation and deliberation. We're not, we don't have to finalize this today, but I think it's good that we're exploring this. Um, I was struck by uh, Trustee Esteen's comments regarding profitability and that's something that trustee Splendorio has talked about in the past and you know I'm pretty clear that as a not-for-profit organization we're not looking to we don't make a profit what we do need is a margin and we do need to have positive financials but any positives are plowed back into the operation when they're not going to settle other expenses and so um, you know great food for thought um, and I'm just grateful for the dialogue thank you sir I knew Trustee Splendario would put his great brain on this and has something smart to say. Well, I don't know if it's uh, <laughs> great brain. That, 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 that was lost 20 years ago. Uh, uh, <clears throat> if I ever had one. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this is uh, pr profitability. Or, I mean, I look at it as a different way. Sustainability, I mean, let me, let me state the obvious. We have a backstop, and that's called the county. In, in, a, in a very you know you know obvious way that people don't really talk about that well because we're here because the county is required to provide a lot of the services that we provide. Having said all that, um, you know we want to be profitable or we want to have a margin, like James said, because we need to invest in the future. We need to invest in our people. We need that's why we need profitability or whatever whatever you want to call it a margin. And we, we we you know we can't operate um, in the negative all the time because at some point that's going to affect our mission and if our mission is quality care then uh, we cannot keep up with the times right right we can't keep up with people are doing down the street or across the bay so that's why it's important and I think our real job here is because everyone has a you know everyone has a basic understanding that you, know, you want to try to have a balanced financial right you know that the money you bring in is more or less about what you're spending right that makes you know people uh, you know except for perhaps the federal government but that's another story everybody else sort of understands that and our job is really to explain how ahs does that and that's and i don't think more than than beyond that right i think you know that the details are going to get lost very quickly but to, ex to explain that our, our sustainability really means providing, investing in our future, investing in whether it's equipment or people, or however we do that, that's what I think we need to explain. Yes, sir. Thank you. Trustee Friedman, sir. Yeah. Uh, to me, basic concept of sustainability is to get it going good and keep it going good. Uh, in simple terms, and you know, I agree with what's been said. And 
we have a mission, we have a charge from the county, from the citizens, and we have to fulfill that to the best of our abilities. And we really don't have an option of not doing that. Um, so to me, sustainability is in some sense a theoretical concept, but in practical terms, it means just keep fulfilling our mission and expand our ability to do that as we can. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. Any other comments? Mr. Amy, good, evening, good afternoon, sir. Good morning, sir. <laughs> hey, Jeff, good morning. Uh, yeah, I just want to underscore, I've uh, been uh, you know, contemplating somewhat where um, we take uh, much of the technology uh, that we are invested so heavily in in the organization. And I will say there is so many things I believe that as an organization we could do, going back to uh, James's comments about wanting to make us the best safety net out there, but that all takes resources in order to do. You know, it's, it's great to say we want to have some of these aspirational um, goals, but if we don't have the funding to drive them, and so th I think this part of the conversation is so important with where we're going to go. So it's just really to underscore the conversation we're having here. Yes. Yes, sir. Your part of the shop is part of keeping the lights on. Uh, it knows, uh, uh, People don't appreciate sometimes how uh, critical IT is until it doesn't work. And um, so, uh, yeah, giving attention uh, is, is very important. Thank you, Mr. Amy. Trustees, other comments on this? All righty. Now, so I have two things I have to consider here. One, I, one of my trustees, Trustee Esteen, has, a, is it a hard at, at noon, Trustee Esteen? It's a hard, okay. Um, so we're at 10:35. We were supposed to go in. Uh, we're actually running a little bit ahead of time. So I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative that we're having a good dialogue and still ahead of its time. I'm going, uh, but I don't want our consultants just to be surprised. Um, our Huron consultants. I'm going to call a, 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 a break. 10:35. This is a bio break or whatever you need. Uh, we will come back at 10:45, and we'll go into session two, which is developing our strategic plan. The agenda, unfortunately, was a little bit wrong. It says 30 minutes. This is probably going to be a 90-minute contemplation, and then we're going to take a lunch break right after that. So we'll come back at 1045 for session two, and this is entitled Developing Our Strategic Plan. So having everyone's brain on that one will be really important. So see everyone at 1045 in nine minutes, if that's acceptable. Um, Mr. Jackson, uh, Mr. Frasky, uh, is uh, is Huron available? Yes, Leslie Grimmer is on the call. I saw her icon. Oh, on I see. I, uh, yeah, I see, see Miss Grimmer's. Uh, hello, Miss Grimmer. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, what, uh, okay, if we kick off in about nine minutes. Um, yes, I will uh, likely still be in a little bit of transition from an okay. early flight I took this morning, but will certainly, if you'll give me some forgiveness for a little puffiness, I will, I will be ready. Absolutely. And I think our CEO and COO can give us some lead comments to buy you a little bit of time. Thank you. All right, all let's uh, see, let's reconvene uh, at 1045 in eight minutes. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate session one where we sort of contemplated our pillars. Uh, obviously, just to remind no decisions were made, but hopefully that discussion informed how we're going to reimagine ourselves. Session two, this is uh, 
I don't know a lot of marquee presentations, but this 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 is sort of what a board is here for to help develop a strategic plan. Um, I'm going to give this um, to Mr. Jackson and Mr. Fratsky to make introductions. Audience, we're, 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 we, we've allocated, uh, it says 30 minutes. This is actually a 90 minute allocation for us. And, and um, uh, here on team, that should also uh, hopefully include time for, for discussion and dialogue with you guys. And I, I, think, I think it does. So Mr. Jackson, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Fratsky, uh, floor is yours. Excellent. Thank you very much for this opportunity. This is um, something that we've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, the strategic plan is something that my predecessor um, intended to initiate and then a little thing called COVID happened. And so um, it did not get kicked off previously. And so we are not necessarily behind the the eight ball, but we're a little bit behind the curve. And so um, this is a great opportunity for us. And so a couple of months ago, and you see our, our planning process here on screen, which I will not read to you, but um, in order to identify the right partner to take us through our strategic planning process, um, our board chair, Chair Bouquet, and uh, Mark Fratsky and I initiated an RFP process and really had four, I think, top flight firms to talk to. It wasn't a matter of any one of them failing as much as it was that one really stood out from the rest, and that was Huron. And that's um, uh, enhanced by the fact that they have a subdivision called InnoSite, which really does specialize in this type of work. And Huron's experience with safety net organizations and um, with like organizations to AHS, in addition to their familiarity with us, given that they're, Huron's here working on the best initiative, building excellent sustainability and trust, really led us to believe that they were the right partner for us. And so I'm excited to be able to turn the floor over to Ms. Leslie Grimmer and her associates to talk to us about how they will lead us through this strategic planning process. So Leslie, the floor is yours. Thank you. Good morning, all. Good morning. So to introduce you to the team that we have assembled here today, I am uh, Leslie Grimmer with um, our uh, performance improvement and strategy um, arm of, uh, of Huron Consulting. I have 30 years of, of healthcare consulting experience um, and uh, will be the um, executive leader for the work that we'll do um, together um, in strategic planning. Martin McKittrick, who's also on the call, is um, a senior director with our group, and he's the day-to-day -day engagement lead. And then we also have Andy Waldeck, who is a partner with our InnoSight team, who will be sharing um, a great deal about how we think about strategy um, from a um, future back perspective. Casey Loader, who's not able to be with us today, but will also be um, engaged, and um, you'll hear from him um, throughout the next several months. And then um, also our um, our team, Sean Cleary, Mike Gladstone, and Matthew Thompson are, um, at, Sean and, and Matthew are on the call or, or will be shortly. Um, they're running the, um, the work that we're um, currently engaged with you on around performance improvement. And that collaboration is, uh, we think, one of our strongest points that we, we know uh, Alameda and uh, will bring that uh, depth and richness to the plan um, as we move forward. So 
So what we thought we would cover today in the 90 minutes is um, really a refresh or uh, a review of our statement of understanding, uh, a little bit more about Huron and, and Inasite, uh, the strategic planning approach and methodology, the deliverables in the timeline, uh, and then um, a Q&A. And we're really hopeful that we'll have an interactive discussion and not save all the questions till the end, um, but we certainly have um, at least 30 of the 90 minutes reserved uh, for us to have an interactive conversation. So please feel free uh, to chime in. We'll, we'll pause a few times through the session to, um, to ask for questions, but uh, by all means, please feel comfortable uh, just uh, stopping wherever um, you have uh, something that needs to be or is interested in being discussed interactively. Thank you, Ms. Wimmer. Trustees, so... Um... Yeah, uh, you just had permission from our, our speaker. Uh, uh, so we may not be able to see a hand raised, so you can just say a hum or something like that to give her a cue. Mm -hmm. So what we uh, were, um, were asked and what we understand the organization was interested in um, during that selection process was um, to develop a three to five year strategic plan uh, refreshing and, and being thoughtful around your mission, your vision, and uh, reconsidering the pillars, which, um, you know, great discussion already um, happening this morning. Uh, enhance alignment between the board leadership and, and the team in general, and by the team, uh, we, we cast a very broad net there, your physicians, your staff, your frontline leaders, et cetera. We intend this to be a very inclusive uh, process. Chart the course uh, to redesign, reposition, and reimagine. Um, analyze and prioritize your market, um, as well as uh, the value that you're delivering within your community. And then um, equip Alameda to drive towards those outcomes of culture, culture operational excellence, high reliability, financial stability, and growth and retention, um, much of what we talked about earlier. So that um, is what we have been asked to do. And, and this will be a great opportunity for me to pause here and, and just ask, are there any other uh, goals that this, um, the, this board feels like we should be thinking about as we embark on refreshing the plan? Thanks, Ms. Grimmer, for that first off. Trustees, please speak up. So Ms. Grimmer sort of given the forecast of what they understand their engagement with us to be. Silence. <laughs> All right, think about it if you, and she can come back to this slide later. Uh, um, Ms. Groomer, maybe at the end, this is a great way to, we'll start back at the beginning at the end and, and see while trustees have time to think if that's okay with you, ma'am. Perfect. Uh, yep. one, one item. There we go. If I could, and that is, um, <laughs> Will this include uh, charting our course for uh, enhancing our relationship with our physicians? It, it will include everything that you think is important in terms of positioning you in the future. I would agree um, charting the course with your physicians is absolutely um, a must and so we'll talk about exactly what that needs to look like as we um, interact together. Okay. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Can I say that a little um, bit different? Go ahead, Tracy. Uh, now the conversation starts. Good job. <laughs> the, the second 
the second bullet point, enhance alignment between the board leadership and the team. Who is the team? So is that as the workforce? Absolutely. Um, frontline leaders all the way down to staff. And one of the first things that we'll be working with is identifying who those constituents are that we should be connecting with to get a broad representation of what's important for the future of the organization. That's great. I mean, I, I, I w wonder if we could say something about our partners, alignment yeah. between the board leadership and all partners, including the workforce or board leadership workforce and partners that's just my position really and adding the physicians to that as well i would i would add yep agreed and the county <laughs> other partners that you would um define there other than than the workforce and the team miss grimmer the county uh supervisors yep okay and the county administrator So uh, I, I, we could put that under internal and external partners. Other questions? Just, uh, you guys all said what I was going to say, but really the term is, is stakeholders. Yeah. Right. Partners, stakeholders. That's, that's, we have several. And just and if you just change that, I don't, I don't know what enhanced alignment means, but, uh, <laughs> but the relationship between board leadership and all stakeholders, whether that's employees, doctors, county, you know, anybody else. Labor. Well, I said employees, I think. Community organizations and clinics. All right, good job, trustees. So noted. Thank you. Any other bullets uh, to help uh, our Huron partners out? All right, Ms. Grimmer, if you'll come back to this at the end, like I just said, and that way we can, uh, you see, sometimes we just got to get the ball rolling on, on yep. uh, the floor is back. So a little bit about Huron and Innosight. Uh, we are a, a global uh, firm in many industries. Healthcare is our largest um, industry segment. And uh, within um, healthcare, we specialize specifically in uh, strategy and innovation, care, uh, financial and operational excellence, a, a big topic of this morning's discussion, uh, technology and analytics, and um, really leadership excellence. A little bit about our urban, uh, major urban uh, public health system strategy work. Uh, we've been in, um, engaged with, recently with Harris Health System in Houston, with Parkland in Dallas, and with Hennepin um, in Minneapolis, working on uh, full strategic plan development, as well as service line uh, positioning and um, how these organizations uh, want to prepare for uh, and position themselves for the future. Andy, are you um, on the call? Yes, I see Andy. I think. Andy, you're on mute, sir. There we go. That's better. Uh, that explains why Leslie couldn't find me. She couldn't hear me talking. <laughs> uh -huh. um, 
so I, I thought I'd just spend a little bit of time talking about uh, our practice uh, and really the kind of foundations that inform how we think about these questions of strategy. Um, so uh, you see the term uh, disruptive uh, in the headline, and that's very, very deliberate. Uh, our practice was started over 20 years ago by a professor at the Harvard Business School named Clayton Christensen, who's the academic who has uh, who coined the, the notion of disruption. Uh, his area of research was, was asking the, the general question of why is it so hard for organizations to sustain performance over an extended period of time. And what he uncovered was that organizations with success uh, build routines around that success. It becomes embedded in their culture. And then when the environment around them changes, it, they find it incredibly hard for them to adjust and to respond accordingly. So our practice exists to help organizations to navigate these challenges by understanding these patterns of industry change as well as organizational and individual change in order to help uh, systems to be more sustainable long-term. And so we bring a number of different disciplines to bear in helping clients to wrestle with those questions. Uh, at the heart of it are really questions of strategy. Uh, who do you wanna be? Why does that make sense? And most importantly, how do you allocate your resources but also an understanding of how does an organization uh, need to change how it's organized uh, how do leaders and behaviors, uh, leaders need to change uh, their behaviors uh, to be consistent with new ways uh, of operating going forward. So uh, there's a number of different pieces of thought leadership uh, that support the work we do, but we've been building this methodology uh, over the last uh, 20 years. On the next page, we talk a little bit about our, our philosophies around strategy. Uh, my colleagues just wrote a book called Lead for the Future where they describe the, the way in which we think about strategy, which is really working from the future back. So if part of the challenge that organizations have is, you know, there's kind of an inertia in an organization for it to look like it does today into the future, if you really want to step back and reimagine, uh, we think you need to do that from a future orientation. And so the process that we'll talk about that we'll go through together is really starting first by assessing how we think the market is going to be evolving over the next five to seven to ten years. That's not to suggest we have some wonderful crystal ball uh, or magic eight ball or whatever your favorite uh, analogy is in the back that helps us have better predictive powers than anyone else, but the dialogue around a shared set of assumptions around the competitive environment, the environment for our consumers, the environment for our workforce and for our physicians to our earlier conversation about driving alignment there, we find that incredibly important to share, to shape a shared view of what that future environment look like, looks like. And that future environment might have a great deal of uncertainty associated with it, but even that is informative to help uh, drive how quickly and fast you can move in a certain direction. So it's about the ability to imagine uh, what the future uh, of our markets look like and then ask the question, who do we want to be in the future? What is that future vision? And then work backwards to where the real work is, which is ultimately shifting and influencing where we allocate our resources, where we focus our efforts and our energies over the course of the next 12 to 24 to 36 months. And so our, our process thinks quite open-endedly at the front end of it. We look at ways that we can continue to do what we do today and do it better. That's maximizing the core. How do we extend it? And in some cases, we might even evolve into things that are entirely new. All of that in service 
of being able to close the gap that exists between what we do today and uh, and our future ambition. And so we'll we'll spend more time uh, on subsequent pages talking through specifically what does this process look like uh, in your context. But the the frame we bring to this is very much one of a future focused and work backwards to then to then determine you know what are the set of changes that need to be made in the near term. So uh, before I go to the next page, I, I did want to just hit pause and, and open up uh, space for questions. Again, we're going to spend the bulk of this presentation walking through how we actually do this work, but recognize uh, some of you might have questions uh, around the, uh, the overarching philosophy. I see at least one hand raised. Yep. Oh, miss, oh uh, awesome. Mr. Walton, welcome, sir. I see your hand raised. Hi, thank you. Andrew, I had a quick question and really just clarifying. A lot of this sounds to me like foresight tools that we'd be using. And so I just wanted to mm -hmm. see if that is really what's informing the approach that you are taking. Uh, so, so that would be part of it. Part of it also is getting um, alignment around how are we performing today? What, what, are the, what are the assets we have? What are the gaps that we have? And all of this is really to then foster a discussion about um, what are the limited set of things we are going to invest our scarce resources behind? And so we'll use a bunch of different tools to do that. Some of that is stepping into the future, which is just a technique to pull people out of just the tyranny of the day-to-day. -day. But ultimately, it has to be driven back to what are our priorities? How are we going to measure these things? What are we holding ourselves accountable to? And how do we sequence uh, those moves over the next uh, 36 months? Any other trustees? I can't see everybody because in the mode I'm in. So to speak up if you have a question for Andy. All righty, sir, keep it going. <laughs> okay, uh, so the next page uh, just uh, shows a couple of different places. Um, if we go two pages forward. So on the next uh, slide, we just highlight um, some of our experience. Um, and you know, all of these are different uh, examples, be it working with uh, one of the leading uh, academic systems as they were working to then combine with a regional pair. Uh, I spent three years leading our work with the leadership team at Aetna where we helped them to migrate from, in their world, they described it as a wholesale provider, right? Uh, um, insurance uh, sold uh, through the employer channel and participating in the government programs to actually shifting that company to really be consumer and its orientation. That's why they're now part of CBS. Uh, or working with a number of different delivery systems around the country to help them imagine what might they look like in the future, how do they shift and alter uh, what has made them successful over time. The commonalities I'd pull across all of these are, you know, all of these organizations are contemplating some level of change both change externally and probably more importantly, change internally. And so, uh, you know, again, back to the question of how to future back work, all of our techniques are built to enable an organization to wrestle with the question of who do you want to be embedded behind that is what do we believe is the degree of change required? So if we really want to rebuild our relationships with physicians, we want to be partnering with them. We have a number of other stakeholders we want to partner with. You're building on a lot of strengths, but also importantly, you have to do some things differently. And so how do you prioritize what those important changes are uh, and how do we focus, um, uh, again, uh, scarce resources on the areas where it matters the most? 
Leslie, I think you're uh, on the next page, if I remember the right show correctly. I am. Thank you, Andy. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit more about the characteristics of of our strategy um, practice and, and again, who, who we are. You know, as Andy described, breakthrough innovation experience and uh, industry-leading operational and strategy solutions. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're really, um, our, our process is really founded in an inclusive dialogue um, across your diverse constituents, which again, appreciate the input, you know, that we discussed before, physicians, staff, leadership and board. Um, we don't come with the answers, but instead we, we have um, a set of principles, um, guidelines and unique points of view on where to focus the strategy and really what matters the most. And um, hopefully you'll find that we are um, humble, collaborative, and um, that you'll find this to be a, a distinctive experience. Um, we uh, are currently engaged with you, as I mentioned earlier, um, on the performance improvement work. And, and I um, have really enjoyed, even within my short tenure within the organization over the last several weeks, uh, really watching the dynamic across the leadership team of Alameda and the Huron team, um, and just really how, um, how um, uh, collaborative and um, really fun that, that, that they are together. And, and I think there's just a great deal of, of mutual respect between those teams. And, um, and that's, you know, really a great start. Um, and with that, um, is Matthew on? Do you want to talk a little bit about um, the current uh, body of work, the work that we've done with Alameda in the past, and, and really just how um, we're starting off this engagement, really knowing um, Alameda? Yeah, thank you, Leslie. Uh, this is this is a great opportunity for for Huron to further partner with Alameda Health System. I use the word partner because that's truly what what we like to undergo as a firm. We don't like anything transactional. We we under we like to have an opportunity to really understand you as a board, you as a leadership group, you as a as a system, and then understanding the stakeholders and how best can we bring solutions and strategy to you to help make some very informed, very specific decisions on how you're going to continue to move forward. So as Leslie said, we're currently within, uh, through a best initiative that we brought to the board a number of, a few months ago, we're actively working on that through revenue cycle management, supply chain management. We're looking at operation or the, the, the care optimization model and how your patients are moved through your system. And where, where, where that becomes important is that's that those processes then become the root within the strategy and then the the ability to really move your vision and in the in the system forward i like the word that was used earlier it's with stakeholders because truly the stakeholder approach within within huron is important for us we've been in this market the san francisco market for some time through sutter and kaiser and ucsf but what we don't do is we don't bring we don't bring a a a, a a cookie cutter approach to your system. So our understanding and our knowledge and our ability to help you make changes is our ability to understand who you are as a system and who you are as a culture. And we're, we're, we're excited to have the ability to not only work with you on your operational transformation, but also the strategy in which Alameda Health System is gonna move forward within the next one, two, three, and five years. So we're, we're happy to be here. Uh, we've, uh, I know there's been, uh, Sean Cleary and I have had an opportunity to come to the board a few times. Uh, we're again grateful to be here and as, as these conversations move forward, 
if there's anything that, that we can help leverage or further understand, we're, we're on the phone and on the, on the screen ready for you guys to, 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 to work with. Thank you, Matthew. Before we get into more detail around the approach, just wanted to pause as we kind of finish this section on uh, who you're on and in a site um, um, are and um, how we'll be working together kind of culturally. Any um, other questions? Yeah, I have a question on that. Um, everything you've laid out, uh, looks well organized and uh, obviously you have a tremendous amount of experience and not just with us, but with similar organizations. Here's my concern. Um, a challenge for us is to reflect the community that we're in, our community of patients, our community of healthcare providers throughout the county. And I'm wondering where does the grassroots integration of the community and community organizations and the patient community come into the strategic plans um, that you're laying out here? And I think there's also um, a challenge that the personnel that you have doesn't really reflect our community that we serve. Well, I'll take the first um, point and, and and that goes back to really those stakeholder, um, the stakeholder involvement. We actually had a conversation with um, James and Mark um, last week around, um, you know, how can we get that community voice? Is there um, community representation, you know, on the board of trustees? Are there employers um, that, you know, that have that representation? And again, one of the first things that we'll do um, going into the project is really um, taking a look at who are those constituents that we need to be um, discussing and and really sketching out those contact points and those engagement sessions within the first um, week or so of the engagement. And so um, I, at this point, don't know exactly who those are or how the best way is to get to get that voice, um, but certainly um, here in short order, we will identify and and welcome your input as to who you know who those are, how those groups are to best um, integrate and collaborate into the process. And uh, another point <laughs> I might add, oh, a point I might add to to Leslie's point. We'll talk a bit and just like how do we work. And the way in which we develop strategy, and we'll talk about this notion of dialogues where we'll bring this group together, a subset of this group, um, and in other engagements, we have as well uh, invited other participants. And so I could imagine there might be community representatives that you might want to have participate in some portion of those conversations. Uh, there's goods and bads for having participation in and out, but that's certainly a design uh, choice we have in front of us. Uh, as well, uh, part of the upfront process is really market understanding and market evaluation. And so being able to talk to the right set of stakeholders, uh, again, you can help direct us as to who you think would be best and most appropriate. But I think there's multiple ways to bring uh, kind of local market insights uh, into the process and happy to talk further about some of the design choices we have to do that. Thanks, Andy. Other questions? And we'll move into more detail around 
the approach. So we have a number of slides here that take um, a, a variety of, of um, different cuts at, at this to help paint the picture of how we'll go through uh, the next couple of months with you. And, and this is really um, the, a distilled version of the major activities. Really in this phase one, understanding um, the future environment, we're looking really at what we call an, in, an outside in view of Alameda. So what is uh, the current industry trends? What's going on in your market? And, and the position that you are playing within your market, what are the historical strengths and challenges um, of your current delivery model? And uh, that will spend a lot of time just really um, looking at, at data, um, having interviews, talking to different people. Again, the best in, uh, engagement that Matthew described is um, also a really great way to, um, excuse me, to um, continue to understand what those um, challenges and, and strengths are of the organization. And we'll, we'll synthesize all of that and go into then phase two, which is where we define uh, the future aspiration. And that again is via collaborations and a lot of input, input from the numerous stakeholders that we've discussed. So we'll be defining your uh, view of the of the future and uh, your uh, desired position within that, your role within the community, and we'll size and scope that um, that ambition both um, from a strategic and a financial perspective. And then we'll also consider the implications of that ambition um, on strategic priorities. What, for example, uh, do you need to double down on and, and do more of? What do you need to start? What should you stop, um, et cetera? And then again, organizational blockers and um, the, the capability gaps that will be um, necessary to overcome in order to activate that strategy. Within phase three, that's really the inside out look. So um, really taking a look at, at a lot of detailed operational um, and performance information um, across the enterprise. What, for example, service lines um, are, are strengths for you where you have some challenges um, across different areas um, and specialties um, where across your locations uh, are you um, stronger or um, weaker mirrored again with that market um, position and your market share across those services and um, and and facilities will continue to identify uh, key gaps and estimate investments needed to close those gaps. In phase four is really where we plan to get there. Um, we will develop uh, roadmaps and determine uh, owners, milestones across those uh, that journey of the roadmap. And we'll also discuss how to communicate uh, back to key stakeholders um, to get everyone aligned on that path. So as we engage with, uh, with you and the other stakeholders, to give you an example of the kinds of questions that we'll be asking and the information you know, that we'll be seeking from you. What is the, what does future success look like for Alameda? Um, how does your ongoing diversity, equity, and inclusion effort align with your uh, strategic aspirations? How are you positioned to meet the evolving needs 
clinical service lines and programs and how what which ones do you believe should be expanded and and maybe perhaps even exited and you know how would um, Alameda go about implementing the new strategic plan so as we think forward to execution so this is just an example of of, of the kinds of things that we'll be asking you and and look forward to um, seeking your input and you want to talk a little bit about our approach uh happy to uh Kat, are you gonna ask a question no i was just gonna say Andy, that, that 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 uh i think that last slide was a great slide because uh, those are the things that we need to they're, they're hard questions and uh a lot of time needs to be spent by them because without that data you guys can't make a plan help us with planning so um i'll i'll, I'll ask everyone in the room to uh have a copy of the uh, of that and uh, think about what your answers might be. I, I know I was going through that exercise when I saw our preview of the slide set. Um, uh, great, great questions. Yep, and um, and it, it, it's because those questions are hard and there is analysis that has to be done to support that. That is part of why we think um, this feature back approach is relevant. So maybe we could go back just one page. Um, so the the ability to start to narrow in on what are the assumptions we have about the future, how much it'll change, wrestling with the question of who do we want to be, and and all of this you could think of as kind of a narrowing down process as we go forward and as we start to bring to bear more and more of the analytics to support it. But we think it's incredibly helpful in the early days to really spend time thinking outside in both. What are the needs of your market? How are those needs changing? How are they consistent? Um, and then bringing incremental analysis and data into the equation, both to talk about sources of strengths and gaps we have today, how the market is evolving, and then really get into a set of choices that you have. And what are the respective uh, puts and takes associated with each of those choices? So then again, you can narrow down on what are the limited set of things that we're going to put disproportionate resource and effort behind, and then how do we start to sequence that work? So working future back, we think, uh, creates more uh, opportunity for exploration, more opportunity for questioning and examination, but ultimately then uh, arrives at what you're looking for, which is the clarity and the alignment around what are we doing next and why does that actually make sense? Uh, I, I referenced, if we go to the next page, uh, this notion of dialogues. Um, one of the things that we find is most organizations, and again, you all might be different, but most organizations uh, lack the mechanisms that allow them to spend focused time wrestling with um, the difficult questions um, that Leslie walked through two slides ago. And so we think carving out dedicated time to engage in a dialogue around strategy is really important. And we think that should be a collaborative process, uh, partly because it is a very helpful mechanism to drive alignment and shared understanding. And with that alignment and shared understanding, we believe also then, also then leads to shared commitment to do things in a way that's different. And so we're imagining kind of three dialogues and we'll, we'll take you through an initial cut at what those might look like on the next page. But the process is let's bring a group of leaders together. Let's bring together the right stakeholders from different organizations. Let's engage in focused discussions where we bite off portions of the problem 
and then work sequentially to build uh, common understanding and common alignment. And these are, these are working sessions, right? So this is not your outside consultants coming in um, with a huge stack of papers and just plowing endlessly through. Um, these are collaborative working sessions. They are bringing in uh, elements of design as well as, you know, analysis that we've done as a working team throughout. And again, what we're trying to do is create a shared experience for you that drives alignment and then ultimately uh, shared commitment. Um, on the next page is an initial sketch we have of how we might use our time. And as you can see, the, the first uh, dialogue would really be focused on creating space for you all to drive to initial alignment around your future aspirations. Uh, said differently and much more plainly, who do you wanna be and why? And so our, our goals would be to drive alignment around what that future environment looks like. So let's first get clear on what we think the future is gonna be um, and then spend time around what is actually the true north? Who do we wanna be in that future environment? Uh, I, I was just in Detroit yesterday and our practice did work with the Ford Motor Company back in 2016 when they decided to get out of small cars and move aggressively into electrification and mobility. And so it was, it was really important to have a dialogue with that team around their shared assumptions around how the market for automotive and for travel and for mobility was gonna change. When was electrification really gonna come in, in which countries, over what time frame? And the, while that might sound like an activity to align on a specific forecast, what it really is, is an ability to paint a picture that says, we're generally aligned, the market is gonna evolve in this way. Do we have the right focused activities that get us to a point that closely aligns with where that might be? In Ford's case, they could look at a range of assumptions around electrification, how quickly that was gonna happen. They could then look back into their own R&D shop and they could see a pretty substantial mismatch between the two. And so again, we wanna have a dialogue first about what do we think the future looks like? Who might we be in that future? And we might even have a couple different versions of that, um, but that helps us to then uh, get some level of alignment and then really step into the second dialogue, which is then much more focused around what is the nature of the sets of services? What role do we really play in the community? Now we're starting to talk about shape and scope in that conversation. That then allows us to go to the third one to then talk about, okay, how do I put all the pieces together? So this is where you then start to talk about, these are the things we're gonna be investing in. These are gonna be the choices that we've made. These are gonna be how we're gonna sequence all of these actions. And you, you kind of see a consistent flow of introduce the topic in one, come back to it in the second, introduce a new topic, come back to it in the third, because we find that this is really an iterative process with most teams. Most groups want the ability to think a couple of times about some of these questions. Um, so this is just an initial sketch. We will further refine this in terms of topics we cover, participants, as we've talked about uh, in this conversation as well, uh, in further shape. But this gives you a little bit of a sense of how we take the activities that Leslie described a couple pages ago, the questions we try to solve, and then how do we bring that together in a set of interactive working sessions with you all uh, to then uh, to then progress through uh, through the work. So so maybe this would be another good good point to just pause, uh, get questions, uh, reactions uh, that any of you might have. Trustees. 
Um, this is Tracy. I have a question, actually. And this question is more for um, for leadership, for um, James and, and his staff. And I'm going to ask this question, even though James and his staff weren't here when the, to the issue that I'm alluding to. But about a year, um, Kath, you'll remember a year and a half ago. Well, actually, it was more than that, about two and, and a half years ago. There was a similar outreach to partners and, to, and interview sessions and that type of um, discussion. And we, there was a lot of information gained. There was a lot of information provided. There were reports. There was changes in um, financial financial systems to a certain extent. There was allocation of resources, allocation of debt, allocation of expenses. And so how is all that fitting into this project here, which it sounds like there's maybe some duplication. I'm sure that things have changed. The environment has changed. But uh, it seems like we did some of this already. And pretty robustly. So, if I may, um, Chair Bouquet, may I respond? Uh, of course, sir. Thank you. Um, I appreciate the comment, Trustee Jensen. And what I would offer is that um, there's a bit of a reoccurring theme. Um, recently, in our mock survey, one of the comments that we heard was, "You, as a AHS, you have a lot of data, but it's not clear what you're doing with it." And I'm. It's probably a bit of a stretch, but I think the analogy holds. Um, it is imperative that we operationalize the learnings that we receive. And so I, I cannot speak directly to the, the information that you're referring to, but the concept resonates with me. Um, one of the things that you will hear from the Huron group is that there is a plan to revisit all of this work on a regular basis, on an annual basis, if not sooner, to really make sure that we are doing what we committed to do by virtue of this sort of a plan and to course correct as needed along the way. And so this by no means is something that will be built and then put on a shelf and then looked at in three to five years and we say, boy, did we do any of this? Um, far from it. That's exactly the opposite of what I believe will happen, but the proof will be in the pudding. Um, we have to be held to account. Thank you, sir. Trustee Splendorio, sir. You're on mute. This is for Andrew. If you could go back like the last two or three slides, I just want to confirm something and then ask a, a question slowly. Oh yeah. This uh, one the, the one following. No, I just no, I just actually want to just slowly go through them, but I just I wanna I wanna go back actually to the one we had. Is there anything we missed list? And um go go back to that slide. Yeah. There you go. Yep. All right. So and now move forward, if you don't mind, because I just want to see something and give you some another. It shouldn't be another task. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, so it's not here. That's what I thought. So, so in fact, I, I have no idea where we, we have a, another study that supposedly, is, I guess we'll see at some point, having to do with the function of our board. That isn't, a, that's probably a lot, not of a, the right descriptor, but you know, what should our board be? And I think as part of this strategic planning, we should also include, or or I'll raise it if if, if it's not included, but I'm, I'm daylighting it for you that um, this board of nine people spends, to me, an inordinate amount of time on operational issues. And I think that's folly. It's been folly, and should be far more strategic in its efforts. And I'd like 
to see if that's somehow going to be weaved into the discussion. And maybe that's, you know, uh, I mean, more of a board and plus stakeholder plus um, management discussion. Um, but um, I just want to daylight that for you that um, that I, I think we need to discuss it in this in this strategic planning session is what what is what is the function of the board? The role is, of the board. Is, yes. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great question. I was actually talking with another group about that same issue yesterday, and um, so when you when you look at um, and this is a generalization, so this is not necessarily prescriptive for you all, but um, you know you certainly see boards needing to shift their attention and their focus and where they spend their time, particularly in strategies that contemplate some degree of change. And so I think it would be very helpful to spend some time talking about where you're focused today and how that would need to shift from a little bit of the operational focus that sounds like you're spending time on today and, and actually more around um, what is actually happening with our communities? How is the nature of their needs changing or not? Um, what's the level of risk we're taking on as we try to evolve ourselves? How is that change process going? So um, it's an incredibly important part of the program. It's not listed in what we have contemplated here, but certainly uh, something that we could spend time on collectively talking about this is how the system is changing. Therefore, this is how governance of that system, um, not as a mechanism, but just as a resource allocation focus of your time question, how does that need to evolve as part of the equation as well? Thank you. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's a great discussion on our responsibilities. And again, in the last session, we'll talk about ourselves and remembering our responsibilities as a board. You know, we have six core responsibilities. One, quality oversight, that's in our charge, financial oversight, strategic direction, that's what we're doing here, board development, which is what we try to do in board performance, management oversight, our job is to have oversight over the management, but not, not to manage, agreed, and then community health and advocacy, those are our six kind of responsibilities, and it's our job to right-size ourselves if we're not keeping aligned with that. So thank you, Trustee Splendorio, for bringing that up, because you're right. We have spent a lot of time, I, I, I call 2021, put out the fire mode. And uh, now we're trying to get into the position where we can actually get into our development and strategic mode and, and let our, our management manage. So thank you for that. Other trustees? Uh, if I could just, ju just, just yes, jump yes, in with a, with a personal reflection, I um, uh, serve on a, a local um community hospital board in Detroit in my community and was just saying to James and Mark um, last week that even that I I live in healthcare operations and with all I know about boards it is still difficult for for me to not get into the weeds of operations and to stay in that governance role and um, so it's uh, it's not a challenge unique um, to your group um, and we and as Andy said we spend a lot of time coaching boards and talking about board roles so Thank you for that comment, Ms. Grimmer. What hospital? Maybe you don't want to say. Mary's Mercy in Livonia, Michigan. In Livonia. Yeah. I lived in I lived in Ann Arbor for three years. Go blue. <laughs> Go blue. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you had asked for other questions from the trustees. Yes. I think that's where we were. We were doing our Michigan thing. Sorry. Yes. Uh, Big game uh, tomorrow. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Trustee Fox wears a Michigan shirt sometimes. Oh. Um, um, all right, uh, getting us back on task, um, trustees. All right, Ms. Back, back to you, ma'am. Yep, thank you. So uh, we just have a few slides left, uh, just a recap of primary deliverables, um, the a baseline of the uh, assessment of, of the system. So again, both that outside in look, how you're positioned in the market, the inside out look, how you're uh, performing across the services that you deliver and across the facilities where you deliver them. Future trends where the, um, the uh, industry and the market is likely going. Um, implications of your future environment um, on the system and um, the magnitude of change required um, and including the the system's uh, level of readiness to get there uh, again your future aspiration Andy talked a lot about that and how we'll um, we'll capture that over our three interactions um, your prior your strategic priorities um, and a build out of those scenarios implications on the scenario on those strategic priorities and then organizational blockers and capability gaps as we've discussed this is an um as i mentioned earlier we have a number of cuts this is another way to look about um, look at it we've um really laid it out across a, your typical um uh, gantt chart or timeline um, to just show you how, you know, kind of when and, and where we'll be interacting. Those, um, those orange uh, markers are where we're at this point anticipating um, coming back um, to you for those um, key points of contact that Andy had described. Um, we have this scheduled out as a um, as a four-month effort, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, talked early on about it being roughly a three to four-month project, but as um, we thought about um, schedules and the two major holidays that will be upon us across Thanksgiving um, and, um, and Christmas, Hanukkah at the end of the year, we know schedules will be um, will be difficult and we may run into some scheduling challenges and uh, you know again just getting data and processing information with um, folks tending to be um, in and out over these two months um, we gave ourselves that four month period of time to complete the project and that concludes um, the presentation um, you know we have a bit of time left so um, happy to to entertain questions and I know I said I would come back Thank you, Ms. Grimmer. <laughs> All right, so I'm doing that. So we'll just come back. We'll, we'll leave it parked here for a second, and then we'll go back, uh, just everyone take a look at that, and then we'll go to full screen so we can look at each other. Trustees, you just heard a, a presentation from Huron on how we're going to dig into the work we've been waiting to do. And so I'll kind of open up the floor for further comments, and it, it can go, it, it can come from anywhere. We need to do this. Um, thoughts, anyone? I'll start picking on people so we can all make sure that we have something to say. And Chair Bouquet, let me know when you want me to stop sharing so you can see everyone's face. Yeah. All right, let's just close it in so we can all look at each other. Thank you, Ms. Turner. So trustees, uh, 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 a roadmap for how we make our roadmap uh, has been has been laid before us. Um, come on, don't make me work so hard. 
fine, I'll throw in some quotes. Uh, whenever I think about planning, I think about a couple of things. So, uh, you know, Eisenhower said, uh, plans are worthless, but planning is indispensable. And I think this is, this is what we have, uh, this is what we're here to do. And then I think about the great 1980s philosopher, Mike Tyson, who said, uh, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. So we, we got to kind of work through all, all, all of this stuff. Thank you, Trustee Friedman, for saving me. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, we have been punched in the face uh, on numerous occasions. And uh, thanks to our dedicated emergency department, we seem to uh, get patched up and go back in swinging. Um, you know, I've participated in dozens of strategic planning processes, maybe more. I've led a bunch myself. And to me, the key is getting to the simplicity, the essence of what we need to do and will be doing. Some plans end up so complicated that it's really difficult to get the level of accountability you need because there's so many layers and sublayers and um, levels of tasks that need to be done to accomplish it. So I would like to see our plan come out as simply and succinctly presented as possible so that we're going to be able to uh, measure ourselves and have the accountability going forward that doesn't get too um, lost in details that aren't essential to what our core is. Nice words, Trustee Friedman. Again, I'll, I'll kind of reiterate uh, my, my agreements with you that uh, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Sometimes it gets so complex, you get lost. And uh, I, I've, I've been involved in at least a few strategic plans here where that seems to be the case. And then we don't even know if we executed it. We made a great plan and delivered it. And as Mr. Jackson said, put it on the shelf and came back three years later and said, oh, we didn't do it. Mm -hmm. uh, let's do another strategic plan. <laughs> Trustee Fox, sir. Well, I, th I think what's important is, is the transition between the completion of this plan and how it's going to get implemented and who's going to be responsible for that. Because I look at all of the senior administration on this call and they've all got a day job. Mm. Uh, and as, as was brought up uh, this morning and, and is one of the things that I believe is that healthcare people, uh, when push comes to shove, have a tendency to go back to operations as opposed to strategy and business development, because that's where they're most comfortable with. Even healthcare people that are on boards, whether in California or in Michigan, we have a tendency to go back to operations uh, and that, because that's where we're comfortable. So uh, I guess the challenge for, for James and, and Mark and Kim is, you know, as when, when this is done in March or thereabouts, uh, who's going to have it at the top of their to-do list, the top of their job description to make sure that we don't take this off the shelf four years from now, like James did of the previous plan and say, oh, how do we come up with that? And, you know, that's not relevant now. And, and what happened? Well, I think that one's a, we have a pretty good answer on that. We have ourselves a chief executive officer and uh, this is his, his, his opportunity and responsibility. And I think he has a good team to do it. Well, I, I would just say that every organization has a chief executive officer or executive director. Yeah. And, and, and I think many strategic plans, uh, 
one, our, our complex, as Mark said, and, and wind up on the shelf and, and nobody really takes them out and looks at them again yeah. for, for quite a while. So agreed. Yeah, well, I, I think what you're suggesting, Trustee Fox, and I totally agree with you, is uh, we need a chief strategy officer or at least make sure that's part of somebody's job description, a significant chunk of the job description. I agree. Here's, here's again, a contemplation. What if we did land on our three pillars and one of them was quality care? And we had a strategy around quality care, which contemplated all these things like, and hard things, uh, you know, uh, Ms. Grimmer's presentation says some, there's some hard words in there, like, are there services we need to exit? Some, these are, these are questions that we don't always ask here. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, and, and imagine there's a strategy around the pillar of quality care, if that's a pillar, imagine there's a strategy around our people, our culture. And then imagine that there's a strategy around, I'll just use the word sustainability. Yeah, I know that we didn't arrive there. And then it sort of becomes sort of easier to understand the governance of that under, under the CEO. You know, perhaps the chief medical officer has responsibility for quality care. The CHRO has responsibility for our people, our culture. The COO, CFO have responsibility for sustainability. That becomes, it's a little bit sim more simple to message and actually give attribution and governance to, again, just a contemplation. Um, Trustee Esteen, I'm going to call on you. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the points made by you, uh, Dr. Chair, uh, Trustee Friedman and Trustee Fox are the points that come to mind for me is, you know, how do you go from implementation, planning to implementation? We spend all this time, yeah. we say these words, mm -hmm. and then how do they become integrated into the daily work? Um, and is that even our goal? Or do we just want fancy words? <laughs> we don't want just fancy words. <laughs> Trustee Blue, any comments, madam? Mr. Fratsky, sir. Yeah, I think the conversation around how we actualize it is a really good one. And <clears throat> I think as we get toward the end of, of and notice the, the simplicity or the complexity of the plan, um, we need to think about how it gets actualized. And in fact, in our earlier discussion last week with Huron, one of my questions to them was, give us best practices on how it's actualized in organization, everything from having chief strategy officer to not having it in, in allowing an executive team to somehow actualize it. So it is on our radar and look forward to thinking about how we do that. Um, right. It's not going to sit on the shelf and we will get it done, but the devil's in the details about how we structure that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Mr. Fransky. Trustees, let's make this brainstorm on anything that you might have for our Huron partners, because if we don't give them feedback, they won't necessarily know exactly how to target. You know, we have a lot of things to contemplate. What uh, Have we done it properly? And again, I'm not sure this is, but I'm asking myself, because these are questions I have. Have we, have we done it properly with our the development of our East Bay Medical Group? Is that the right way to do it? Yes or no? What, what is the future of, of our relationship 
with the Alameda Healthcare District. We're, we're, we're upfront against some seismic issues in 2030, and hopefully that doesn't become a problem, but we can't not plan around the, these issues. Um, we have a hospital here at Highland, which is always in code red surge. We don't, we don't have enough uh, capacity to meet the demand. What do we do about that? And are we a hospital that, that is here to do every single service line? You know, um, should, should we be doing everything? Are, are there things that we need to exit on? And that's a super hard question. And, and people won't be happy about it, but I think those are the hard questions that we need to discuss. Ms. Grimmer. Thank you. I just wanted to go back um, to Jennifer's question about um, strategies ending up being kind of credenza aware. And um, frankly, that is one of the reasons why um, Huron and InnoCite um, came together. As you've experienced um, our work on the performance improvement side, we are a deep implementation firm around um, uh, change and, and change management in a site being the big, um, you know, strategy uh, firm. And, and we recognized in, you know, with our clients that there was that gap in being able to bridge those two things. And so really coming together and um, and really being thoughtful as we're developing strategies and how to get them um, implemented and integrated into operations is a big uh, piece of why um, we have come together. So as we walk through this, particularly as we get into that phase four um, and, um, and road mapping and, and coming up with the plans for how to get there, we'll be very thoughtful about that exact question. Ms. Grimmer, I have a question for you on, on, on all your prior engagements, and uh, uh, it sounds like you've dealt with many public boards. How do you actually do the engagement? This is sort of brass tacks. How do you do the engagement with the boards? Because remember, we're public, and if more than half of us are, that's a quorum, so we can't do those kind of things. Are you doing individual discussions with trustees? How are you going to solicit board feedback to this? Andy, do you want to take that question? Because I think you'd really covered those, uh, thinking about those three sessions. Let you jump in. Yeah, here. no, we're happy to. I, I think we've got a couple different ways to do it. So uh, at a minimum, engaging in one-on-one -on -one conversations okay. with uh, a set of you. Uh, it could be all. Uh, we could certainly talk about that. And then I do think it's an option uh, around uh, board participation in some of the strategic dialogues. And I use the term some, not that for some reason we want to be exclusionary. It's more just, I don't know that it's relevant for the board to participate in all these topics, but it can be very helpful up front to get input, advice, guidance, direction, questions, and then certainly at the end uh, to be able to pressure test uh, some of the findings. So uh, there's lots of different ways uh, to organize and to structure this. Um, and. And the entire conversation we just had about the board, and I know that that has specific and relevant implications, but that goes for, for any of your stakeholders. And so um, this process is better with the more uh, inputs we get into it. And we've you know deliberately created uh, it to be quite flexible to accommodate uh, lots of different voices. Got it. Uh, just I'm being mindful of our public uh, position, and so that's that's really good. And because one of our activities at the end of today is to forecast but not decide on a calendar. So perhaps um, uh, uh, I can work through Mr. Jackson, Mr. Jackson, Mr. Fratsky. Perhaps parking a retreat, you know, a blank date might be might be helpful to you, where we can focus on this dialogue. Because sometimes in the the reality of a full board meeting is. 
you know, uh, there, there are many uh, of our other fiduciary responsibilities, which fatigue us out during the day. And then when we get to these contemplations, we're sort of done. And so I think earmarking towards this kind of discussion would be, would be probably smart. Mm -hmm. So helping us forecast on that would be, would be, would be very good. Trustees, I know you got thoughts. Mr. Jackson, sir, uh, uh, so I'll, I'll, uh, that's sort of a holder on letting people think, but if not, uh, I'll let you uh, take it to the house. Thank you. Mm. This is kind of the, this is where we've been trying to arrive for quite some time now. And Chair Bouquet, I think, said it at the outset that really 2021 was about um, kind of fixing what was broken. And we're not done, but I think we're at a place now where we have moved up that hierarchy of needs to the point where we really can start visioning the future. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to lead such an effort and excited to be working with this leadership team as well as the trustees and with Huron InnoSight. So um, great feedback today, great grist for us to chew on. Um, obviously we have some fine tuning to do with our, our process and that's what we were hoping to get back in the way of feedback today. So excited for the next steps. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mr. Mr. Jackson. So given the importance, again, this is central to what we do as a board, creating the strategic direction. I, I think it makes sense and I'll confer with my other executive officers on the board that this uh, henceforth should probably be a standing agenda item at full board meetings. So we can at least not ignore it and give touch. And it might just be an update, which shows we've got we've done so and so, but to give a hard stop on the guidance for the strategic plan, I think is probably a smart move. To our Huron, Huron consultants, we have the full board has one more meeting in November. Um, uh, we might, for our public, uh, kind of just revise, uh, uh, sorry, revisit what was discussed. You don't necessarily need to give a presentation per se, um, but just to have the heads up. And then maybe in our January and February, just to keep us on pacing. Um, oh, Trustee Splendorio, sir. All right, Taft, I'm going to disagree. I, I think I'm going to disagree with you, but I, I, I don't like that. Okay. Um, so uh, to I me, strategic <laughs> plan should be by itself, but where we focus, not at the end of some regular agenda. In fact, I would say the same thing about evaluation of, of our CEO. I mean, we've added it at the end. And it's not fair the CEO and it's not fair to the strategic planning process. Now, if you're saying you want to have an agenda on it for the next few months to give the public an input on where we are, just a status report, yeah. we're mad, we're doing that's fine. But in terms of, of, you know, the, the, this process, um, we need to spend the time to just, you know, just, you know, I know like even today's, you know, I thought the entire session was going to be this and we have other things we've added on. I think it should be dedicated to it. I think everybody should be should be focused on it and leave it at that. Now, having said all that, when we're done with this process and we have a strategic plan, you know, in my, <clears throat> you know, rose-colored glass view of the world, our board meetings will be every quarter, last about an hour, and all we do is look at a strategic plan and see what we've done and what do we need to modify it. Boy. <laughs> I have to object to that. We're a public entity, mm -hmm. just, you know, practical matters. What does that have to do with what I'm just saying? Public accountability. 
requires more than an hour once a quarter. Right, but where job is leadership. If you can give the leadership discussion in that short of a time, I would say maybe we've done a really good job. So I don't know how that, that's more accountable than that. Tap, what are our six jobs? Quality oversight, financial oversight, strategic direction, board development, management oversight, and uh, community health and advocacy. Feels like more than one hour every three months. Hmm. But we don't have to hash that out in this moment. Just gonna state a strong objection to. If we get get to that point where we're talking about once a quarter, uh, that'll be a fun meeting. I, I love that the concept have gotten there with organizations and and uh, that would be great if, if this organization was there we're, we're we're not there yet i love the concept of the dialogue and trustee splendorio i agree with you this isn't something that should be tacked on my intent was to make sure that our public is informed i do agree that dedicated contemplative sessions like this are here so i'm i i i uh I submit to my trustees, I'm more than happy to call special meetings of the board. Uh, I live in this office, so uh, I'm happy to keep doing it again. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be special meetings. It's just saying, I'm just suggesting that, um, you know, dedicate, a, you know, if it's a regular meeting, that dedicate, just focus on this discussion. That's all I'm, yeah. I'm getting, but, but in those getting my point where, of view. Yeah. In those meetings, we're, we're compelled to address the other issues too, which actually draws our energy. So I get it. This we, we're, we're compelled to approve policies and procedures, medical staff credentialing. Uh, our CFO needs her budget approved. Our COO needs her budget approved, and it can change from time to time. But uh, this isn't a but. It's a it's a it's an and, and we have to find the right space for it. Trustee Friedman. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's a both and to me. I yeah. think we need to integrate it into all of our meetings, but then we need dedicated significant time when we need it. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should tack it on and just make our already long meetings even longer. I think we need to restructure our meetings and take a look at things where we've already gotten a written report. Do we always need to have a verbal report on what we've read? Uh, maybe just the highlights are asking if there's any questions. So. I don't think we should just add more and more. I think we should take the essence of what the purpose of our board coming together is. And to me, strategic planning is one of the key priorities, but it doesn't mean we neglect our other uh, responsibilities and duties, but maybe we do them a little more efficiently. Got it. All feedback is a gift. Trustees, really? That's it. All right. Uh, where is Mr. Walton? Mr. Walton, sir, how are you, sir? We, we had scheduled previously for one fifteen, but it looks like we're cutting. So I'm going to just kind of eyeball in the room. How about we go to lunch? And uh, I have two issues which I'm trying to resolve here. I, uh, uh, Trustee Esteen and Trustee Friedman have a hard at 12. That's in two minutes. Um, Trustee Esteen can come back at one. Trustee uh, uh, Friedman can't come back till 1.30. But I also have issues at the back end of the day, and those are very important. So here's my proposal is we break for lunch for um, 45 minutes. Uh, trust, uh, uh, Mr. Walton comes back and gives us 
his 30 minute presentation on the Alameda Health System Foundation. And then this gets us a little bit earlier in the day because we have a closed session item of importance. Is there objection to breaking now till 1245 and then coming back at 1245 to uh, uh, to re-kick the afternoon off? No head shaking, no head shaking. Trustee Yassin will see you at one. Trustee Friedman will see you at 1.30. Everyone have a great lunch, Huron. Uh, thank you very much for, for presenting to us. We look forward to your work. We'll reconvene at 12.45. Madam Clerk, should people just stay on or log back in? Can you advise? They can do either, whichever they're comfortable with. I will mute everybody. So, um, you know, as long as you're muted, you can turn off your camera and it's probably easier just to stay on. Got it. Okay. See everybody at 12.45. This is session three. This is uh, on the theme of strategic considerations. This is a strategic partnership. Uh, this is the Alameda Health System Foundation, which carries our name with the foundation. So they are as partnered as it can be. Um, Preston Walton is the foundation president. Preston, is that the actual title? Isn't it executive director? It's president. Oh, sorry, apologies. No worries. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to introduce uh, Mr. Walton. We've known each other. We, I think we initially met back in 2015, so I was more than excited to see him come back and, uh, to uh, the family, uh, which I think was in spring of last year. March, was that right? Uh, January of this year. All right, January. I've, been here, I've been here in spirit probably, though. <laughs> so um, with that... That was my slow roll in. I gave, I, Preston, we gave everyone their opportunity. Um, the floor is yours, sir. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to share my screen. And <clears throat> as luck would have it, of course, I end up with like a coughing fit right while I'm about to present. So if you see me drink some water, it's to avoid that. Uh, let me get my screen up here. And, uh, here. Can you all see my screen? Looks good. Are you seeing presentation or notes too? We're seeing notes as well. Got it. Let me switch to the right screen here. Yes, sir. That right. looks good. All right. Let me move this over here. <coughs> All right. So <clears throat> thanks everyone for the time today on the Board of Trustees, and I'm happy to provide the board with an overview of Alameda Health System Foundation, a little bit of where we've been as a foundation and where we're headed. Um, and I'm following lunch, which is not lost on me. So um, I, we're also in the middle of a very important agenda of very important topics. So I'm gonna try to keep this engaging. Um, fair, trust, fair warning to trustees, I may call on you at random uh, to, to be engaged in presentation. Um, and with that, to start, thought we would start with a trivia question. So if trustees want to take a minute and think about, think about this question, how much do you think Americans gave to charitable organizations in 2020? Give you, give you five seconds to think about that. And if there are uh, any trustees that want to raise their hand and take a gander at that, I'll, I'll um, if I could ask, our chair doctor to, to choose a trustee to respond. Um, trustees, anyone? This is fun. Come on. Okay, I'll go. Uh, 
A hundred million. Okay, hundred million. That's a good guess. Any other guesses? I'll open this up to the executive leadership team. <laughs> James is not allowed to participate because he actually knows the answer. <laughs> I would okay. guess five billion. Five yeah. billion. Okay, another great guess. Mark, you had a guess. In I was. Two? I was going to say ten billion. Okay. Tangerine, I'm calling you out because you're good at guessing at things with informed information. Any guess from you? You're on mute, Tangerine. Yeah, I'm mute. Oh, she can't figure out to get off mute. I'll switch to Lorna. Lorna, you got good guesses. Any... Uh, she's getting a lot. Tangerine's throwing a lot of tens up. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I there actually, yeah, I think it's probably in excess of uh, $250 million. Okay. All right, Lorna. $251 million, Tangerine. <laughs> I love it. The price is right. The price, the price, price, price is right, right man. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All right. All good guesses. They were escalating in number, which is good. Uh, Americans actually gave $471.44 billion with a B dollars in 2020. Um, that is a very, yes. Who was closest? Uh, Mr. Fasky, that would be you. That would be you, Mr. President. We will, we will honor you with your prize offline. <laughs> so it's a mind-whopping number, and most people don't think it's that large as far as possibility um, of what Americans have given to charitable organizations, but that's how big it is. $42.12 billion of that went to healthcare as a sector. So Americans who felt through their charitable giving that they wanted to give to healthcare as what was important to them to uplift with philanthropy. Um, this data comes to us from Giving USA, which is the annual report on philanthropy. Um, it's actually also the longest running and most comprehensive report on philanthropy in the United States. Um, and it's out of the Giving Institute at the University of Indiana School of Philanthropy. So a lot of seasoned fundraisers like myself use the data that Giving USA provides to help us think from a strategic standpoint and from just over the course of time, looking at how's philanthropy changing in America. Uh, this data also for me, and particularly in this year, we've in, in, coming into 2021 and out of 2020, really has made me think about the fact that our challenge is not the capacity or the generosity of people in giving. Americans are very generous, as we can see. It's really about our ability to advocate and to make the case to why people, in our case, should support the Alameda Health System Foundation, and by doing so, invest in the better health outcomes of AHS's patients and our community at large. Um, but always remember that, I mean, people are generous and, and people give to people. Um, it's, they're not giving to an institution, they're giving to the people that institution is serving and the people that are running that institution, the people that work hard in that institution. So without a brief history um, from that trivia of AHSF and our relationship with AHS, we were founded in 1991, that's when the foundation was established. And it was actually established by Cheryl Spencer, um, who was a MSW uh, by training, but was hired as the founding director of the uh, executive director, then uh, Taft, executive director of the foundation. And our first funder was Clorox. We were funded with uh, initial philanthropy through Clorox, which actually made it possible for the ED to have a salary and for the foundation to transition from being just a volunteer supported organization to an actual professional um, philanthropy organization. Our first campaign raised $5.1 million for Highland Hospital's Trauma Center back uh, between 1999 and 2005. Our second campaign raised $2.6 million for, the, for a combined cardiac catheterization at laboratory and angiography, angiography suite. 
2013 to 2016 is a sweet uh, campaign for me. I was campaign director for the acute care tower replacement campaign uh, as a consultant to the foundation. That was my first exposure to Alameda Health System Foundation, Alameda Health System. And that was actually my first client when I was a consultant working in healthcare. Um, as Taft mentioned, uh, Chair Paquette, I had the opportunity to work with him. Um, I also had the opportunity to work with James uh, Jackson, our now CEO, uh, Mark Fratsky, who was here back then, and a lot of other leaders across the health system who are still here, I'm happy to see, and many who have come back to the health system over time. Uh, our next campaign after that was in 2018. This was for support of the EHR campaign. And this campaign was not successful. I want to call it, I always want to be transparent when it comes to philanthropy and particularly with the Board of Trustees. The, our board in 2020 decided to sunset this campaign because we were not seeing the traction that was necessary for it to reach goal. Um, and there are certainly a lot of philanthropic support that came in through that campaign, but there are a lot of lessons the organization learned in sunsetting that campaign. Um, 2021, uh, I was selected in late December, I believe, uh, as the next president of Alameda Health System. And from January 12th, really, when I started until now and moving forward, it's been about forming a new team and looking at a new direction for the health system, which we're going to talk a bit about. But before that, I should pause here. Any questions from trustees I can answer before I continue? I want to make chances for, for us to engage with each other. Preston, can you give us a flavor, uh, you know, going back to that $471 billion, uh, how do you break up large donors versus small donors? And how does that relate to us? Are we a lots of small um, donation kind of place, or we got we have some big, big fish given, given big, big whopping ones. Huh? What's our history with that? That's a great question, Taft. We have historically largely been funded by foundations, um, philanthropic organizations overall, less so by individual donors. And that makes up a lot of the success of past campaigns and success of the foundation to date. That is not the norm, I would say, um, for what you want to see, not just in, in healthcare fundraising, but in fundraising in general. Um, of that 470 plus billion dollars, the majority of that's people, individuals that are making gifts. Um, corporations and foundations are a very small percentage of that. And so what we retract from that on the fundraising side is a lot of the work that we're leaning into and have already been leaning into since January is how do we sustainably build a pipeline, we would say, of, of prospective donors who are more made up of individuals in our community and outside our community um, who are passionate, committed to the great work that our healthcare providers and the health system are, are doing day in and day out. Um, so if I you to answer your question, I'd say we want to reverse that trend or amplify it, actually. So we want to continue to receive great support from our foundation partners and um, other philanthropic organizations, but we want to see that matched and actually exceeded by um, individual gifts from donors. Uh, some of that at the major gifts level is a lot of part of the work we're doing right now with individuals. And then I think there's also a lot of opportunity for us to rethink, reimagine what um, the role is for gifts at all levels. Um, we treat thousands of patients through Highland Hospital and across the health system every year. And we've had some early, I've had some early conversations with Mark Amy. Um, and with MOD actually around reestablishing some of the data sharing that's appropriate through HIPAA so that we can start to look at in appropriate ways, how do we present people who have, whose lives have been saved, whose lives have been impacted by the community and the community with an opportunity to give back. Those gifts will probably be, <clears throat> excuse me, be at the lower level. I uh, will say $25 up to in the hundreds. However, 
Um, I know for a fact, we have saved the lives of people who have capacity to make million dollar plus gifts. And historically, we've never had the sophistication to recognize or identify those people and reach out to them. So in my mind, all giving is important. Um, and I think that historically, you know, years ago when I was here in 2013, I, there was a little bit demystifying that I recall we were doing with, with um, across the organization of people who didn't think that, you know, the patients we serve would make gifts. And I, I, th I don't think that's true. Um, many of us give to our churches in our community, our schools. Um, we give when we're asked. I think our job as the foundation is to present the request, the opportunity to give, and for people to give in a way that's meaningful for them. Um, our <clears throat> a perfect example of where that really can work well over the course of time, uh, we have an endowment for the foundation that was established in 20, uh, during the 2013-2016 campaign. That endowment was a grateful patient from the community who always had love and admiration for the, um, what was, when she was growing up was Alameda County Medical Center. And when she passed away, we learned that she had put in her bequest plans, most of her wealth coming to the foundation with the purpose of serving this community. And there are many other stories that we don't know about that like that in the community of people who may not be able to make a thousand, five thousand, twenty thousand dollar gift, but if they believe in what we're doing and they know that there's a need, um, can through a lot of different giving vehicles make a profound impact in the lives of patients in the community. Does that answer your question? Yes, that's super, yeah, that's super helpful. All right. Any other questions before I proceed? All right. So looking ahead, really what the board has charged me with as president and our team is elevating philanthropy. So my charge from the board is, you know, elevate, elevate philanthropic um, support and for Alameda Health System and our patients, and also reimagine what the foundation can be in the 21st century in this time that we're living in. And so I've spent a lot of time, as well as our team in the past six months, um, meeting with stakeholders. So stakeholders inside Alameda Health System, um, I've done meet and greets with everyone in the ALT and, and that, that, that group keeps growing. So I'm still doing meet and greets because we're filling out the team under Jack, um, James Jackson's leadership, um, talking with department leaders, care providers, also talking with stakeholders in the community. So our partners at Healthcare Services Agency, uh, Public Health um, are some of our largest funders, as well as some large funders who don't fund us to learn why they don't fund us. So really trying to learn and understand what we're hearing inside the health system, what we're hearing in the community and start to piece together what a path to elevating philanthropy might look like for us. Um, we're really also moving from a reactionary standpoint of philanthropy where the foundation's been sitting to more of a proactive strategic approach. The campaigns I've mentioned in the past, the foundation was not necessarily involved in the need that arose for those campaigns. It was more of a, we need the foundation to raise X amount of dollars. Um, that approach, I think, under James' leadership is unequivocally different. Uh, James has been very gracious about um, inviting me into the executive leadership team, really work, us working together from day one on thinking about how can we strategically utilize philanthropy. A lot of that will come will become um, clearer to us in the strategic planning process, and so we're excited to participate as a foundation in that process as well. Uh, we also want to look at the opportunity that lies ahead of us to use philanthropy to partner with the health system to advance health equity for our patients, their families, and our community. Really look at the needs that exist and the role AHS can play in that, and the role that by partnering with other key organizations in our, in our community can also help our patients. 
Uh, two of the earliest partnerships this calendar year um, and since uh, my tenure began that I'm excited, was very excited about and very fulfilling for our team. Uh, we partnered with AHS and View Memorial Church uh, for a pop-up vaccine clinic uh, that vaccinated over a thousand people um, and protected them against COVID-19. Um, and additionally, and I believe Warren has talked about this with the Board of Trustees, we were able to identify and partner with the health system on an opportunity to send uh, as many as we could of our frontline providers, and there wasn't as many as we would have liked, but to an amazing retreat opportunity with 1440 Multiversity, uh, really based on renewal and, and trying to unpack a lot of what, um, as a care provider, people experience, particularly in the front line, in the past year, going on two years now. Um, part of uh, our investment in, in things like that is not just the actual event, but the learnings that come out of that. And so, um, continuing to be excited to partner with Lorna and unpacking, like, how do we take the greatness of these things we are learning? And how do we take those pieces and invest in other other programs that help support um, our employees across the system? So, Dr. Chair, if I could put you on the spot, do you mind reading this quote? Of course. I need to do it justice. Philanthropy is commendable, but it must not cause the philanthropist to overlook the circumstances of economic injustice, which make philanthropy necessary. So philanthropy, thank you very much for reading that. Philanthropy is, is uniquely an American invention. And I'm a, I look to a lot of leaders from our past, and Martin Luther King is certainly one of them, and I have an affinity for leaders who really moved the needle in social change. Uh, philanthropy has allowed a lot of that to happen in our country. It's, it's this uniquely American invention. It's in all facets of our life. The reason we have an amazing public library system is because of philanthropy. We have many of the world's great universities due to philanthropy. We have much of the world's great healthcare. Um, in many aspects on the cutting edge of solving problems because of philanthropy. I can go on and on. Philanthropy usually steps in where government hasn't yet, usually it's ahead of the curve, um, or where they can't. It makes up that gap. And so for us in this time that we're living after, you know, really the depths of a global pandemic, what I hope continues to be a shift in consciousness in our country around racial equity and around equity in general, um, now is the time, more than ever, if not now, when to really look at, um, as a foundation, as a health system, how can philanthropy amplify the great work that's going on and really allow AHS to uh, continue to address, and there's a tremendous amount of work that's already going on, issues around health equity, racial equity, and how, at the end of the day, we provide quality care to our patients um, and create positive health outcomes in the communities that we serve. So how are we doing this? We're really taking a strategic approach that's remarkably different for the foundation. The root of what we do obviously is fundraising. Um, and so our charge is to elevate philanthropy and we've already earnestly begun that since January. And we're looking at ways just in our annual support that we provide to the health system to take our annual fundraising from what's traditionally been, particularly when we're not in a campaign, two to $3 million on average a year up to $5 million this year, and over the course of time, up to $10 million in the years ahead of philanthropy that we're able hopefully to invest in programs across the health system. Um, a large part of our success to date and our success moving forward will be that partnership with leaders across the health system. Um, and I'm very happy at the support the foundation's received so far, starting first and foremost with James Jackson as CEO. Um, James, along with physician leaders and other leaders across the health system, have made themselves available from day one when I started to participate in any conversation with a fund, prospective funder that we deem appropriate. 
Um, special thanks to you as well. Uh, Dr. Chair, you reached out to me in my first months here and made sure that I was aware that you and the board was also fully available when we needed help uh, to raise this level of philanthropy. People again give to people and um, as exciting as I can, you know, perhaps be in conversation, they don't want to meet me and they don't want to meet the staff of the foundation. They want to meet the leaders and by leaders, I mean the leaders across the health system, the nurses, the doctors, the staff, the executive leadership of the health system, the day in and day out is providing amazing quality care to our patients. And so really our role in fundraising is to think about, you know, who are the prospective donors we want to be uh, in a room with and who's the right person or persons from the health system to be in the room. And often, and sometimes it's thinking about who's the person that doesn't need to be in the room. Um, I can attest that in a recent, you know, visit we had with a, a very um, large prospective donor, I was kind of so in awe of James's natural ability to kind of represent the values and the, 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 the passion of the health system that for the next meeting, I was like, I don't need to be there. I was able to allow my vice president to take lead with the president or the CEO of the health system. Um, and, and that's important, you know, knowing that we have multiple people that can make the case for support, so to speak, um, is really important to fundraising. The next part I'd highlight, I'd say is storytelling. We, I think would all, I think we would all agree that there are no shortage of amazing stories of the ways that the health system has impacted or saved the lives of people across this community. Anytime I'm at an event, a meeting, um, just even hanging out socially, I, it's hard not to run into a friend, colleague, or a new person I meet that knows someone or themselves has a connection with the health system. So I think the opportunity here for us is to really partner with the health system and to really improve our storytelling and making the case in the community for the relevance and importance of AHS as an anchor institution and for the, the work that it does in the community. Relationship management, um, I'm, I'm harking upon it again, and, and it's intentional so that we walk away from this understanding people give to people. Um, our team at the foundation, our executive leadership team, people across the health system, U.S. trustees, all have relationships, rich relationships across this county and beyond that are important and relevant to how we advance philanthropy. One of the um, big key projects in our first few months um, this year was we migrated to a new cloud-based database that allows us to better manage relationships with all of our existing donors. And over the course of time, as our data improves, possibly going in the direction of data analytics, where we're able to have better predictive ability on how we engage donors to newer and higher levels. Um, last, but I'd say most important, as far as a strategic approach, is people and culture. We have a strong focus on developing a culture here at the foundation that's engaging and collaborative, both internally and with our health system colleagues, um, and with stakeholders beyond the health system in our community. Um, and I also say with that, that we're a learning organization. A large part of the charge I have for our team overall at the foundation is that we're always learning, we're always growing so that we're sharp as possible and being able to partner with all of our stakeholders. And really, I'd say that these, the strategic approach is tied to our organizational values. We value um, and to try to act with integrity, uh, most importantly, when it comes to being trusted stewards of donors in our community and beyond investing in the foundation so that we can invest in advancing the health system. Um, we want to partner for impact. We want to be able to have strong partnerships in the health system, um, in the community with our key county partners and our other key community-based organization partners in order to help advance health equity, as I said, and also to help um, improve health outcomes in our community. And we want to innovate for good. We really want to be thinking creatively and imaginatively 
about new ideas and best practices that in philanthropy can help us help the health system in ways that we've not been able to do before. So I wanted to talk a little bit about being partners in philanthropy. So we really have a duality with the health system and James and, and Mark uh, and the ALT, uh, again, can't be appreciative enough for how welcoming leaders across the health system have been to me as president, to the foundation, and to leaning into that partnership. Uh, parallel, I'd say, to the important work of the, the Board of Trustees, we have a dynamic, talented, engaged Board of Directors of our Health System Foundation, uh, led by Michael Dome as our board chair. And I couldn't be more blessed and happy to have him as board chair. He's uh, not only amazingly engaged and thoughtful and passionate care and um, quite a philanthropist himself to, the, to advance health equity within our, our, our work, um, but he, he's also joined in the foundation team um, by a number of equally dedicated board members. Um, it's worth noting that James Jackson as the CEO of the health system is automatically an ex officio member of our board. So James is actively involved as well as a board member in the foundation. Um, we also have representation from AHS in the form of Dr. Minnie Swift as our vice chair of our board and Dr. P Peter Slaybaugh, who serves as a member at large in our board of directors. We're also quite blessed and fortunate to have an amazing associate board of emerging leaders in our community that serve in this associates board. And I'm talking about emerging leaders from companies like Google or that are MBA students at the Hall School of Business or themselves educators or care providers. And so really what the associate board in conjunction with the board of directors allows us to do is amplify a stronger understanding in our community and have many more advocates that are making that case for support in, in, in our communities that we serve for why you should consider making a gift or investing in Alameda Health System. Backing all of this great work up, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you know, that we've assembled a diverse, talented team with a lot of needed expertise to support this new direction of our organization moving forward. And along with this team, right, comes along the strengths that I mentioned. So for those of you that are Marvel or superhero fans, I think what I would say is we've assembled the philanthropic equivalent of the Avengers to support the life-saving and affirming work of our colleagues and the superheroes that are at the health system. And part of those abilities that we're bringing with us are design thinking, you know, the process of, of being prescriptive, the, the process of design thinking itself is a prescriptive set of decision-making steps that includes a human-centered approach to problem solving. So really at the point of all of our work in philanthropy, we're thinking about the patient in our community and how can philanthropy support the health system and supporting those people that exist at the end of the day as a result of the great work that the health system is doing. We're also utilizing foresight um, foresight is really work that's future oriented, as um, Hiram was mentioning earlier. And the future is not something that just happens to us. The future is actually something we can make. So we practice foresight and invite our colleagues across the health system um, and in our community to really partner with us and thinking about new thinking about and imagining new possibilities, new ways of doing things, really pushing the boundaries of thinking about why not? Why can't we do this? What would it take from a philanthropic lens to do this? Um, we really have a lot of bench strength and strategy and planning and research um, that allows us to really partner with our colleagues and help um, when needed in program design and development to achieve a grant outcome or to secure larger grants. And certainly um, really committed to engaging a community, building a community and an ecosystem within the health system, within the community at large, all tackling the same goals and the same mission. Uh, the visual uh, image you have up here is actually a whiteboard from a visioning session we had recently um, looking at the quality incentive program 
and thinking about how, what are the ways the philanthropy could support and you know, perhaps a small way, a big revenue uh, outcome for the health system. Uh, we use the right two curves and prioritizing possible actions or um, two exercises we use. But this is an example of work that we're actually gonna be meeting with uh, Tangerine and a small team next week to look at. All right, we've had this, these ideas and these visions coming from a really cross section of frontline employees and partner leaders. What can philanthropy do? How can we actually help support the health system in achieving a goal in this area? Um, want to pause here again because we've just talked quite a bit and see if there's any questions from um, trustees before we proceed. Trustees? All right, let's keep it going, Mr. Walton, and we'll, hopefully we'll get some good dialogue at the end. Sounds good. At the center of our work, um, as I mentioned before, is really for us as a foundation, it's about, you know, how do we help improve the lives of, our, of AHS's patients and, and the community that AHS serves. Uh, and we've developed three important categories to focus our fundraising work, uh, really with patients at the center and in mind. Uh, first, increasing access to quality care. So thinking about the ways that philanthropy can support uh, that, all of the things that you could think of that fall in that category. Really, how can we address unmet social need? And there's a rich history of Alameda Health System, not just treating um, patients' health needs, but a lot of innovative programs and cutting edge programs that are looking at what are the social determinants that also we need to be thinking about. So we wanna think big and bold um, in this time that we're in about how would we use philanthropy to address unmet social needs? What are the many ways that could happen? And then I think something that if you asked me 15, 20 years ago, you know, would this be a, a philanthropic focus for the foundation? I might not say yes, but I think unequivocally in the time we are living in, uh, we felt it was important to highlight as a fundraising priority not just supporting workforce, but really partnering with the health system on how do we build a community-centered workforce. And we had a, a really imaginative session that, that uh, Lorna Jones has mentioned, I think, to the trustees before, and really providing in all these visioning sessions and ideal labs that we do, really removing leaders of the clinicians from the field and putting us in a space with them to say, let's think big. You know, if you had 5 million, 10 million, if money were no object, how would you tackle this? And so we're really excited about building a community-centered workforce because we are, we're certainly at a time where it's, it's undoubtedly known by most people in America now what importance there is for a public health department, for instance, the unequivocal importance of not just healthcare, but I think people have a much more of an, an eye to understanding the challenges that exist in healthcare, the lack of access for many Americans and many in our community. And that's an opportunity for us to really think about how we make that case for not just Alameda Health System, but how we put a spotlight on the work that needs to be done through philanthropy to support the workforce that's needed, not just to shore up where we are as a health system now, but to think again ahead as to the need we're gonna have in the future for a completely different type of healthcare workforce. So those are the fundraising priorities we've identified. They're also broad enough that we feel that as we go through the strategic planning process, there won't be a lot of revisioning of these that we'll have to do. They allow us to hit the ground running as we've been doing since January in elevating philanthropy, and then to tighten our focus as we have a greater sense of what the strategic plan looks like um, for the health system for the next five, 10 years. Lastly, I'd say, you know, as far as next steps, we're excited to, and, and, and appreciative to the health system for inviting us to be part of that strategic planning process. We've already been compiling quite a bit of philanthropic research and trends and looking at what large funders, both people and foundations are giving to and will be interested in so that we can have that in mind while we're going through the process. Um, we would love to continue to have leadership conversations with um, board of trustee members individually. Um, 
Trustee Esteen reached out to me and I appreciated it in my first few months to introduce herself and wanted to just get to know me. And Dr. Uh, Dr. Chair, our Dr. Chair has also reached out to me, but really looking forward to meeting all the other trustees um, and really looking at how we engage the Board of Trustees as advocates. Uh, a lot of the, the success and the importance of the work we do is by having as many leaders as possible um, armed and feeling supported and enabled to share the amazing stories and work um, of the great healthcare providers in our health system. And you never know, you know who you're, you're sharing with that with and who that, what that might inspire them to do. Um, in the almost 20 years of fundraising experience I have to date, every client I've worked with and every organization I've worked with, there's been one if not three amazing stories of right person in the right place at the right time and they happen to share the case for support and it's resulted in a million dollar gift, a $5 million gift, a $10 million gift. And so I think the, the, the opportunity is certainly there. Um, I have no doubt the passion uh, of our, not only our healthcare providers of the system, but of the leadership of our health system and of board trustees is there. So we're really looking forward to continuing to, to grow our partnership with the health system and look at how do we use the time we are in to be innovative and to excite our community about investing in the future health outcomes of our community. I'll um, stop there and saying thank you and I'll stop sharing my screen and happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Mr. Walton. That was a nice presentation and gives us, uh, allows us to reframe uh, what the foundation is and what the foundation does. Appreciate that presentation. Trustees, any questions? You're going to keep making me work, aren't you? Um, so I'm going to remind uh, the board of uh, our six responsibilities. Uh, quality oversight, financial oversight, management oversight, strategic di direction, board, board development, and community health and advocacy. That the, these are sort of the six responsibilities of, of, of a healthcare board. And uh, it sounds like uh, uh, the foundation uh, slips into that uh, opportunity to do our job as community health uh, advocates and to help the system as well. Um, I'll keep talking and, and, and hopefully see the other trustees. Mr. Walton, a question I always ask, what do you need from this board? I think you gave a little bit of an ask, which is our engagement. What else do you need from this board to help the foundation be successful, which will help us be successful? <laughs> Um, I, I think it is being, you know, open and willing to lean in with us when there's an opportunity. And so, you know, that may be, you know, if we have, depending on the donor it is, if there's a donor that wants to not just need leadership, but really wants to have an understanding of governance, you know, the appropriate channels, we might reach out and say, is there a member of the board of trustees that's available to represent the board and talk about where we're at um, in governance issues and looking at that ahead. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, one of the unique aspects for us being, you know, one of the very few health authorities in the state, uh, the board trustee meetings are public. So that advocacy is also happening in public meetings um, and funders are, are occasionally tuning into those meetings. I've, I've run into two, one or two funders that will ask me or, you know, approach other ELT members that ask about what's going on with governance, what's going on with this. Um, and that has an impact on philanthropy. So I'd say in a positive sense, um, the leaning in, the, the advocacy that you all already do as esteemed trustee members um, of, the, of the health system is important because it affects, I think, not just the trajectory of the health system, but it will directly also impact what funders' perception of the health system is and where it's headed. So I think continuing to lean into that work 
Um, and I think that, you know, as I meet with trustees individually, certainly there's the opportunity in the social and professional circles that you all exist to think of, help us think about who are people we should be talking to, whether it's for an in-kind donation, whether it's for really a leadership level gift um, that we can talk to them about, but whether it's just about really getting more advocates out there talking about an understanding that we exist, the importance of the work that we do, and how they can lean into support. I say those are some of the initial things that come to mind. Um, I, I'm certainly, you know, anything but shy. So if I think of other things, I'm happy to reach out to um, to our CEO or to the chairs necessary to come back. You know, if there's something that we think of specifically. But a lot of our work right now has really been centered on getting ready, fundraising, and at the same time getting ready. So updating our databases, um, really standardizing and modernizing our standard operating procedures, and really trying to make. The, the, the idea of gift giving easy and rewarding for our donors. Um, probably in the next three weeks, um, if you visited our website recently, it will look very different. And that's because we're doing a lot of work on rebranding uh, the foundation. So I think it's continuing to lean in and I'm always available to answer questions offline for trustees on, on ways they can help. But those are some of the initial ones that come to mind. Thank you. Trustee Fox, sir. I have a few questions. One is, um, is the uh, AEHS Foundation uh, raising uh, money on behalf of all the hospitals and clinics uh, in the system, uh, or are there separate foundations uh, where they may have historically existed, let's say in Alameda and San Leandro? And second, what is the process for the hospitals to access or request uh, funding for projects from the foundation? Great questions, Trustee Fox. Uh, so first question, we represent the entire health system. And so uh, there, historically, we started out as it being just the Highland Hospital health system, but that's more to do with what Alameda County Medical Center was at that point. Um, but as we went to a system-wide um, center of care, so did the health system foundation. Um, Alameda, Alameda Hospital is slightly different because of the health authority that exists there. And so they have actually, I believe, unless it's um, changed since I was last year, when I was here and we were starting to acquire San Leandro and Alameda Health System became part of the health system, they have their own um, activities around the health system foundation for them. But that's not to say that if there wasn't a need that we need to partner um, with on actually advancing things for Alameda Hospital, that we would certainly do that. Um, but overall, the whole health system. And then remind me quickly of your second question that's erased in my mind. I apologize. Yeah. The how, do, how do the various entities yes. uh, and departments request funding for projects from the foundation? Good question. So historically, it's been kind of ad hoc. It's been if you, you know, if you've known the foundation existed on the health system side and you reached out, they'd work with you. Part of that strategic approach that we're pivoting on is more of much more of a professional streamlined approach. So our preference moving forward, and we're moving in this direction, is um, that there be an executive sponsor from the executive leadership team so that we are making sure that the fundraising for a project or program we are doing is in alignment with the direction overall that the health system needs to go. Um, and so that from a sustainability standpoint, we're able to think about it, the exception of going after a small or large grant in some cases, what the sustainability of either that's funding supporting a program or the creation of a new program has on the bottom line of the health system. I think the last thing we wanna do is have philanthropy start an exciting program that has an impact, but there's no forethought to when does this get wrapped into a budget 
or the same with expanding a program and not thinking about when does this get wrapped into future budgets. So part of that is what we're pivoting towards is being um, seen as having executive sponsorship for those programs. But we're right, quite flexible right now. All of those types of activities, I will tend to run through James Jackson as CEO so that he's aware of our activities and what we're kind of engaging in. Does that answer your question, Trustee Fox? Yes, partly. That just that gives rise to a couple of other questions. If you, are you able to share what the total assets of the foundation are right now? And if it, let, let's say there's a need for X-ray equipment at San Leandro, mm -hmm. is there money available to consider that kind of a request without having to do a, uh, a fundraising campaign specifically for that equipment? Good question. So the short answer to that question is we're not that large as a foundation yet. So how we would raise for our total assets and our endowment in particular is around a little over $4 million. And in general fundraising on a year to year basis, two to $3 million in assets we can deploy. The two to 3 million and uh, that we on historically have raised, those are pre thought out projects for the most part. That so we they're restricted. Have. Exactly. They're restricted <laughs> funds for those projects. One of the new approaches we've taken this year, and I wouldn't say that trustees would see an impact of this until fiscal 23, but um, the capital expenditure uh, list that was approved by ELT, Mark um, and, and uh, Kim Miranda were happy, were um, helpful in sharing that with me so that we can start to think about in this fiscal year, are there things where we've got enough runway to go after large grants so we could perhaps fund them in this year? But also that's the start of a process of being more strategic with that as example and thinking out to next fiscal year and saying, okay, what are some of the needs we have? And can we, for instance, start an, a restricted fund that we can start building now for capital equipment? Um, so that's, that's the direction we're aiming to go right now. And that's part of the pivot is how do we get more strategic and intentional about this so that we can in two, three, five years time have a situation where James can say, we really need to fund this. And we're able to actually have already raised the funds years past to deploy towards that need. Does that answer your question? Yes. What, and now one more question and, and then I'll shut up. And that is, no, I, I think I'll is, that, is the foundation a subsidiary so, or subordinate corporation of AHS or is it a, an independent corporation? So we are a separate 501c3 established organization. We okay. do receive a subsidy from the health system that supports our operating budget, um, but we are classified as a separate 501c3. Okay. And as such, I haven't noticed that your financials are consolidated into the financials of the health system. They are actually rolled up in the audit process into AHS's audit. We, and I'm happy to report we actually just completed our audit in the past few weeks and had um, yet another year of a clean audit. Um, okay. To the health right. audit. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for engaging. Questions. <laughs> Trustees, other questions? Mr. Walton, can you tell me status of employee giving? Employee giving is a great question, and this has been a remarkable year. So when I came in in January, we had not yet launched our employee giving campaign. And to be quite honest, given the amount of change that was going on in the health system at the time and the what we could not ignore as far as the strain that was on health providers, we paused this year going doing a full-fledged employee giving campaign. Um, there are certainly employees that have given throughout the years that are choosing to do so. And I'm very happy to say that uh, a number of ELT members and other department leaders have also made very nice gifts this year. Um, but that's part of the conversation that I've actually been having an ongoing dialogue we've been having with Laura and the HR team is we're going to relaunch an employee giving campaign. 
but just out of respect for the year that we have been in, we wanted to pause and really lean in and acknowledging and showing gratitude for the work that's going on and using it as an opportunity to rethink how we would deploy an employee giving campaign. Thank you for that thought thoughtfulness, Mr. Walton. Trustees, before we come to a close, any other comments or from executives as well, anyone? Any other comments? Mr. Chair Jackson, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, just briefly, I would just offer that I have been grateful and impressed with the preparation that uh, Preston and his team have put into the opportunities that I've had to talk to potential donors and to um, philanthropic other folks in philanthropy on behalf of AHS in the 10 months that I've been in the role. Um, it's been a great opportunity to be out and you know I'm just a spokesmodel. They prep me, I go out and do these meetings, but they've been fruitful and I'm excited to continue that work. So thanks. Thank you for those words, Mr. Jackson. Uh, Mr. Walton, I appreciate your presentation. I would offer you that there's a naming opportunity for either the Steph Curry endoscopy unit at Highland Hospital or the Marshawn Lynch endoscopy unit at Highland Hospital. I, I just saying. There, there are a number of naming opportunities <laughs> in the health system overall. And for those donors that are moved by that, we are always happy to talk about how your name might be on a wall, a waiting room, where have you in appropriate ways. So no, thank you for calling that out. Every golf cart should be, should be, Marshawn should support every golf cart. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm happy to have the beast mode uh, endoscopy unit at Highland. I'm happy to have that. So with that, we will close out um, uh, item D. Thank you, Mr. Walton. We look forward to hearing from you again. And we'll go into item E, uh, session four. Again, back on the topic of strategic thinking. Um, at, at, as I feel that we're moving our culture and uh, we have our chief operations officer who I've known for a while who cares about these things deeply. Um, I asked uh, our COO to contemplate uh, a concept in strategic thinking, how we identify and solve operational problems at Alameda Health System. And I'll say this sort of goes to a, a nice comment that Trustee Splendorio made previously. A lot of operational stuff comes to, um, comes to the board. And um, one, one might submit that because that might be because of how we've dealt with operations before. But there's a new sheriff in town, and I wanted to give uh, I wanted to give our chief operations officer <laughs> an opportunity to uh, uh, walk us through this kind of contemplation because uh, it has implications about what comes to the board. Mr. Fratsky, sir, uh, the 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 mic is yours. Thank you, Trustee Bukatin. Um, Dave Pistoni, could you bring the presentation up? Okay. Okay, I'll get going. You know, not a lot of slides, but I hope some content that will get us thinking. Um, so what I what I try to do is. Um, discuss kind of where we are as a culture in terms of the way we make decisions, how we move um, initiatives forward, et cetera. And then where I think we should aspire to be, and then a few steps that we're taking to get there. Um, I don't want the board to think that we aren't making progress given where I think our current state is. We are. 
Um, we've got a lot of talented leaders. Everybody's mobilizing around um, moving us forward. So with that, Dave, um, if you could go to the, the first slide. So I've entitled it Current State to Aspirational State. And let's they'll fly in, Dave. You can just click one at a time. First, I want to talk a little nope. First, I want to talk a little bit about our accountability. Um, just overall as an organization, at times it's fuzzy. Um, it's unclear. Um, for example, it might be um, any given day a committee makes a decision on an approach or um, whatever to take, and it doesn't always get actualized because there, it may not be an assignment um, to a person or a group of people um, to move it forward. There's been episodic um, issues with that in our organization. Um, I think everybody wants to take accountability but accountability has to be clearly articulated and followed up on. And that's what we're working on in our organization. You know, the, in operations, the, the final stop is with myself and, and then James, but um, it, it is, we want accountability, people to feel accountable from staff on up through the organization. Next, Dave, next. Um, also, um, to Dr. Bouquet, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Um, I think sometimes our systems here are just too complex and need to be simplified. You know, it shouldn't take a physician um, two months to be able to get a, a, an, an administrative assistant um, hired or posted. Um, that isn't an HR issue necessarily. It's it's a process that spins through operations, through recruitment, through HR. It's, it's everybody's. Um, and so the processes we are encumbered with, um, at times we're our own worst enemy. We need to simplify our processes internally and make them easily understandable for everybody so we can get things done. Next slide, Dave. Um, one of the things that I've noticed as an organization, um, we, we tend to have kind of a scarcity mentality. And by that, I mean, um, you will hear periodically that we don't have the money or we can't do that or we've tried it before. Um, and we really need to move toward an abundance mindset. An abundance mindset doesn't necessarily mean we have all the money in the world to do things. It's a mindset of we can do it, um, and if we do need money to do it and we can't get it, how can we do it without that? Um, there's just, we, it's kind of a can-do attitude um, and not allow our minds to go to a place where um, it's scarce, we haven't been able to do this in the past, so don't bring it forward and or we just can't do it in real time. Next slide. Um, you know, I'm from Minnesota, so I know what it's like to be in a silo and it's lonely, it's isolative, um, and we need to move out of, um, being silos and thinking about what's right in front of us to be able to get things done, to be much more inclusive across departments, across sites, um, transitioning best practice of care over a system and build roads. Roads are horizontal typically, unless you go 90 degrees up a mountain. 
So it's, it's really important that we um, think about how our structure looks, um, who we include um, to make sure we're creating roads across our system as we make decisions. Next slide. We're somewhat of a reactive organization, um, and that's to be expected, frankly, because um, we're putting out fires. We haven't yet um, gotten to a point where we have the time to think proactively. I think strategic planning will help us do that. It'll put us in a, a better state to think, here's where we're going, how do we get there, and let's think about the future instead of trying to constantly deal with everything that's coming at us um, and trying to fix things. So um, this is an area that I know our leadership team would like to be in. They'd like to be in a more balanced state between reactivity and proactiveness. Next slide. Um, it isn't uncommon for decisions that could be um, decided at point of service to make it all the way up to me. Um, I try to push it back down, um, but there's too much of it. Um, we've got to be able to empower staff and leaders at every level of the organization to make decisions and feel comfortable. Now, what, what plays into this is, you know, a culture of fear somewhat, um, a feeling of failure if things go wrong. But, you know, we need to fail. We need to learn. And we need to feel confident that by way of failing and learning, life goes on. And we get confidence through that. And we build resilience as a leadership team and a culture. Next slide. Um, we do too much small batch, what I would call small batch learning. Um, you know, we'll have a, a quality incident, um, maybe harm to a patient. And the review of that, is really good. We review them all. The learnings are usually contained to the team in which um, the issue occurred. Um, and I'm just using this as one example. If, as an organization, we can spread the learnings from any kind of incident we have across the organization, really good organizations do this. You'll get ongoing feedback um, across the organization about look, this issue happened, here's what we learned from it. In case it's applicable to you, great. If not, okay. But I'd like to see us become an organization that's in a continual learning state. Next slide. Um, I think at times we move much too slow. I, I, I love, and, and for some of the people who know me, know I, I love to move a little quicker um, then sometimes the culture will allow. And I think that um, our leaders are getting there. Part of the reason things move slow at times is because of, you know, the number two up there, process, some process complexity, um, and trying to navigate a very complicated healthcare system. Next slide. Um, you know, we have spotty engagement. Um, I think there's some leaders, some physician leaders, some staff that are fully engaged. And it isn't because people don't believe in the mission. That's why people are here. They love where they work in the mission. It's because there's a degree of, I think, um, maybe at times not, in, not being included or um, as it relates to our medical staff, you know, a feeling that 
um, of non-inclusivity over the course of years, and we're really trying to be more inclusive. Um, so we're trying to figure out and bring teams together for full engagement. And I really believe that once people are engaged and they see results, um, that's exciting. That's, that, that's hope. And I, and I think that's where we'll get to full engagement at some point. Lastly, Dave, if you wouldn't mind, um, we have, we need to move from leadership and staff burnout to leadership and staff support. Um, and I know our pandemic has been part of this, but we have leaders um, all over the organization that feel they're encumbered with um, trying to fulfill the role of their job um, by having too much on the side to do. They might feel they don't have enough support from another department. They may feel they don't have the tools to do their job. Um, and we really need to understand by leadership position, by staff, what it is that is slowing them down. Um, you know, I would love people to come into work every day knowing that they've got it. They can move the organization forward. They can remove the barriers. We can get things done, and they really feel good about the work they're doing. So this gives you a sense, I think, of where I think we are now versus where we will go and where we will be at some point. So, Dave, if you can go to the next slide. So our path forward, um, we really need to think about internal training and education for our staff and leaders. Um, you know, it would be nice that every time there's a, a leadership opening, we have the bench strength internally um, that one of our own can just fill. It'd be nice that across the board, people feel supported to going back to school and advancing their their um, degrees. Because, you know, I've worked in organizations where one day you'll see somebody working as a staff member in a couple years, you'll see them working as an administrator. And you think, how'd they get there? Well, they got there through a tremendous amount of discipline on their own individual part, plus support from the organization. Um, as leaders, you know, we need to role model. We have to be out and about. We have to demonstrate um, good listening skills, um, fixing things, getting results. Um, so role modeling is we, if, if we want a certain way of, of an approach and behavior, we need to role model it. Um, I've talked a little bit about this, simplifying processes, um, allowing point of service decision making and learning from our failures and um, being okay with that and comfortable with that. And owning your business, being accountable, removing fear. You know, how do we empower a manager and anywhere in the organization to feel that that's their business. They own it, they're accountable for it, and move it forward. Um, we're trying to be really transparent and visible um, as much as we can. I know it's really um, something James does well, and I believe as a leadership team, we're all trying to emulate that and move forward in that manner. And then removing the burdensome corollary work that especially our leaders are encumbered with. Um, I hear about it every day that people are feeling, you know, I feel overworked. I've got this to deal with. It's not really my job. Somebody else should be helping me. So we got to understand that better and get our leaders the support they need. Next slide. 
I wanted to give the board a sense of um, the operational org structure. And, you know, over the past eight months, we have had turnover um, in this structure that you see in front of you. But I can tell you today that I'm quite pleased um, with where we're at. If we go left to right, Mark Brown is our new CAO at Highland. And Mark's been here now about three or four weeks. He's on the call today. Mario Harding, who came from Denver Health, is the CAO at San Leandro and Alameda. Patty Espeseth, who's on, on um, the call as well, is our CAO at John George Hospital and Mental Health Services and comes just with a wealth of, of mental health experience and knowledge. Teresa Cooper, who's done a, a yeoman's job at being the interim chief nurse exec, um, currently in that role till um, November 29th. Richard Espinoza, our post-acute CAO. John Ramirez, who's fairly new to our organization as our vice president of support services. Sheila Lizwa, who is our VP for case management or care management. And then we've got Diana Thamron overseeing pharmacy, Faye Seichow over clinical lab, and Troy Ashford, who is a new person, new leader, started a couple months ago over radiology. Of course, Sandra Williams, I think most of the board would know Sandra, who is really in our person for environmental health and safety. And then Michelle Serpeo, who is our director um, for the STAR program or the LEAN. And we'll be leaning on Michelle, so to speak, to help us with LEAN um, as we move forward. So um, that's all I have um, regarding um, kind of our culture and where we're trying to take it and the current structure um, that's in place. Um, so most of our holes are filled um, as it relates to this level um, of leadership. So I'm going to pause there, Dave. I think the last slide is just a question slide. I'll open it up for any questions. Well, Mark, I'm going to say thank you because, uh, you know, those are kind of philosophical and cultural musings, which we don't get to have in in uh, in the context of our full board meeting. So uh, that's why I wanted you to get that because that's tone setting for how we do operations. And I really, I, I for one, are, are, appreciate you, you setting the tone for operations at that level. Thank you. I'm going to open this up for trustees or any if anyone in the room, that's a little dangerous thing to say, but <laughs> anyone in the room, let, 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 let's have a discussion here. And Trustee Splendorio uh, has a hand up. I love it. Sir. Hey, thanks, Mark. That was um, um, very inspirational, actually, because of the aspirational aspect of it. And I, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you're engaged. But my real observation is um, filling all those spots. I mean, I run a business. It is difficult to find people. So congratulations, you and James. Good work. Thank you. Yeah, that, that is not easy stuff to do. And, uh, yeah. Other trustees? Come on. Uh, I got my hand up. <laughs> yes, Trustee Blue. Thank you for saving me. So... Um, I like the fact that we filled out filled out all of the CAO spots because I can't imagine how you run a health system with that many hospitals and departments and not have some individual 
um, that's responsible. So how are you feeling, Mark? That's a lot um, of people I, that report to you. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate um, the comment, Trustee Blue. I'm doing okay, thank you. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, org structures are dynamic. Um, my energy level and ability to um, lead is finite. So, you know, I'm sure that over time that um, because it is dynamic, you know, things could change. But right now, um, it's really important for me in terms of where I am, in terms of my tenure here, that I like it flatter for now. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to get to know um, the leadership team. Um, You know, mentoring is really important to me. Um, And so I, I feel that the 11 or 12 leaders now that do report to me, um, we've, we're building esprit de corps and we're setting expectations. And, you know, I can't do that two or three levels removed. So it's, it's right now it's the right thing. Mr. Jackson, sir, I saw your hand. Thank you very much, Chair Bouquet. And I, I put it down because I thought I would hold, but I will just say that, um, it would be disingenuous to say that this hasn't been hard. So Trustee Blue, I appreciate your comment. But the reality is um, I, I and Mark knew the job was dangerous when we took it. Um, we understood the, you know, the magnitude of the, the lift, but we also knew the bones were good. We knew the caliber of folks that were here and the commitment they had to this organization. And I have been nothing but gratified by the reception that we've received and the willingness of folks to put their shoulder on the will and push, but also to give us, because I asked for grace early on. I asked people to trust in the process and to give us the opportunity to show what we were capable of. And I would say 10 months in, we're starting to see the fruits of that. And part of that is the caliber of folks who've expressed their interest in joining this leadership team. And it's been really gratifying to be contacted by people who are well-known in the industry and who are, you know, um, thought of highly and they like what we're doing and they want the opportunity to come be a part of that. Um, Balancing that is looking internally, wanting to make sure that we honor and promote talent from within to the extent possible. And that's the the balance that Mark and I um, and the leadership team are trying to strike um, with the support of our capable HR team. And so I believe the future is bright. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jackson. Trustee what do you expect comments? from us? Uh, yes, what yes, do you expect from us? Great question. Um, you know, I don't it, want to get into the details of running anything. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, Trustee Blue. And, and I think the point has been made earlier that we still have opportunities to clarify the difference in oversight versus operational. And that, I think, is going to be an ongoing process. And so I, I don't think that will be solved today, but I'm grateful for the opportunity to dialogue with trustees about that and we will get better as we go um what you can do to support us you know it's trite but it's true what you've been doing you've given us because i needed grace from the trustees as well i needed you to give us this leadership team the room to work and to to trust some of the hard decisions that we were making um i will just say engaging huron to do the work that they're doing with the best initiative was a bit of a leap of faith, I believe, on the part of the the organization to 
support that. I think it's already paying dividends. And I think that um, it's showing folks that we're willing to, you know, step outside the box to take somewhat risky ventures, um, but with knowledgeable risk. We aren't going to do anything foolhardy, but we've got to break the mold in order to turn this ship. And that's what's happening. So the short answer is the support that you've given, we value it and we appreciate it. Trustee Blue, I have one comment to your question. Um, you're all public board members and you're going to hear from constituents that, um, you know, we, we work with and um, anything you feel that needs to be pushed down to us in order to resolve or fix, let us know. We'll, we'll do that. And I know you've been really good at that, but I, I, I would value that, that you, you just bring in, I, you know, I try to push things down to the appropriate people as well, but if you do, we'll take care of it. You shouldn't have to deal with the operational issues at your level. Let us, let us handle it. Thank you. I apologize. Just, just a quick tag on because that's happened on a couple of occasions where trustees have been approached about things that really are operational. And I am grateful that the trustees have done exactly what Mark said, which is giving us the opportunity one to clarify or at least share our side of the story, but then to do the work. Um, that should not be the role of the trustees, and I'm grateful that the trustees understand that and have pushed things appropriately to us. Thanks, sir. Trustee Fox, sir. Um, Mark, I just wanted to comment that the, all the symptoms that you listed in one of your early slides have been present in what, to one degree or another in every hospital organization that I worked in. Um, so, uh, you know, although you, there's, there's a lot to do, you're certainly, it's, it's not as if AHS is, um, you know, bankrupt culturally uh, at all. Uh, you know, it, it sounds like you've got a good cohort of, of staff and what you're dealing with is, is, is very common across the whole realm of hospitals and probably large organizations in general. Thank Agreed. you for that comment, Trustee Fox. Um, you know, if, if Trustee Banerjee was here, I'm going to channel her. She she might say something that uh, that she's been saying for years that organizations move at the speed of trust, and then I would chime in with my trust takes potentially years to build and seconds to destroy. What what I say here, uh, Mr. Frasky, is what you, during your tenure here, you're trying to build operational trust. I it, it is my personal opinion that you are you are incrementally showing successes to the organization and uh, I'm, I'm very happy for you building your team I know how tired you are and how hard you've been working but uh, to the audience I, 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 I know that Mr. Frasky's been buoyed by the team that he's been built I know he's tired and I know Mr. Jackson are tired but I'm, I'm very happy for you in that regard uh, Mr. Frasky can I ask you a question have, have that talk uh, uh, again uh, I think that's the kind of talk that the organization can't hear enough of um, can you talk to me about venues in which that might be given or you, you, or, or have your CEO, CAOs been, uh, how, how are we spreading the wealth and the knowledge and the gospel of this um, around the organization? Of this presentation? Well, yeah, this, oh, the, con the, the concept. Yeah, in yeah. Um, I think um, when 
the leadership team comes together. We talk about not all the concepts all the time, but certainly um, some of them. Um, I find it really valuable to, to talk with leaders and staff at individual levels when we're rounding um, and, you know, providing that feedback and direction in real time. And of course, um, you know, I'm willing to go anywhere, anytime to talk with any group of people about the good work that's going on here at Alameda and kind of our journey. Um, so I think I, I don't want to lose any individual or group venue to be able to share some or all of this. Mm. It's important right now that we, we set the pace and role model on these behaviors. Yeah. I love those concepts, you know, uh, as, as, you, as your team strives to give clarity, then people know how to navigate problems in the system. And then uh, it, it, it less becomes the default setting to make public comment the venue for which someone can resolve their problem. And not, uh, and let right. me repeat to the public, this board's position is we will always take feedback from our public. That's what we do. But, but I think we need to consider that we have a management and operational system to resolve operational and management issues. Um, but, but I appreciate uh, what you said. Well, we, uh, as trustees, we are often in receipt of many things. And I think the right thing to do is, if it's a management issue, is to make sure it's navigated properly. And that's what you're doing. You're building a, a system to navigate those problems. Correct. Trustees any, or, or any of the staff who, who, who would like to make a comment? Dr. Besh, you're in the room. I know Dr. Besh is on service, not to call him out. Um, Dr. Tornabene? <laughs> Dr. Besh, sir, then Dr. Tornabene, sorry. I, I appreciate it. I'm discharging a patient. But yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I guess I think, I think I really appreciate this work, and I think that in my meetings with um, Mark and James, we've had some of these conversations, and so I, I think it's nice to be in line together from a medical staff. Um, I just, you know, I think that when I look at that org structure, it's great, but I want to know where the physicians fit into all of that um, for operations and how we fit into it, because I think that's not clearly defined either. Even though, you know, I mean, the medical staff is its own body, I think I think we're still still trying to figure that out at this organization. And so I think that's probably a big question um, from, from my, my end um, as my interim role as medical staff leader. That's a great comment, Dr. Besh. Yeah. Dr. Tornabene. Uh, just that I'm so pleased to, to hear, for example, um, uh, Mark's example for like, how do we support the physicians in something taking uh, two months? I, I learned yesterday about another program. Uh, Mr. Harding and I actually heard yesterday from a program who said that they'd been struggling with figuring out how to move forward for two years. And those are the things that, that we want to move in a different direction. And they are moving in a, in a different direction. So, um, Mark, I couldn't thank you enough. Oh my goodness, I just saw someone on screen, Dr. Kelly Ballard, my friend, Dr. Kelly Ballard, who was the former chief of staff. I'm sure Dr. Ballard would have some comments. Dr. Ballard, I haven't seen you in a long time. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Bouquet. I think my biggest interest in all of this conversation is, and, and we just heard a few examples of how 
the system has been broken historically and how we have all of these now very gleaming hopes that it's going to change. If we can somehow keep a record of that brokenness and somehow be able in a year or two years to look at how we've progressed in a really tangible way, I think that that's one of the keys to building that trust. You know, and I, I totally agree with you, Dr. Bouquet. The trust, it, it's vital. I mean, I think I said that word how many times when I was chief of staff? Mm -hmm. And it's vital for our being successful and us working as a team. And yet, it seems like we have a very short memory when it comes to our failures and our successes and being able to see where we've come. And with all of this new team build, building this goal, it would be nice to have some record, some way of comparing where we were when all this started and where we are in two years. Thank you for those comments, Dr. Ballard. Ms. Espeth, I see your hand up. Hi, good evening, uh, good afternoon. Hi everybody, I'm, I'm Patty again. So I'm the, the new CA over here at John George and over our um, acute inpatient and, and outpatient behavioral health services. And I just wanna say that I really appreciate the, whole, the, the trust focus because I do trust Mark and James. Um, I feel that trust and they're not, they don't seem tired to me because they're very responsive in, in real time. And that for me, I feel very empowered to do everything that I want to do here at John George, because I trust that they have my back. And, the, and that's, that's what I want the staff here to know that I work with, that I'm, I'm going to do that with them too. You know, while, you know, in addition to holding people accountable and, you know, moving towards um, a vision for excellence instead of just, Hey, we're not that bad. You know, no, I want us to, I want us to be patient's choice. And I, I believe we can do that over time. So um, anyway, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited to be here. Well, well thank you, uh, Patty. Uh, apologies, we have not yet got to meet in person. So I look forward to that. And I guess while we're doing the work, uh, uh, Mr. Frasky, with, with your permission, we'll do some call outs on your good people if they're in the room. Yes. I see Mr. I see Mr. Brown, who I've had a nice sit down with. Uh, hello, sir. Uh, uh, any, 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 uh, sorry, throwing you on the spot, sir. Uh, just uh, introduce yourselves to us, sir. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dr. Okay. Uh, so my name is Mark Brown. I am the Chief Administrative Officer for Highland Hospital. Um, just for uh, everyone's knowledge, um, I am a nurse by background. Uh, emergency Department Cardiac Cath Lab is my clinical background. Um, so it, it helps me at least in some of my day-to-day -day rounding. Um, you know, and to speak to what you know, Mark and James and everybody has been saying, you know, this is about... Um, ensuring that we can help support um, our staff, our physicians, our leaders, um, change the culture and move us in the direction that we know that we can need to go to. Um, you know, and I'm making the rounds, trying to meet the position leaders when it comes to it, Dr. Get, you, you know, just, it, there's some great leaders that are out there, you, Dr. Besh, um, some of the other ones that I've had the opportunity to meet with and meet consistently with, and, and just really excited about the opportunity and, and the direction that this uh, organization um, and the hospitals are gonna go. So thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. Um, Mr. Frasky, any, any, any other, will, will you close it out for us, sir? Yeah, I think Mario Harding, I don't see, is Mario on? Mario was on for a long time. He was, he had, yeah, he had, he had to catch a plane that, so okay. I think he just signed off. Um, okay. Will you so, tell us about Mr. No. Harding, sir? Yeah, he's, well, he's a great guy. Um, a very tenured, experienced um, leader, um, worked at the Safety Net Hospital in Denver, Denver Health, 
Um, and we're really, really pleased to have him. He's only been here two to three weeks, and he's already starting to have an impact on decision-making and um, policy, et cetera. So um, I'm just, I couldn't be more excited, frankly, about the leaders that we have and not only the new ones, but looking forward to um, continuing the journey of growth for the existing leaders we have in the organization. Okay. Uh, Mr. Fraske, you and your team are appreciated. So please, uh, please may help make us good. Um, Thank you. Uh, with, that, do. Uh, with that, we will close out item E uh, on uh, strategic thinking, how we identify and set the culture for operational problem solving. So public, the last session is session five. That's, this is board performance. Um, you don't have to be here for this, um, but you're fully invited. Uh, uh, we're going to do a session on our board of trust, trustees self-assessment as we move into. That's basically, we made a self-assessment as required by our own bylaws. We're probably gonna be talking dirt about ourselves for the next 50 minutes in public. Um, you're welcome to listen if you like. Um, after that, uh, we're probably going to go right into closed session. So I, I'd say you get to decide it's of, if it's of interest to you. We're happy to have you. Um, but we're now going to go into session five, and this is mainly for the trustees board performance. Trustees, my hope is that we will be able to do this in about 50 minutes. That gives us an hour for closed session. I'm making a little bit of an audible just in case because I know we have some people on the time track. We're, we're probably, and uh, apologies to council, we're probably gonna be tabling uh, a what trustees should know on Stark Law and Brown Act. That is in your packet. It's actually a really nice slide set that general counsel gave. I know he was dying to give this presentation, but we're probably gonna table it. When we come out of closed, uh, uh, we'll just have a few uh, discussions about calendar planning as uh, this is, uh, we have one more meeting uh, uh, in November for, before we have to forecast our 2022 calendar. So with that, we're going to uh, go into a discussion about our Board of Trustees self-assessment. Um, I wanna give uh, a big tip of the hat to Trustees Jensen and Banerjee, who I, not, I don't know if I see in the room, they did the, the lion's share of this work along with our clerk of the board, uh, uh, Rana, and we are happy to invite Miss Lindsay Loud from the Governance Institute. And she's gonna kind of navigate us through that big survey that we all did. And she's gonna tell us how we can get better. And I just have to remember all feedback is a gift <laughs> uh, as, we, as we go into this session. So Miss Loud, thank you. Uh, uh, if you'll lead us into uh, the board self-assessment and public, if you're not here, have a great day. Great. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. I come from to you from uh, Nebraska, just right in between Lincoln and Omaha. So I know you guys are uh, have had a full-fledged day today, but I'm really excited to be joining you from a few states away and hopefully um, bring some light to your continued growth and development for this board and how you're supporting the mission, the vision, the values of the organization that you serve. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. Let me make sure I have my right <clears throat> screen shared. You probably all don't want me to see the email that I have going on. And, and Lindsay, let me, <laughs> take, a, let me take one more pause as I'm looking around the room. Sure. So, again, to all the audience, 
the board does not compel you to be here. So, so feel free to have the gift of time un unless your boss wants you to be here. But the board would be okay if you weren't here. Wink, wink. Okay. All right, Ms. Lyle, gets back to you. Okay, great. Um, just give a thumbs up and make sure you guys see my PowerPoint on your screens. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Um, looking forward to spending the next um, 30 minutes or so with you and happy to stick around. I heard that we have 50 minutes allotted for this, so there's certainly time for discussion and things, and I have um, availability to stick around for that if needed for different questions and things. But really my hope of uh, the, our conversation here over the next few minutes is to review for you um, the results of the assessment that you all um, likely remember taking just a few weeks back. Um, want to just really dive right in and talk about the results. Um, keeping in mind that all of these results that we were assessing were really over your uh, key areas of oversight, those fiduciary duties, the three um, fiduciary duties as well, well as your core responsibilities. And you'll see those listed out there below. One of the things that this particular assessment also addresses is board culture, which is something that we know is so extremely important to any organization. And we know that the board really sets the cultural tone of the organization. So it's so critically important that this is a focus at the highest level uh, to ensure that we have the, the um, culture that we want for the organization. I do um, as a spoiler alert, um, have some really great news on the culture um, components of your board's self-assessment, but we'll get into some of those details a little bit further along the way. Overarching, I know many of you on the board are fairly new um, to your positions, and there's been a lot of transitions with leadership. With that, we know comes um, growth and trust and making sure that everyone is rowing in the, in the same direction for continued uh, you know, development of not only the board as well as the organization. Um, in my initial view of the data, and we'll walk through that, I really am seeing um, with this baseline data a very great trajectory of this particular board, especially for as kind of new, if you will, as, as a lot of you are sitting at the table. Um, so looking forward to sharing some of those results to continue on this growth trajectory. Um, some of the things that initially stuck out to me uh, was this board is eager to do a lot. You guys want to jump in and focus and make a difference in your community, which is fantastic. We had a lot of themes around strategy come up, which I know a lot of your agenda was around um, strategy this morning, um, really making sure that goals are set to that strategy and that there is accountability to the goals that are set for the organization. Um, with that, it's always very important to understand that fine balance of the difference between management and governance, um, knowing that the role of the board um, is so critically important in setting policy, um, setting procedure, um, having oversight on all of the items that you see on the screen, but it really is the leadership and the management team of the organization who will develop the plans to carry through the strategic direction of the organization. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, with that, just ensuring that for um, this group that you're you know, really understanding your role and the impact that you can make, 
um, providing you know great oversight again to the mission vision values the strategic direction of the organization carrying the culture of the organization through as well So some of our um, overarching metrics here, we had 100% participation from your board, which is something to celebrate right right out of the gate. Um, having that high engagement, we always strive for 80% participation. And so fantastic job of your participation. As we go through the data, you'll see one individual equals an 11% response. Um, that'll make a little bit more sense when we see some of the data slides. Um, you can see we off, we asked a variety of questions, including some custom questions that we wanted to address for Alameda specifically. And we also looked at three overarching overall rate measures. Um, you can see those scores listed below. Um, overall board effectiveness is something that I look closely at, and you're currently sitting at a 7.3 on a scale from 0 to 10. Um, some of you might be wondering, how does that compare to the rest of the nation? And I can tell you that that is something um, that we can most definitely provide to you. Give me a couple of weeks to refresh this report. So we, um, the Governance Institute has been around. We've been measuring and assessing organizations across the United States for many years. We go through a assessment refresh every now and again. And right now we are just, um, we had just refreshed our our assessment to ensure that it is not only uh, contemporary with what's going on in healthcare, um, but it's short to meet the needs of all of everybody's busy schedules. But with that comes a rebuild of the benchmark. And so we'll be providing um, the benchmarking to you as we build that back up. Questions at all on the items um, that we've covered so far? Okay, perfect. So looking at those areas of oversight, you can see the composite scores of each of these particular items. And again, we'll drill down specifically into these different areas. Um, one of the things that I do want to point out is the opportunity that we see in strategic direction currently at a 2.2, but also the strength that we can build upon in this board culture with, with a 50%. Um, I know some of you, you know, are thinking <laughs> that's not 100% and we're not there yet. And I love it when boards are striving for perfection, but you'll be able to see through the data that we're looking at that there's a lot of great things to build upon. Um, and so we'll talk through those things. Lindsay? Yeah. Yes. Can you help the, the interpret? Sorry, just I'm slow sometimes. The interpretation of this slide. Does this mean 50% of the trustees polled felt that we met our fiduciary responsibility of care? For board culture, we're yes for that particular okay. item. Yes, and so okay. strategic direction would be 2.2, and we're asking that on a five-point scale, and so it's folks who said very effective. So anywhere from very effective to effective, somewhat, so on and so forth. So 50% of the board said that the board's culture is very effective, if that oh, helps. So it's like, this is like a top box score, you mean? Exactly. Uh -huh. Okay, got it. Okay. Uh -huh. so yep. 50% of us thought we were very effective at a board culture. 2.2% of us thought we were very effective at... Uh, doing a strategic direction. Is, is you that got how it. you read it? You got, got it. it. Okay. Yep. Super helpful. Yep. Okay. Thank you. You bet. 
So um, before I click onto this slide, several of the things that I look at when I'm doing my analysis are items that score high, of course, items that score low. We also look at the distribution in which folks respond to the different questions that often tells a story of, you know, potentially new board members or maybe an opportunity for education. If we see a lot of folks answering multiple different options on that five point scale, um, I also do an, a, a correlation analysis. So we look at the relationship between all the items that we're looking at on the survey to that overall metric that I mentioned of overall effectiveness. So we can pinpoint specifically for Alameda, what is most critical for you to focus on? Essentially, what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck to drive improvement um, over the, the course of the next year or so? And as we go through these items, um, it's important to note that we don't want to boil the ocean. You know, there are several items that might, you know, jump up, but there are what at the end of the day, we want to pick about two, maybe three items that you can focus on um, in regards to growth and education. And the next time we do this assessment, um, we'll identify another, you know, two or three items that we can focus on. So the slide that we're looking at right now, um, now is the items that have um, high correlation. And I'm going to go through two slides of highly correlated items, which was pretty unique actually to Alameda. Oftentimes, um, you know, when we're looking at correlations, they can be high performing items. They can also be low performing items. Again, it's showing that strength and relationship. And oftentimes we see um, items that score low um, show up at the top. So we want to focus on things that are very important to your board as well as low scoring. That would be our recommendation. But as you can see on this screen one, a lot of things that are very important to this board are already performing at a very um, good level. Um, no red flags here on this page. It's something to celebrate. And I'll walk through some of these items here right now. Things that we need to continue to, to do and do well. So receiving necessary background materials um, to ensure we develop agendas with sufficient time to prepare for meetings. Um, so I already had the opportunity to give Rana props on this, um, but I know she's getting you guys your materials uh, in a timely manner. So we want to keep that up. Um, getting unbiased information before making decisions. Um, I know that there's been some work in regards to the CEO written performance goals. Um, so that came up as you know, again, we're looking at very effective. We're striving for this dark green, but we can see, you know, a lot of folks gave an effective score on this particular item as well. Approves long-term and annual quality performance criteria based on industry-wide and evidence-based practices for optimal performance. We had one person say ineffective here. And I always like to point out that sometimes in an assessment, there are work, there is work that gets done at a committee level. And oftentimes it's not fully communicated to the full board, all of the work that gets done in different com committees. Going over a board self-assessment on an annual or every two year basis is a great time um, to ensure we have a regular cadence of reviewing um, all of the work that the board does, whether that be at a committee level um, or, or not. It gives us a good time to evaluate how effective the committees are and if there are tweaks that need to be made to those charters. Um, then we have engaging in building high-level trust with the CEO and staff. 
again, I think with a lot of the um, changes that you guys have had, seeing this score um, score very, seeing this item score very well indicates a great trajectory um, of this particular board. So applaud your work on that particular component. And then this particular item, this last one on board culture was one that I was um, extremely pleased um, for this particular board as well. It's something that any organization that I work with, it's about the number one thing I look at because I love items on board culture anyway. But um, looking at specifically if the board allows for a culture with active participation, candid communication, and rigorous decision-making, um, the board members feel that they're able to voice their opinions and concerns regardless of how sensitive the matter may be. This is something that is critically foundational to the success of any organization and to see the foundation in which you're building upon in regards to board culture for as new as a board as you are um, with a 60% very effective score, absolutely something to celebrate. I, I mean, I, I can't say enough how excited I am to see again the trajectory of being able to build upon that particular score. Any questions on this first page? Okay, feel free to stop me or raise your virtual hand at any at any point in time if you need to. So this next slide, again, we have some additional items on here. This is where I had mentioned the story um, unveils some of those areas of, of opportunity. Now this page, items that are also very important to your board, but we see more of that red and gray come onto the screen, more of those yellow color. So those are areas where, again, it's important to your board, but these are areas of opportunity. Um, <clears throat> so again, um, an item on board culture, demonstrating a clear understanding between the difference between management um, and governance, essentially. So again, as any organization focuses on strategic direction, setting goals, which I know is something that you guys are going to be focusing on, it's very important to ensure that that thin line of management and governance is clearly defined and that goals are set at a high enough level to ensure that the conversation and questions being asked remain high and not getting too far into the weeds um, conversations that management should be having. That is something that, um, you know, I would recommend be something we, we put a pin in as a potential area of, of opportunity and focus. The next item on here, spending more than half the meeting time during most board meetings and active deliberation, discussion, and debate about strategic priorities of the organization as opposed to hearing reports. We see, you know, 33% of folks saying very ineffective on this question. So while we are going to be able to build upon everybody, most everybody on the board saying that they feel comfortable having um, active dialogue, this is a... Um, an area focus for 99% of boards that I work with. We recommend 50% of a meeting, of a board meeting, should be spent in active dialogue and deliberation on strategic items. It's not easy. It's so hard. You know all of the reports and presentations that have to come into the room, but there are best practices and strategic ways in which agendas can be built and presenters can be um, 
um, prepared, prepped, (laughs) yes, thank you, um, to carve out time specifically for dialogue. So just continued work on on that will be um, extremely fruitful. Um, We had an item, one of your custom questions on understanding funding models here. I'm going to skip through some of these that we see a little bit more of the green on there. Um, Considering how items will impact the mission, um, communicates adopted strategic goals and clear expectations of the roles of the subsidiary in meeting those goals. So again, any time a strategic direction is built, goals are identified. It's important that those are communicated very effectively and even at the lowest level everybody understands um you know how you know each organization rolls into the overarching goals of the system Um, sufficiently informed by management and discusses the multi-year strategic plan and the organization's capital and operating budget so similarly tied to strategy, but specific to the financials of strategy um, is, is something that's important to your board. Again, we have another um, custom question that we wanted to ask um, of your particular board in regards to the relationship with key stakeholders, with unions, clinical staff, the Alameda Healthcare District, members of the public, the County Board of Supervisors, and other key county agencies. Again, very high scores here um, with 100% of the respondents saying either very effective or effective. Um, So I think that's definitely a move in a a positive direction there as well. Establishing a strategy for clinical and economic goals of the hospitals and physicians. So again, I think you're seeing the theme of strategic direction, as I had mentioned, kind of, uh, you know, fall throughout um, all of these areas of opportunity. Uh, And again, another custom question that we asked, um, understanding the organization's current financial situation and receiving accurate financial reports on a regular basis in order to buy early warning signs and signals of financial problems. So I want to open it up for any thoughts or questions, anything that stood out to anybody on this particular page, areas of opportunity. Okay. Um, so again, we can look at items of strength, and I believe this was provided to you a full PDF report where you'll be able to see all of the data broken out specifically. I'll just call it to your attention, and you can see with the star, these are both areas of strength as well as highly correlated items. And I can't go without saying that, again, this board culture is your highest scoring item, so keep up the great work on making sure that we have um, active participation. Everyone feels comfortable sitting around the board room table, whether that be in person or virtual. (laughs) Uh, And then again, our items of opportunity, you can see some of these areas that are also highly correlated as well. In your packets, you you have the full verbatim text of everybody's comments to review, um, but the comments most certainly support the the highly correlated items that we saw uh, come up on the on the survey so we'll feel that you know people are, are dedicated to their role they're engaged 
We have a great leader in Taft, it appears here. Can't go without not mentioning. Um, can- <laughs> I, I want to hear how I suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, continuing to learn positive uh, or continued work on diverse members as well. Um, and then again, just opportunity. People are eager. impact the community that you serve things for um, future board improvement as well as education topics again centered around strategic direction effective committee reports which again there's best practices on how committee reports can be effective in bringing that to the full board um, to share the information even prepping with certain questions to make sure that that data is or that information is reviewed succinctly um, focus again on, on strategy, making sure people are prepared and attentive. Um, and then a variety of different education topics were brought, uh, up in this particular, um, board as well. And one thing I would recommend, and I recommend for all the boards that I work with is building out an education calendar that is specific to the strategic direction of the organization. So if we're going through the strategic planning process right now, you know, and there are overarching pillars and themes, um, there should be education tied to those items to ensure that when those topics do come up on a regular basis, that the board is able to ask those great questions to ensure that we're moving towards green, moving up um, to support the actions of the management team. Lindsay, this is Taft. Quick question. Does our engagement with the Governance Institute allow us to work with you to help forecast that for the year? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes. So there are a variety of different resources. I'll just skip over to that right now um, since you asked. Yeah. Measurement is just the, the, the baby, you know, first step. We want to arm you with all of the resources that you need for, you know, initially the two or three items that we want to focus on. But if there are individuals who want to take a deeper dive in some of the educational opportunities, this is unlimited access to, you know, all of your board members as well as the executive leaders of the organization. Um, so those include things like, Sorry, Lindsay, you went mute. Okay, I must have accidentally hit a button there. Okay, so the resources, we have a, a website that you can log into a variety of different publications. Some of those publications can be pushed to you on a regular basis as well. There is an e-learning platform for self-directed courses on a variety of topics. We actually have a whole section on um, orientation and everything a new board member should know as they get up to speed as well. Um, conferences are a big part of the membership and there's unlimited access to attend our conferences in person. And we also are offering, because of COVID, hybrid events. But the lovely thing about um, the hybrid um, events of 2021 is all of those webinars uh, and resources are available on the website because they are recorded for those particular sessions. Um, so really next steps as we come out of this measurement component um, of the assessment in which we just did is when the organization picks or when the board picks the two or three items that you would like to focus on, what I will build then is a, a governance development plan and pair up uh, resources and best practices 
um, to, to walk really hand in hand with you on continued growth and development, including that educational calendar. Lindsay, can we take a quick pause right here? You bet. Trustees, um, were you aware of this uh, uh, offering through the Governance Institute? I, I think Trustee Jensen has uh, has recently gone to an event, and I don't know. Trustee Splendorio, sir, you out of your hand up. Uh, well, I don't know if, but uh, uh, I'll ask my, I have really more of a question. To, yeah, I'm aware of it, and I, okay. unfortunately, there was a conference, what, last week, week before last, something like that, yeah. something like that, and I, I unfortunately missed it. <laughs> but, um, so let me ask you, Lindsay, uh, I mean, I appreciate that, you know, these findings, but I'm just curious, you know, we have only met virtually. Mm. Have you seen any, do you have any opinion on the impact on a board of that only meets virtually versus meets live or in a hybrid fashion? So that is a challenge um, most definitely that boards have faced the last two years. Um, I walk into every virtual board meeting and folks haven't met. Um, it's a real challenge most definitely. And so, you know, people have you know been thinking outside of the box about how can they build camaraderie outside of this virtual boardroom. Um, I think there are little things that can be done, but yeah, without a doubt, it's. It, I think it's been a challenge in in the virtual boardroom. Some things that we are recommending to combat that is, especially for new board members, um, building smaller uh, groups to meet or having a, kind of a mentor-mentee relationship during this um, time, um, and really any time. But it helps out, you know, tremendously. I think during this virtual um, world that we live in. Um, right now to make sure that if people do have questions, they can go to somebody specifically. Um, you know, it, it just makes us have to work and think a little bit differently. Um, but I still think a, a board can be very effective. Um, you, know, you just have to roll with the punches, I guess. <laughs> Most boards across the U.S., though, are still I haven't I haven't been in any boardroom yet where a hundred percent of the people are um, present in person. And Trustee Splendoria, it's a great question. One I've been thinking about, and it's one that we, uh, if you recall from our prior board meeting under uh, Council AB three three something, we what we're going to be required every thirty days to decide whether we go back to full in person or back to virtual, and we've chosen sort of virtual uh, given kind of where we are, but it's a continued question. I, I, it's one that I think about a lot. How do we build our three to four? And um, I, I, I'm not usually one to take, uh, to, 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 to take the positives. Uh, I, I focus on negatives, unfortunately for myself, but we, we've done well uh, in the zoom format. We just need to find, uh, we need to find whatever venue we can to, to, to further increase our bonding. I think uh, there was a hand up. Was there a hand up? Trustee Fox, did you have your hand up? Nope. Okay. I, apologies, Lindsay. Keep, keep, keep it going. But I want us to put in the back of our heads, trustees. Uh, I think I went on uh, on the prior board when I, we, we had one of these in maybe it was 2018. It was a really good bonding event. Uh, it was in Arizona. It was a good bonding event uh, from the Governance Institute. 
Uh, so I think this is something that we need to keep on our radar, how we look after ourselves on behalf of the organization. So uh, one of the things that I want to bring to your attention is really this model of um, effective governance that work through with the organizations that we work with. Um, so any organization, any board, any healthcare board, I should say, sits on the spectrum at, at some point in time, whether they're a brand new board or they have um, the most tenured board, they are sitting on this, on this place somewhere. And it really, it's the set assessment that helps us identify where our biggest areas of opportunity are, um, which is, you know, obviously what we've, what we've set on. But you can see the variety of different um, topics that, you know, we'll cover over the course of, you know, our relationship together. It's just pinpointing, you know, where things are most important at the time. And right now, um, you know, if, it's really up to this board to decide what are those two or three items that you want to be focusing on to help drive improvement uh, in 2022. You know, based upon the results, um, you know, I shared a couple of my thoughts, making sure that there is adequate time carved out in every board meeting to have active deliberation and discussion. Again, our recommendation is to have 50% of board meetings um, specifically designed. And like I said, it's not easy. It's not an easy task at all, um, but continuing to move in that direction. I think strategic, um, setting that strategic plan and goals tied to strategy is an area of opportunity I see um, for this board as well tying goals specifically and holding folks accountable to those and having that very clearly defined, but also making sure that the, the members of this board um, clearly understand your role and that fine line between management and governance and keeping the strategic direction and the goals that are being set at a high enough level um, to support the work that will be done at the, the level of management. Those were some of my items, but I would love to to hear from you all because it'll ultimately be you that that carry this forward. Trustees opening it back up. Kind of make us work. <laughs> Lindsay, give us some counsel on if you were on this board and you saw this report on yourself, where would you focus? Or actually give us some guidance because this is what you do. If mm -hmm. you had to guide this board on on our, our, our rank order list of things, where would your number one focus be? My number one would be on, um, again, you have a great kind of, I think, especially for a very new board, a great culture to be able to build upon. Um, that was identified. But building upon, again, having that active discussion in every board meeting, I think is going to be very important. That is one of the, the challenges, I think, in a virtual setting, but utilizing some of the functionality that Zoom provides, whether that be raising the hand, which we've seen, using chat functionality, but making sure um, that everybody is participating and pro providing input um, on a regular basis on those topics that are important and carving out the time um, in the agenda specifically too, to say we have, one of the recommendations that we provide is a 10-10-10, where an agenda is built and we have um, a 10 minute presentation, no more than um, 
10 minutes or excuse me, 10 slides and then 10 minutes are carved out for discussion. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people need to actually be the timekeeper in the beginning too, to say, are we doing this and evaluating at the end of every meeting? Did we spend, even if it's a goal of 30% initially in active discussion in this meeting, how can we change? How can we reformat? Okay. I, I think that's a great comment. And uh, for all, for, for me as, as the, the, the chair of the, the full board meeting and actually the quality committee, we set the agenda. So we, we uh, making sure our timing cadence go, go, goes well is I think important. Uh, and I'm talking to all the committee chairs here and, and setting expectations. Um, you know, uh, I once read this um, uh, uh, leadership blog and not that I'm a fan of him or anything like that, but apparently Jeff Bezos in his meetings does not allow PowerPoints. Mm -hmm. um, he requires uh, all reports to be a one to two page executive report written in prose. And then they, the, the committee sits there and for five minutes, they everyone individually reads it together. I mean, not out loud, but you, you get five minutes to read it. And then the dialogue begins. I sort of wondered about this kind of, uh, I, I think we have opportunity and I've spoken with Mr. Jackson about this. Are, are, are to, to tighten up presentations to the board. You're, you're right, Lindsay, sometimes we just get too many slides. And uh, I think there's an opportunity on, on, on how the board sets the agenda and the expectations, and then how the presentations uh, kind of come to us. So I think this is a great one, which is I think achievable and executable. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I like that target of maybe announcing at the, at the beginning of every meeting that our goal is 50% dialogue. Yes. Any comments? I hope that's not how Bezos flies Blue Horizon, <laughs> waiting for people to read and then decide which direction to go. <laughs> I have a comment. Yes, um, sir. At that conference I went to in Colorado, there was a really great presentation about board development and running board meetings. And um, I made the comment in question to the presenter that our board packets are typically 150 pages and I underestimated because I went back and looked at last month's board packet was 280 pages and uh, frankly the whole room burst out laughing mm. um, they couldn't believe and this were hospital execs from around the country and board members they couldn't believe that we were wading through that level of paper and PowerPoints. And they said, the woman, and she's glad to come and talk to our board. I asked her, her name is uh, Russell, um, that the staff needs to vet the materials and synthesize it and something along the lines of what Bezo suggests there yeah. to put it in a little more manageable form so that you don't spend so much time wading through stuff. And as you were talking about TAP, that you spend your time in dialogue and strategy and planning and mm -hmm. policy. Mm -hmm. Now, as our former, our previous discussion this morning was, we do have a lot of uh, fiduciary and other responsibilities that we don't want to shirk, but we need to schedule things in a way that we're talking to each other, we're dialoguing with senior management, about the important issues and not sort of uh, being just reactive to uh, PowerPoints and presentations. Thank you, Trustee Friedman. 
Mr. Jackson, uh, any comments on, 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 on the discussion about one to two page executive reports and then making, making all the data available as supplement? How's that Trustee Friedman? Uh, perhaps in, in the back of the packet as supplement, uh, uh, should, yeah. should a trustee, should a trustee want to go to supporting documentation? Mr. Jackson, I, I sir. think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the comment. Um, if you talk to my, my team, they will tell you that my guidance is usually to minimize the amount that's actually in the presentation itself. Although I still have them using PowerPoints and so yeah. admonishment received, but my not, urging is not admonishment, not admonishment, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like them to use appendix and to put the supporting data in the appendix. And so, as you said, trustees can go find it now. Um, Trustee Friedman, that won't change the size of the packet, but it will change the size of the PowerPoint that you're expected to digest. But if you want to go deep, it's there in the appendix. And so that's the path that we've been charting, but we are evolving. And so we can certainly take this guidance and try to do better. Yeah, it, I, may, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, maybe there's a future where, where uh, eight to 10 pages of reading gets you what you need to know. And uh, uh, as opposed to wading through this med staff policy or procedure on oversized chairs or what have you. <laughs> um, so Lindsay, that's a great number one and I love it. I've written it down. We're gonna do that. Give us a number two or a number three. Dr. Chair, can I make a request based on- Oh, sorry. Where are you trustee? There you are trustee. Yes, yes ma'am. I'm hiding in plain sight. Sorry about that. Um, I like the idea of the mentor mentee and I'd like to actually ask Lindsay if you see that as board members mentoring one another and or uh, executive staff leadership mentoring board members. How do you envision that as a best practice? Great question. You know, typically we've seen board members um, be mentors uh, to other newer board members. Being that this board is fairly new. Um, I think there is opportunity to lean on executive leadership as well. Um, typically though, our recommendation would be kind of that mentor-mentee relationship within the board uh, itself. So continuing to build to build that out within the board. And we, and we do have kind of recommendations supporting documents on how that looks best. So happy to, to continue dialoguing on that if that's a direction that you guys choose. And even if it's not one of the top overarching two or three, you know, in any line of work, I think reaching out to somebody to be a mentor um, is not only rewarding as a mentor, um, but you just grow and learn so much more. And, you know, that's something that we can all be doing, whether it be on this board or, you know, anywhere. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. Was that helpful, Trustee Esteen? Yes, it was. Okay. So Lindsay, I, I'm loving that you're building me a list. Um, so uh, I like that I have 50-50 board time mentoring uh, a, a dialogue, um, board education, building out our education plan. Can you give me one or two more while we have you on consultation? So I, I, I don't see a problem yet, but with a new board again, with some of the metrics that came out, and I know the eagerness of this board, 
um, to just move into strategic direction. I think setting very clear boundaries on role definition is something that's very important. So I'm sure that there are job descriptions, um, committee charters, things that are set up. It might be a really good time to review those. Um, if they've already been built, um, to just discuss those as a full board, make sure everybody knows what their job is in regards to setting the strategic direction and the goals of the organization, because that will be critically important as you go and embark on that new strategic plan. Lindsay, I'm sorry, I didn't follow on that one. So that's basically just re re uh, reminding ourselves what the role of a trustee is. Is that is that to summarize that? Yes, and all the, is there um, job descriptions? Is that something that every trustee could go into the the board folder and see what their job description is as a as a board member? I myself am not aware of such a description. Council, Madam Clerk. Yes, yeah, so uh, I don't believe we have a job description in a certain place, but we do. Uh, uh, Rana, uh, uh, jump in if you think different, but we certainly have the bylaws and also the committee charters. That uh, bylaws outlines responsibilities, I believe, but it, yeah. it's, it's 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 an interesting concept about actually calling out that specific part because no one really reads the bylaws to the depth that you know everyone's like, oh, did you read it? Oh yeah, I read it. Right. I mean, the reality we want to make it easy for people to succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll certainly we can put something together for, for each of you and, and, and provide that would be great as a draft. And then maybe we could walk that through together somewhere down down the near future in, in our as we continue to have a board performance or board or board development uh, agenda item. Absolutely. Lindsay, can I ask your recommendations on, uh, you know, where where do boards do board development? You know, I've tried to sometimes tack it on at the back of meetings, which has been alluded to by our trustees. And quite frankly, we're tired after doing these a lot of deliberations. So we're usually kind of blow through it. Are they calling special sessions? You know, do you take a half day on a retreat to do it? What what, what, what is there a standard or, or your, your counsel? Yeah, great question. Um, we do a biannual study of both our Governance Institute members and non-members across the country every two years in, in the biannual. And um, year over year, it trends in the fact that board education takes place in the boardroom is the majority of where that, that takes place. And so um, you know, we want to provide opportunities and avenues to, um, you know, get education outside of that. I think there are ways to be creative. So best practice recommends 15% of a board meeting should be spent on education. And oftentimes that can be a quick article, um, you know, that's provided in the, in the board packet or maybe a, a webinar that's provided that then the group dialogues on um, for 15 minutes or so in the we meeting. We do that every meeting. <laughs> oh, good, good. Every, every meeting, every board meeting starts with an article. Okay, that's fantastic. Um, so that, that is fantastic. 
going if people want to continue to dive in deeper if there are competencies you as an individual board member know that you know i want to learn more about a particular topic there are certainly paths that we can prescribe to you in regards to governance practices specifically or healthcare topics specifically um, whether that be through those e-learning courses that i mentioned those self-directed courses that you can go through um, there again are the the publications that get sent out my favorite, I don't know if you can see it, this, um, you can get a, a hard copy now that we're virtual. I kind of like having this thing that I can pick up and read, but it's called Boardroom yeah. Press. It comes out every other month. You can get it sent to your office or to your home address if you'd like, but you can also subscribe to it virtually. But it's about a five to seven, well, I guess this one is 16 page um, uh, yeah, periodical. It's, it's, when we were in person, uh, Rana would put them at every trustee's table. And I haven't seen one of those in, I guess, a year and a half or so. They, they're actually pretty pretty good reads. Yes. Very relevant topics in regards to healthcare, the healthcare landscape, um, as well as great governance topics as well. That might be a good one to get started on um, initially. Um but with, you know, the webinars and things um, are great. So I, I, I love to hear that you're already spending 15 minutes in your meetings. I think that's a really good start. I would recommend um, building out then that education calendar to go along with it. Ensure that the topics are relevant to the goals and the strategic direction. Um, and we're talking about those things even in advance of when we really need to deliberate um, maybe in a future meeting. Uh, you, you said those can be sent uh, hard copy to um, every trustee? They can. Mm-hmm. Is that, and that's part of our engagement with you? Yes. Yep. That's part of the membership. Ma- Madam Clerk, can we make that an easy deliverable for today? Make sure that the, the Governance Institute actually has each of the trustees' home addresses so they can at least receive this? And then, yeah, know. absolutely. For the last two years or so, they've all just been sitting on my desk. So I'll be more than happy to change that and have them sent to you guys directly. Trustee Jensen. I should say, Ronnie, you should uh, advise the board that you have put posted most of them. Um, there's several posted on board board advantage. So yeah, also that I I do try and get them up on board vantage. I'm not sure how consistent I've been, but if the board finds it useful, I will certainly be more consistent and make sure I get them all up there. And that way, if you don't want to receive the hard copy, you can go find them there. Yes, ma'am. Tr- trustees, um, uh, has anyone here accessed the Governance Institute website ever? Okay. Okay, another potential opportunity for us as a resource. Maybe we can bookmark it. I know everyone has a million passwords, um, but maybe we can make this this easier for everyone. Lindsay, I appreciate your walkthrough on this. Can you tell me your relationship to us? Were you just here guiding this part, or are you, uh, are, 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 do you have a relationship with AHS through the through GI? Tell, can can you tell us about you? You are stuck with me. Yes, okay. I. <laughs> So you're on go-to. I am, yes. So I'm the strategic advisor, and so I will will be holding your hand through the entire partnership. So whether that be through assessments now and down the road or building out the governance development plan and tying these resources to you, 
uh, Rana and I meet on a monthly basis. And so if there's anything um, that you all need, she is a great go-to. You guys are very lucky to have her. She's a fantastic resource. Um, She does a fantastic (laughs) job. But do feel free to reach out and I'll, uh, I think I have my contact information on one of these slides. Don't hesitate. Ron will give it to us. Yeah, don't hesitate to reach out. Yes. Lindsay, we appreciate it. And shame on me for having not met you before. So uh, it was very nice to meet you today. And you, you'll be hearing from me uh, to help us make Dr. this Dr. Chair, can I just say, it? I'm, I'm hearing a couple things that sound like themes. One is uh, the potential to meet in person for team building. The other yes. is to, to meet potentially meet in person at a board governance retreat specifically. Yes, ma'am. And uh, yeah, to keep doing the good work. Yes, ma'am. I, I, uh, uh, as you sit on the executive committee, uh, Madam Secretary, let, let's put this on our agenda with uh, Vice President Jensen and Trustee Banerjee as well. Uh, we, yeah, we, we're going to do better about getting together. Um, thank you, Lindsay, for your presentation. Um, uh, we look forward to seeing you again, okay? Great. You guys have a great rest of your meeting, and I'll look forward did we to... Make your time? Did we make the time for you? <laughs> yes, yes, okay, with time to spare. <laughs> okay, good. Okay. So, have a great um, rest of your guys' day and weekend. Thank you. With that, we will close item F1. Um, let me just have a quick stop in with council. Council, are we ready to go into closed, or do we need, do I need to buy us a little bit of time? Because uh, uh, I'm thinking about three fifteen. Um, Got it. Okay. So so let's maybe try to do a couple of quick things. Item F two is twenty twenty two calendar planning. Um, Rana, can you bring up the calendar? Yes, give me just one second to navigate to the right place on my computer, please. So, guys, again, this isn't an action item, but I just want to put it on everyone's brain about we're looking at our calendar planning. Remember, this board reinstituted, sorry, instituted kind of a regular cadence, which is one week one finance, week two full board, week three is either audit compliance or HR, and week four is quality. Repeat, one, two, three, four. Now, um, I know where's Trustee Blue. There's Trustee Blue. Trustee Blue's uh, side of the shop is uh, getting is being invigorated with greater discussions uh, on HR. Our our new CHRO uh, is very interested in these discussions. And I know Trustee Blue was raising the question about an increased frequency of HR uh, committee meetings, which I wouldn't be opposed to. But Madam Chair, uh, do you have some comments on that, Trustee Blue? You're on mute. Yeah, I just think that there's certain topics that comes before the HR committee that yeah. we don't have enough time to discuss about or really dive deep, yeah. right, to figure out the next steps or the strategy to resolve an issue. Yeah. So Lorna and I have not spoken yet, but um, that's my thinking. I think okay. once a quarter... Is just not enough sometimes for the yeah, HR committee to me. I, I would I would probably agree with that. I think uh, uh, the way uh, you know the discussions we're having on our culture and our people and all mm-hmm. the good work Warren is trying to do. I think quarterly to me feels a little bit long. Um, 
audit compliance can probably get away with quarterly, but I'm wondering about HR and we don't have to have an answer today. Again, today we're not actually making final decisions, but trustee blue, if you wouldn't mind sitting down with our CHRO and making sure that, you know, we don't want to burn the staff out. Right. Um, right. So uh, right. having a discussion about cadence, should it go every other month? Question mark. Um, right. Um, so or they're scheduled as needed. Right. Or, or also. Um, Remind me about scheduled as needed um, uh, council because uh, it's a fixed committee. I mean, I mean, we can do that with any committee, of course. But, but, can any yeah. comments on that? Yeah. So you can uh, you can schedule it as needed, Chair Bukak, okay. uh, and even uh, you you can even call it a, a regular meeting if you post the agenda seventy two hours in advance for the subcommittees. So. Oh. Okay, so that's great flexibility for Ms. Jones and Trustee Blue uh, on on items. But I you just, should really I, strive to set the uh, agenda in then as needed down the line. Since we are at a, a quarterly right now, you keep the mm -hmm. quarterly and then yeah. meet a couple of times throughout the year at yeah. those as needed meetings. Hmm. So uh, I'm going to take some feedback from uh, our uh, CEO and our COO about, um, you know, given where we are on uh, the Huron engagement and sort of their projections, what, what are your thoughts, uh, Mr. Jackson and Mr. Fratsky, on where a board retreat would best serve the organization? February might, is February too early? It feels like, it feels like, I, and where along the pathway would uh, uh, your team and, and Huron need it, its counsel? And again, you may not have the answer answer right now, but just uh, putting thought about this, where where would we put our first retreat of the year? Yeah, given the timeline that Huron has proposed that they shared earlier, I think February might be a little early. I think March may be more more realistic to give them time to complete and give us a product that we can work with. Yeah, I, I guess my my the, uh, one counterpoint is. If we got them earlier, maybe that helps guide their guide their product. I don't know. True. Splen, do you have some comments on this one? Because I, I want I want to give space to exactly what you said earlier. Before we need to have carve space to, to only talk about strategy. Uh, I mean, I I would have. I mean, I would prefer the strategy happen in person. I mean, yeah. Um, I, and I'm not. You know. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm not enamored driving to Oakland. Yeah. Um, so, um, but I do think it's far more effective in person. So, uh, you know, I, the timing, I mean, whenever you all think it's, I mean, to me, we should have had it. I've had strategic planning sessions on other boards in person already in the last year and a half. Okay. So I don't know what prohibited us from doing, you know, prohibited it necessarily. There are venues where it could have happened. Mm. Um, especially in the summertime when we did a couple outdoors. Mm. Um, so, um, Anyway, well, but anyway, we're we're kicking it off now. So now uh, we can. Uh, I'll work with Mr. Jackson uh, to help kind of guide where where we do these. And maybe there are multiple sessions. And uh, I'll say a dirty word here, but you know, contemplate if if Saturdays are necessary. I know. Uh, again, we'll we'll do polling on what are what whatever we need to do to to get our strategic plan along the way properly. Um. I just remind everyone that we're largely dark in August. 
Uh, we follow the, 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 the board of supervisors to do that. And, and I also want to take us at, we're dark in December, but really people don't really start the holiday season until around the 14th and beyond. So I'm wondering if there's necessity or a role for a finance on that December, whatever, that first Wednesday and a full board meeting on that December 7th. And I'm just going to throw this out for people to dialogue. I'll, I'll go with however the crew goes. Is uh, Ms. Miranda in the room? James, do you think there's a role for uh, a finance meeting in December of uh, of the year? Does that help, or if it doesn't, that's fine. Oh, hi, 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 Ms. Miranda. D does, yes, does a, does a I'm listening. <laughs> does a finance meeting help you uh, in December, or does that last one in no on November two? Because your last finance is November two. Do, you know, I guess just a question: Does that help you? Oh, I think most of us know that that it, that that's the time to take time off. So I think our staff pretty much is in the routine that we're dark, and so they take that opportunity to take time off. Um, I don't know that it it uh, necessarily helps me. I'm not sure how the board feels. I do know that sometimes it's a struggle if we've got contracts that need to be approved by the board, by the finance, and then by the board. Uh, before the new calendar year. I think sometimes that can be problematic. I think the East Bay Medical Group might fall into that category this, this year. I say because uh, that, uh, that would be actually on, in December 22nd, sorry, in uh, December of 2022, the first Wednesday is a December 7th. That's pretty early on in the month. Again, uh, I, I don't think... I think if if you give the board a break, they'll be happy. But if there's work to be done, um, there's work to be done. So if you wouldn't mind putting your brain and and uh, and uh, uh, have a discussion with the rest of your team, whether there's a benefit from that first Wednesday of December uh, of 2022, that would be very helpful. I will do that. And uh, keep in mind, too, uh, Trustee Bouquet, is that Thanksgiving is right before the due dates for all of the, yeah, the absolutely. finance. Yeah. That, that's why I'm giving it to you. And, and so <laughs> so it, 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 it's an offer. If, the, if you didn't put a meeting there, the trustees, I'm pretty sure, would be perfectly fine with it. So th th this is meant to help not to hurt all right no i am i'm here to serve it's really more about if the trustees you know don't need need to hear from us before january we will we will make it work but i think as i said my team's used to having that dark month and so they kind of plan their vacation and christmas shopping and all that stuff for that time madam finance chair i think that uh, you, you you wouldn't be looking for an additional meeting would you i would not be unless you all Deem it, you know, that we need it, then we'll we'll get it done and we'll we'll make it happen. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah that's not our question. Of our chief financial officer here, and and on behalf of the staff, I imagine they appreciate the regularity of the schedule and it not changing. Okay, okay, uh, we're here to contemplate the schedule, and that's what we're doing. Does anyone else see anything a little bit that 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 piques their interest? So, what we need to apply here are. Uh, board retreat dates, but otherwise it follows a relatively regular cadence. This is it. We're not going to vote on it um, today. We'll bring this up one more time at our last board meeting. So Rana will be able to forecast the calendar for the year. 
but um, that's sort of what I got for this item. Okay. Any other comments on calendar? Can I just right. show you guys one quick thing? Um, yes, the calendar that I have shared right now is modeled off of exactly what we did this year. Um, but I couldn't get this pulled up in time. This is actually what I put in the packet. Um, I know it's a little bit hard to see. I didn't think to make it into a you know slide or anything like that. Yeah. But um, yeah. what I did on this one for you guys to take a look at is I added HR committee days on the only days that I could really see a space for them. Um, yeah. Obviously, they can do a different day of the week. I mean, there's other things we can do, but keeping the cadence, that's what I did. Yeah. And then you'll see that I changed November around a little bit because we have um, kind of an ongoing um, issue of um, the final audit report having to be approved by the full board after it goes to the audit committee, but the audit committee meeting happens after the last full board meeting. And so um, I'm, you know, I suggested this rearranging for next year. It's, you know, okay. it's obviously up to you guys to do what you want to do, but I thought I would uh, show you what it could look like. Yes, ma'am. I think that's a good suggestion. So this is a proposal. Will you help make this easy for the board and email a copy of this and just say working proposal as a, as its own standalone item? And, and Rhonda, we should probably talk because I was going to see if we could work with our auditors to get our, our, our uh, audit report done a few weeks earlier. It seems like it should be something doable. So that's that's another option for us. Okay, great. Seems like so so there, there's some, there is some wiggle to be made on this. All right. So everyone's attention is made to this. We're trying to optimize our calendar. Let's close this item. Just oh, sorry, sorry. calendar. What color was the HR committee to see? What oh, I'm, it's red. I'm sorry. It was red, trustee esteem. Okay. Thanks. Well, what's that? I just can't see it now. My memory's good, but it's oh. not that good. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll get it right back. I was too quick on the draw there. That's all right. We're moving. All right, there it close. is. It's all good. I thought you were talking mm -hmm. smack about her color selection. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm just trying to see where it's fitting on the calendar. Thank you. I have it. I have it expanded so you can see the calendar better. But there is a a, a color key down at the bottom. Okay. Thank you, Madam Clerk. That clo let's close item F two. Council, are we ready to go to close? So uh, I just received a text. This should be on about three fifteen. That's in five minutes. Five minutes. Do you think? Do you think you can do Brown Act in five minutes? I think you can. Actually, Tap. I, I mean, I was. Uh, could I ask? Well, yes. I, I can always call Ahmad later. But I, in the Stark thing, I had never heard of it. I, you know, unless it's involving Iron Man and Tony Stark, um, it you know it, it didn't resonate with me. So, I mean, is it possible, or Ahmad, if you want to call me afterwards and just explain, give me the five-minute version of what it is and why it I is. I mean, I read through it, but I really wasn't, I kind of understand what it is, but I guess my question is, why should I care about this? Is really, If you can answer that question, that'd be great. Trustee Splendorio, I love the interest. So how about this? We'll go into closed in five minutes, and then we'll come back uh, here and offer a spot for whatever trustees want to learn about that. No shame, actually shame if you don't want to be a part of it. But you could, you don't have to come back and hear that. 
Uh, I, I want to keep hearing about Stark and Brown because I don't really understand them that that well. Is that okay, Trustee Splendora? We'll give space yeah. right after close. Sure. Okay. Okay. Council, how about you just put us in the, in the, in, uh, uh, sorry, announce close, put us in the close so we can sort of get our bearings with us and then uh, 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 the other additional joinees can join in whenever. You're on that. Uh, sorry, Dr. Chair, I was speaking with council, outside council there. Uh, so they should be on any side. He said he's getting on uh, right okay. now. So uh, the board will now go into closed session to consider those closed session items as stated on the agenda. So thank you for everyone in the room. You don't have to be here when we get back, but if you want to hear about Stark or Brown, uh, we'll, we'll come back out at closed session. Everyone have a great weekend. Happy Halloween.